listening to the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast with your hosts, Corey Draper and Jeff Hughes. What a bastard! Didn't know what happened to him there. My word, Anderson can't believe that he's beside himself with anger. And Tully Blanchard is beside himself almost unconscious. Good down-home cheating. Good down-home good down cheating. Sure. Welcome back to another week of the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. I'm Corey Draper here with Jeff Hughes. And it's December here, isn't it? Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> here we go. Woohoo! So it's Christmas time coming up soon. Um, I guess not for a long time. Anyway, <laughs> it'll go by quick. That's right. But it's actually another hot summer night. It's my birthday and Christmas <laughs> all together. Oh my God. July 26th in Charlotte. Are we in Charlotte? They're going to be Greensboro at the Green. Coliseum. Okay. And that's in Greensboro, Carolinas, both of them, north and south. Yeah. Well, I will jump right in here. I was going to talk a little bit about the venue because on the file, you can't see shit. <laughs> you don't know where you are. It's a darkness. <laughs> but <laughs> because they're in Greensboro, they're actually sort of in essentially what I would argue is the- They're in Flair of, County. They're in like the home of the, you know, Jim Crockett promotions and stuff yeah. like that. So You can I, I, hear the heels getting the heat. <laughs> that they, I mean, the crowd cheering for the heels. Yeah. Yeah, so they, I, I looked it up a bit. So this Greensboro Coliseum Complex, pretty neat. I think it uh, opened in 1959, and it went through uh, several renovations. It looks like there's been like, it was expanded in 1972, 1993, 2003, and 2011. So it's up to a maximum capacity now of like 20,000. But back when this card happened, a sellout, which is what it was, was 15,000. And this venue has multiple, you know, aspects to it. There's like, you know, they, they hold fairs and events and conferences and it's not just, you know, it's not just one, you know, arena, let's call it or whatever. It's right. It's got multi, it's multi-purpose, but it was kind of funny because I looked it up and knowing what, you know, I'm going through paragraph after paragraph, not seeing any reference to anything to do with wrestling. And I was like, I started getting a little insulted as I was getting further and further down the list. And, you know, other things are getting mentioned over top of it of like, here's all these events that have been there. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Like, okay, I can understand why they're focusing on, let's say the, you know, the sports teams. The that play state there. butter tart festival <laughs> yeah, was pretty, here. Pretty much. Note. Oh yeah. They're getting into all these different, you know, the bands that have been there. Kitten and, show. Yeah. <laughs> the yarn and kitten show was here. Yeah. Yeah, they got the Odeon Theater, the White Oak Amphitheater, you know, Beach Boys played there. And Ric Flair signing autographs at the hair styling show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The Greensboro Aquatic Center is part of it and all this stuff. But yeah, it was, okay. it's pretty funny. They listed it all off. You know, there's hockey that's related, basketball that's related, Sorry, arena now, football. It, tell me the state. Uh, that is, we're going to be able to figure making, that out. We're making, we're making, we're, we're, we're hemorrhaging our American fans <laughs> here, man. You gotta, <laughs> come on, man. North Carolina, look man. That, look that shit up. It's North Carolina. Okay. Yeah. North Greensboro, Carolina. Greensboro, North Carolina. Greensboro, North Carolina. Yeah. And so they list all this different stuff that it's with it. Events, other events, you know, oh, Motley Crue and, um, you know, the Monster Jam, Arena Cross, <laughs> High School Musical, like, and I'm like, okay. And they just keep going and going. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. And then finally, at the very end, even the Kellogg's Tour of Gymnastic Champions was in there in 2016. My God. Still no reference to wrestling. wrestling. But here we go. Here's here's the wrestling uh, notch that's that's listed here. Greensboro Coliseum has had a wide history with hosting professional wrestling going back to the territorial days of Jim Crockett Promotions. 
It has hosted a number of NWA and WCW events through the years, including the first four Starcade events in 1983, 84, 85, and 86, as well as the 1990 Wrestle War event. It's kind of a special one for me, that one. WWE has also held events there in Greensboro Coliseum, including Unforgiven in Your House in 1998, the 1999 King of the Ring, and the 2001 Survivor Series when Team WWF defeated Team Alliance and the Alliance was forced to disband. Most recently, WWE re- revived the Starcade event and held it at the Coliseum in November 25th, 2017. So wrestling still to this day happening at But they the don't mention the mesh. Yeah, they didn't mention mention it specifically. They were really clever. tied it to Starcade was really tied to Greensboro, and I guess sort of famously, let's say one of the big. You know, there's a list of mistakes that Jim Crockett Promotions made over the you know a period of time that caused their downfall. I think one of the most you know if you had made a top ten list, I think most people would have this in like sort of the top three. Let's say is that in 1987 they held the Starcade event in Chicago because they wanted to go to this bigger market city to try to run their show. But they really offended their like home base fans. Like Starcade was their show, and Chicago is AWA territory. Well, at that point, I mean, eighty seven. Ah, okay. fair, fair game. <laughs> That's just, very well. Okay, just right. traditionally. But yeah, at that point, WWF was stronger in Chicago. You know, AWA was still around. You know, I'm not sure okay. what venues they were playing at because 87, AWA's uh, attendance levels were quite low in 87. So they, you know, they probably weren't playing any big shows. But the point being is that like that core group of fans that had carried the, you know, this re- this type of wrestling for, you know, decades in that area, they in a way never recovered from that mistake, that wow. taking that event away from them. They were so- In which year? 1987 and they didn't even oh. get a great size crowd it was like it was it was like a you know half sold show or something in starcade in, yeah starcade 87 yeah is that earlier in the year then no that is a thanksgiving oh yeah and that was the of course 87's the year that mcmahon squashed them with survivor series and really messed up everything for them so it oh. so they it was like it was this it was this it's the gobbledygooker <laughs> Was the ace in the hole. <laughs> Icing on the cake. It could have been. Crushed the WCW. That's right. NWA never coming back because of that. So, yeah, so they're in the Greensboro Coliseum for our event, and it does look a lot different. I, I Mini correction section right now is that mm-hmm. I last show, week I had referenced the fact that we were going to a stadium show, that this big card was going to be in a stadium. It is not. It is inside the Greensboro Coliseum, so it's more of a proper arena show and therefore has a very different look. So if you remember back to the July 5th Starcade, it opens with, you know, light skies and, you know, the parachuting team and all this stuff. And, uh, yeah, we're not getting any of that. We're kind of right to business here. It's kind of just, you know, in, you're in the arena. Well, then, I heard that they still sent the parachuters. They were just on the roof going, <laughs> like, what the fuck? Jesus Christ. It wasn't a soft landing. You want to see the show? Okay, so we're here to talk about a bunch of matches and a lot of stuff around to that, but we'll get back to that in a second. We do want to acknowledge, uh, we got a friend of the show, uh, you always say you say his name better than I do. Go ahead. Hanzo Hattori. Yeah. I think his email address kind of comes up reverse, you know, like Hattori Hanzo. Right. Okay. <laughs> but, so, but, I, yeah, but the proper character this, name is, yes, yeah. Right. So, yeah. You're quite right. This guy goes by Hattori Hanzo. Exactly. Yeah. So he just dropped us a real quick, small note. So just thought we'd pass it along. Gentlemen. Get my name right, you jerks. What that's the right. Exactly. I'm saying tired. I quit. <laughs> I'm unsubs- truly unsubscribing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, Spotify recently sent me a recap of my... 2023 listening they provide a nifty presentation about your listening habits outlining your most listened to bands songs and podcasts legendary wrestling obsession was my number three most listened to podcast behind spitting chicklets i believe that's a hockey 
podcast <laughs> and Joe Rogan experience. Uh, keep the episodes coming. Uh, so there we thank go. you, Hanzo. Domo yeah. arigato. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, Joe Rogan, I, I, I think I've seen like a hundred clips of different episodes of his, but I don't think I've ever, I've never watched, you know, oh, like yeah. a, I've never gone well, and actually looked at him and watched a full length, you know, episode. Yeah. I, I've, I've seen all these, he, he's constantly, his podcast does a really good job of, you know, editing out all these, you know, 60 second, 30 second, two minute bits and throwing those out to the world. Yeah, <laughs> rules the universe of podcasts. I think it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. Not I would, everything, I, but you know, how could it be everything? There's so much there. Oh, yeah. There you're is. Not gonna like it there, at all. there is right, and there's even just even just in the wrestling space. There's so many podcasts, and if you uh, take the time to listen to ours, we're super grateful, and also understanding that not everybody listens to everything. So often, when I'm listening to a podcast and they're referencing another podcast, and we've done it ourselves, you know, it kind of makes sense because you're sort of passing along information. Because not everybody that's listening to your show is going to have listened to the sh- you know the shows that you listen to or where you got your reference material from. So it's kind of neat. It's this never-ending sort of passing along of. So we thought we'd inform you all about this interesting Joe Rogan pod- podcast. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, our vast million people are already listening to. That's you. right. We're <laughs> going to give him the legendary wrestling bump. That's right. He's going to notice it real <laughs> strong. Thank you guys. Thank you Jeffrey. Thank you Corey. You guys, now I can feed my kids. That's right. I think when I went back and started rewatching this show in particular, one of the things that kind of came across my mind is sort of like, who was this presentation meant for? And what I mean by that is that there's some similarities, obviously, between the July 26th and July 5th cards. There's some matches that are essentially the same. This, the matchup's the same. In some cases, the stipulation is the same. And in some cases, a lot of the spots are the same. But if you think about it back then, when they were filming this, they were filming it for a videotape release. So obviously, they weren't going to put two Jimmy Garvin strap matches on the one release. So they didn't have to worry about sort of replication, you know? And for the most part, other than some real extreme cases, the audience is going to be different. The people at the shows... I'm sure there's probably someone out there who could put their hand up and say, I drove around every bash and, you know, or I went to five bashes. So maybe they saw a bunch of these matches. But for the most part, they have control over who sees this. So they can essentially roll out the same match, a lot of the same spots. And it doesn't matter because it really, each person, let's say, you know, is really only seeing it once. And it's only all these years later that, you know, that the general public can just access these two totally separate cards, watch them back to back and go like, oh, wait a minute. This is 30% of the same stuff. <laughs> I, I absolutely. I read online an observer make that uh, point that the uh, tape fist match is almost 85% the same as a a different city. Yeah. They, only, they really only changed the finish. Yes, right. And he yeah. says like, oh, you should have heard the first time. When they did this spot, you should have heard it, the crowd pop when they did it the first time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But he, the guy speculated like maybe some of those fans are here. So yeah. now they're not reacting because... And it's just sort of the same idea that like it just any territory, any wrestling company could probably take one match, do it 30 times in a row in 30 different cities, and it's not a problem. You know, like there's no there's no issue with that. They can really literally roll out the same finish and just time after time after time. Whereas modern wrestling, because everything pretty much is recorded, even like even at the indie level, because you can just record on your phone or buy some, you know, like the accessibility of that is it's kind of cheap. The investment back in 86, the money it cost them to record this stuff was so such a big investment that they only did it, you know, sparingly. That's why you don't get every single thing recorded and every, you know, you don't have your hands on every single match that ever occurred. So that's, yeah, that's kind of gives us some idea of what maybe, you know, they were thinking about as we, 
as we move in. But it's, I think it's a, you know, it's a fun card. It's a historic night. Uh, they're really bringing a lot together. So we have Rick, like it, it's all the good feelings of like Rick Flair's champion. Dusty Rhodes is chasing him, you know, and the Road Warriors are running roughshod over everybody, and the Rock and Roll Express are the most popular people in the world, and Magnum's on this rise to try to become, you know, the big star that they need, and it's kind of just all the things about Jim Crockett promotions are present here. They're all right in front of us. Yeah, you're right. This this could be the snapshot of, like, the best uh, yeah. of it all, really, you know, because you're right. Like, I, I think you summed it up very nicely there. Um, what, a, what a lovely little time for us to be. So how do we drag this out? We're going to Rick Martel's and <laughs> we're going to hit the pause button. <laughs> there is no dark future for the NWA. It's only sunshine and roses. That's right. And yeah. next we go to the, the hidden Rick Martel matches yeah. to delay. Well, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, they really, they had to, in a way, in this moment, at this time, feel like they were being so successful. They were doing so well. You know, their TV ratings were great. Uh, money was rolling in. Their houses are huge. Like, they're selling out so many of these shows. They have such a great following. And it all falls apart so quickly. <laughs> you know, 87, I have such a strong soft spot for that because that's when I feel like I really started getting access to, like, more than just magazine clippings because that's when the UWF show in our area turned into the NWA show and they started, you know, getting to watch these matches on TV. So I have these like strong, great feelings. Whereas if you were a like lifer, you know, if you had been watching Georgia and NWA and Jim Crockett and all those different shows back through the late seventies and early eighties, mid Atlantic, this period here is like the peak, but then you also might look at 87 and 88 as sort of being the downfall of it all. And, and it's not, maybe not as, positive of memories because the writing was on the wall that the Jim Crockett empire was going to come crumbling down. Well, there's still lots of great stuff to go in the, uh, what the alternative to the WWE or F, whatever you want to call yeah, it. This like is F. like, you know, yeah, we certainly at the time, this was the Pepsi to the Coke. And for a while, true wrestling fans will know that Pepsi took over big time <laughs> when Hulk Hogan turned heel and then the WCW, with the NWO, they they beat the WWE silly for a little while. But That's in right. the mainstream, you know, I think we all understand that the WWE, which had the global reach and success that the other guys didn't. So they were the Coke, the bigger, more successful company, if that's correct. I don't even know. Somebody out there will be like, hmm, excuse me, Pepsi sales are da 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 da. But no, my, I th yeah, I think Coke's kind of been ahead of Pepsi for a long time. Well, yeah. That's perception, yeah. even if it's not accurate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would say that uh, McMahon did take over, and uh, with a brief exception I just alluded to, you know, he certainly won the war in the long run. Yes. Also, over the, you know, it was only back and forth a little bit. It was mostly Coca-Cola, you know, winning. Um, and I already said it was NWO, you know, so, uh, that. And, and there's, Corey will be able to reference, you know, the uh, the wrestling shows where they detail, you know, the, I mean, the 80 weeks is what, was that what Bishop? weeks, that's Bischoff's show, yeah. Okay. They, they, Which, they had the ratings. They were number, they were number one in the ratings for 83 weeks. Uh, thank yeah. you. That's what I'm getting at. Anyway, this would be the peak of this wonderful NWA Pepsi alternative. And actually, I think Pepsi does taste better than Coke. <laughs> and I think NWA wrestling is better than WWF, generally speaking. So here it is. At its best, the actual superior product. Yeah. And we also have to remember this card, as we're seeing it on the WWE Network, is this beautiful full presentation 
but again, it wasn't filmed to be presented in the way that it is. It's not, you know, it's like the Crockett Cup file. There's no commentary. I love it. We can hear the crowd. We can hear the ring announcer. We are the crowd. We are the crowd, yes. And I love the pressure that's on the wrestlers. Like, they probably don't even realize it, but they, like, every noise they make can be heard. I don't think that today's wrestlers like the way wrestling is run today could operate in that they would they wouldn't be able to get away with all the crap they're talking about in the ring because it's it's way too close like we would be picking up all that like okay this 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 leg slap that 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 makes you wonder if they can hear the announcers like certainly what we watched last week you know Robert Gibson's walking past David Crockett and giving them a little you know squeeze of the shoulder hey buddy don't worry I'm good you yeah, know yeah, like yeah, yeah. there there's communication going between the commentary team and yeah. the wrestlers right yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's a part of the show yeah, Dusty with the high five yeah <laughs> and, and, and studio Crockett more than anybody when they're that because cl- remember their ringside their table actually abuts yes. is touching the ring you yeah. know Shavoni and Crockett when we watched that show yeah. that we covered last week it changes things for the wrestlers a they know like no bumps through the ropes right there. Yeah, you try not to, yeah. <laughs> you know, also what they're listening to. Like you said, if there isn't a little nanner, I mean, if the crowd is screaming, then they probably can't hear Shivani and Crockett. But if yeah. the crowd, you know, in between the big pops, they, you know, they're hearing these guys talk. That's right. To what degree does that affect them and the absence yeah. of it as well? Interesting, and yeah, I exactly. Really, but I got to say, I do like this because it is the exception, not the rule. And it makes you feel like you're in the crowd. Yes. And you now, they, it's almost like there's a little more work to do for the wrestlers in the ring because there isn't this narrative being pushed by the announcers who are, yeah. you know, telling you to buy popcorn or tune in for the pay-per-view, <laughs> you know, or go get autographs at the Super Summer Sizzler Tour. That's right. <laughs> but I Line like it a lot. Line up with the Hardys for your signatures. Yeah. I enjoyed that a lot, the fact that there weren't commentators and that you could hear some great stuff. Yeah, it's. I think it's because they take hey, these... Remember? Don't worry about it, Boogie. You'll yeah, get right. him next time. <laughs> that's Crockett. Yeah, Crockett. <laughs> Boogie. Oh, Boogie. He's not in for a good night. <laughs> he needs that super fan there. That's right. He needs all of the support. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she'll be right by the... Oh, next time, next time, next you'll get time. him, Boogie. <laughs> you know, and they, I guess what they did, obviously, because they did release a VHS of matches, mainly from the July 5th and July 26th card. I think the, the Hawk match from... July 1st gets on there. I think there's one other match, but mainly that VHS release is really just from these two shows that we've kind of focused on. And they just add the commentary in afterwards, which as a kid, I never would have noticed. I never would have been able to watch a show and discern that that commentary was added in afterwards. And it probably sounds differently because remember when we were watching the Tito Santana, Greg Valentine title change cage match and Gorilla's obviously his voice is being put in like yeah. well after the fact and it's really completely dulling the crowd to the point of like you know, there's almost no crowd and the exception as opposed to the rule yeah and I'm thinking back to when I would have rented that card as a little kid watching Coliseum video I don't know to what degree I would have been able to sort of understand that what I was watching wasn't two things done at the same time like that the audio and the video weren't the same thing <laughs> so yeah it's, it's interesting so we'll uh We'll start talking about the matches, we'll find some interesting diversions, and we'll get to it, one after the other. So, who's our first match, Jeff? Well, uh, one of my new favorites, you know, something that I'm really enjoying is that guys that I had, you know, not appreciated in the past are shining, like Sam Houston, you know, I, I just, he's 
much better than I thought. You know, I wish he'd had a chance to develop a little better, at least where we were watching. So his first matches, uh, what's great fun about this early part of the card is that we have all these AWA favorites that we get to yeah. watch wrestling. And at this point, the whole idea that there's no commentary reminds me of seeing some of these guys in the ring, like, Steve Regal, his opponent on this particular case, Mr. Electricity. And then coming up, Baron Von Raschke will be wrestling. And these are two AWA favorites of ours that I'm glad are here on a big NWA card, getting a paycheck. And it's a great, uh, the crowd is hot. You know, they're really excited for wrestling and they're really excited for Sam Houston. I mean, uh, this guy had charisma and also I... (laughs) What's really fun is that uh, before I tell you what you, what they're wearing, um, the whole fact that you get to hear the crowd really comes through because like they're like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know that's fun. That happened for me once when I was doing a dinner theater show. That I'm, I was uh, came out. Actually, I'll be referencing this a little later in the show. The show was called Gold Thumb. I had been cast as James Bond's son. Now, I have been accused of a swelled head and an ego in my day, but you know it's hard to be humble when you're 20 <laughs> years old and you're cast as a James Bond character and you're getting paid to sing and dance. And so, sure, I goofed up occasionally, but it's true. I was in a show called Gold Thumb, and I was um, 008, James Bond's <laughs> son, Bernie Bond, for what it goes. But anyway... Some of a bumbler, but point being that I got to show up in a tuxedo for one matinee. And this particular matinee was being put on for a group of teachers. And so it was 80% women <laughs> or something. And so they cat called me. And um, the girl that was on stage with me, uh, you know, she was, well, uh, we were dating. So <laughs> my typical, you know, theater stuff. <laughs> yeah, theater stuff. Anyway, and so the look on her face is all these women were like, Whee! So Sam Houston's getting, anyway, that was fun. Yeah, yeah. So Sam Houston's getting that as he's taking off his chaps. He's got a really colorful outfit as a ghost. Yeah. I mean, Sam Houston is is dressed like a comic book character cowboy, not, a, you know, not a guy who's, I mean, Actually he's- Actually a cowboy, yeah. yeah. who's got, you know, beans dripping off his mustache <laughs> and last night's soot smoking up his nose hairs. <laughs> He now that that doesn't mean to be denigrating. It's like bright white and yeah, red, yeah, new, showy, yeah. showy uh, colorful, theatrical performance, yeah. uh, circus stuff. And so that, that I didn't actually mean to uh, disrespect it. It's a different look. Exactly. Yeah. And he's it's like got dressed it. up. You know, this. Yeah. You're not working the fields in this outfit. <laughs> he's got the Texas flag on like a cape, so he really right. looks yeah. like a superhero cartoon <laughs> or comic book kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. Got the red hat, and his knee pads are red, and uh, he he just he has a link to the crowd. He can you know really sort of feel their mood, and they're behind him. They love him. Yeah. You would think we are in Texas that they're they're so pumped for for young Sam Houston, and like I said, when he when he takes the leggings off that the cat calls happen and then mr electricity steve regal now let me um tell you that this guy's no slouch you know (laughs) sam houston you know he probably is 21 and he he (laughs) kind of looks at it you know but i mean the thing is that you could walk into a high school and see a sam houston guy like who's 18 years old and about to graduate yeah sam houston looks young and Steve Regal, he would f- have fit in nicely with the fabulous ones. He's got that beard and blonde hair look. Yeah, yeah. And body size. Yeah. And he's fit. He, he, yeah, I noticed he actually probably looks 
Somehow, he almost looks like he's gained some muscle here. It looks well, like he is standing taking, next to Sam Houston. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes him look a little bit more muscular. So I was almost thinking yeah. like, oh, maybe he's beefing up a bit. You know, he's thinking it's like it's '86, steroid city. So maybe, maybe he wanted to put on a little bit of muscle for the the industry. Well, he's got a really nice purple coat and headband. Yeah. Uh, he looks very '80s, and like as I said, his. Um, he is a little older than Sam, or a lot, because like, he's got that yeah. Steve Kern receding hairline. That's right, yeah. That's the other thing that uh, Steve Regal could have subbed in for the fabulous ones yeah, easily. Yeah, yeah. But he's got this really cool jacket that's purple and glittery, and it's a lighter purple, but he's got the headband, and then yeah. in the very 80s, he, he uh, a nice, colorful, cool jacket. <laughs> and when he takes it off, some you know one of these ladies who uh, was screaming for Sam Houston is like, Put it back on, Regal. <laughs> Poor awesome. Regal, like yeah, he's yeah, like yeah. in such great shape. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. just as handsome as Sam, but he's not yeah, a fresh-faced youngster yeah, anyway. Yeah, you're, offend, you're offending my eyes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. You know, poor heel. I'm like, you know, uh, this one lady really zings him. So his. Yeah. But I, I'm just having a good time to see one of our AWA heels. Now he won the belt with Garvin, right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they put some gold on him and they beat the Road Warriors. Oh my God! Can you believe that? I know. That's right. In the ring, Regal has a pair of white trunks with a black stripe down the side so that they're not full pants or anything like that. And neither Houston, he's also just got trunks on, red trunks. Then they get down to the business. Well, hold on, you missed one little thing there. It's with Sam taking his chaps off. What? I've I, I mentioned it three times. The no, cat but, no but the way he did it, like, it's super was, funny. Well, yeah, he's he's taking them off and the cat calls happen. Yeah. So he looks up and he looks yeah, left, he to looks me, right. To me, he, he, he looked before. Like, he knew he knew they were coming. Like, he's, um he's what do you call it? Like, he's... Anticipating? He's anticipating, but he's also, like, he's goading them Teasing on them? to do it. Exactly, okay, yeah, yeah. Like, right. he looks off. Like, he's, he's about to take them off and then he pauses and he looks to All the right, crowd. I'll like, grant and you then, that. And then he gets the squeal, right? And then he, Okay, <laughs> sure. You bet. Uh, I won't agree. I won't. He's, uh, not, he's not shy about it. <laughs> it's, it's a it's a little strip tease. Exactly. And they are fucking bananas for it. It's like yeah. Ricky Morton, you know. But he's like, you know, the fresh faced yeah, college stud. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Just and these ladies love it. They're not shy. <laughs> We've talked a lot about that. So we get down to business. We get your usual collar and elbow. It uh, ends up they are wrestling, jostling, trying to get control, and they end up in the corner. Stephen Regal. We starts punching Sam Houston. The crowd is really hot for all this action. You would think this was the main event. It's it's pretty crazy. Sam Houston manages to reverse an Irish whip that Steve Regal puts on him, and Steve Regal throws himself into the turnbuckles and like brings his yeah, legs yeah, up yeah. fully vertical, you know, or, or, or uh, yeah, or rather horizontal, like yes. level of the ring. The way he basically he's halfway there and just like. Throws himself into the turnbuckles. Really takes <laughs> yeah. a great, big, wonderful bump. Sam Houston's in there throwing the right hands. Steve Regal lays on the mat. We have our first pin attempt, but he's able to kick out. The crowd is just going crazy, and Regal's on his knees already begging for mercy. <laughs> Sam Houston's able to put a side headlock. What we get is a sort of Houston, like you say, is playing to the crowd. He's got this, the way that somebody at center court looks left and right during a tennis match, they're looking left and they're looking right as the ball travels. Like Houston's doing a lot of that. He's looking left, like, you know, what should I do? Looking right. What should I do? What do you think? (laughs) So he's really, you know, as we said earlier, well, now he's not teasing the crowd, but he's really, really playing to them and they're eager for it, for sure. So he's got the excitement. The crowd is just putty in his hands. It's not too difficult, it seems, to uh, make a man run. So Regal just escapes the headlock by pushing Sam Houston off. 
we get a leapfrog, and uh, Sam Houston it, it apparently, I guess, went on mute, mute, or Regal stops listening because the footstops don't carry on. <laughs> Steve Regal, you know, after the leapfrog, Regal just stops. He's like smiling, celebrating, yeah, right. pointing yeah, at his yeah, brain, yeah, taunting yeah, the crowd yeah. like, aha, I'm him. He's gone. He disappeared. <laughs> and meanwhile, Sam Houston, instead of continuing to run the ropes, he just does the one step, yeah. turns around and waits for Regal to kind of like taunt the crowd, be cocky. Yeah. And uh, then T- Regal turns around for, oh, what? He's right there. And uh, <laughs> so we get a little fist pump from Houston and then a beautiful body slam. Yeah. I'm telling you, this the excitement from the crowd is, affects your enjoyment watching this match. I noticed the ropes had that kind of crazy noise, not quite as uh, amplified as uh, that other card, but still that weird jingly kind of wrangling noise. (laughs) You really do notice it when there's no commentary, that's for sure. Sam Houston is now in charge of the match. We get a side headlock takedown. Now they're going to catch a little bit of a breather. Yeah. And we still have a lot of Sam Houston looking to the crowd for encouragement. Now we have a repeat of the spot you were mentioning earlier that Tully and Sam did before, where this headlock is on the mat. The one guy's basically the receiver of the headlock, he's yes. got his belly on the ground. But if you, you know, shift your weight around and grab him by the trunks, you can get a quick uh, three yeah, count yeah, yeah, if, yeah, if the yeah. other guy's not careful. But because there's no commentary, you can really hear like, he's got my trunk, he's got my yeah, trunk, rap, rap, rap. Multiple. And I love it. He's, he's actually taking his arm, which is being pinned, and he's like, he's, he points out where the ref can see it, and he's like, pointing, and he's like, rap, yeah. he's got my tights, he's got my tights, he's got my tights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you should try to include a little of that audio yeah, because yeah. it's kind of unique. So. Yeah. <laughs> hey, ref, he's got my tights. Very fun. I um, almost thought it was a bit botchy, but I had originally found this tape, or or I, I found footage of this with some other guys commenting on it before I found the actual whole card was on the network and I had access to it. So I actually watched it with these kind of guys like, okay, uh, yeah. yeah, I like Sam Houston or, yeah, you know, yeah. like I like Manny Fernandez. So I watched a bunch yeah, of yeah. stuff trying to ignore these other, <laughs> I had commentary. <laughs> they didn't add a lot, but you know, I went back and watched a second time without the commentary, but uh, without the commentary, yeah, it was a lot of fun to see Sam pulling the attention of the referee to the cheating ways of Steve Regal who's trying right. to win the match <laughs> without honor. So they, they, were, they work their way back to their feet. Mr. Electricity Steve Regal is able to push Sam Houston off. We get a shoulder block. Steve Regal again boom, on the mat. Some more rope running. Steve Regal elbows Sam Houston and he goes down. Mm-hmm. Poor Sam Houston. He gets that pretty face slammed into some turnbuckles, <laughs> courtesy of Mr. Electricity. That's right. See all the girls like that. Yeah, and the heel is in charge for a while. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if we do get that, how you like him now? <laughs> you know, we, we hear that. I'm not sure if it's now, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it gets a good it was, taunt when yeah. it happens. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of that. Good heel tactics. He goes from, uh, you know, crosses the ring, one slam, and then he's like, let's go to the far corner for the extra momentum. Gives him another face slam. Sam Houston's uh, sells great. He goes limp like a cooked noodle. (laughs) We get a great suplex, and it results in a one, a two. uh, Sam Houston is able to kick out. A rear chin lock continues to wear down the young man. Sam Houston is appealing to the crowd 
for support. Yeah. And uh, Steve Real does say to the crowd, uh, to the ref, ask him, ask him. He's had enough. I got him. I got him. He ain't going nowhere. I got him. I heard him. I heard it. <laughs> the energy from the crowd does allow Sam Houston to struggle to his feet. And we end up in a wrist lock that looks like young, thin Sam Houston's over gonna po- going to overpower the more muscular, mature Steve Regal. And... A handful of hair will put an end to that rally, <laughs> yanks him back down. So we continue to uh, catch our breath while Regal is grinding his forearm into the chin and forehead of Sam Houston. Hebner, though, saw the hair pull, so it doesn't last. Yeah. So I, when I say continues, actually, I mean Hebner's like, yeah, there. So Regal <laughs> knows the jig is up. He gets up and he does a pretty cool where he kind of jumps up like just three inches off the mat, puts both his toes on your forehead and makes it look like all his weight is scraping your eyes and your forehead. It's it's a pretty good kind of toe scrape on the face. It's interesting watching this match. I kind of thought to myself, and I'd have to go look to really verify this, but it seems to me that like 1986 Earl Hebner looks a lot younger than 1988 Earl Hebner. (laughs) Like, you know, when he's the, when he's the double ref. (laughs) There were one or two moments where somebody must his hair and I was like, he looks like Scott Pilgrim in the, mo- yeah, in the yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Michael Sarah, whatever his name is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Steve Regal gets a really nice knee into the guts of Sam Houston off of an Irish whip, but Sam sells really well. He goes back down to the ground, and Steve Regal is stomping the young Texan, taunting the crowd, <laughs> picks him up for a really nice backbreaker. Sam, they, all the moves look like they hurt. Really good. Then they catch a little bit of uh, rest with a chin lock. Steve Regal does something you don't see every day. Irish whip, and he misses with his right arm clothesline. So he spins around, and you think he's going to eat something, you know, uh, like a flying forearm. Yeah. Instead, he crosses a traffic lane and gets a clothesline. Mm, yes, that's right. Yeah, with, yeah, yeah. He was like, nope, you're getting a clothesline with the right arm. Boom. Yeah. Instead of, like, you know, using the left, like, turn around, and now he's on the other side, you know, using the left. Anyway, just yeah. takes one step, and the clothesline lands. Boom. He's yeah. back down. It results in a pinfall attempt, but only a two count. They go back to their chin lock. We uh, have a little bit of a rest hold. Sam Houston is able to kick the mat slowly and get that momentum build to the crowd. Thump, 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 thump. He's very um, good. (laughs) Houston, he can work the crowd. He can really, and they're on his side. So uh, that happens. The crowd is clapping and it speeds up. And so Houston draws on their energy to get up to his feet. But we have another hair yank this time. Uh, it is not seen. And so the, the rest continues because Earl Hebner doesn't catch it. Mike Scott Pilgrim does not see the cheating ways. And so uh, Steve Regal's able to continue to control the pace and continue control Sam Houston. While he's kind of, you know, since... The rules are being broken. Sam Houston tries to get out of the hole by throwing a few punches while he's being, you know, headlocked or chinlocked. But Regal's like, forget that. He lets go full mount, pow, pow, pow. Just clobbers <laughs> yeah, Houston, yeah, who's like, Ugh, yeah. maybe it wasn't such a good idea. I remember that. Yeah, it was almost like he opened the door. Like, <laughs> oh, you right. want to start punching me? I'll start punching you. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Now it looks like he's the older, stronger man. Yeah, exactly. Giving him a clobber, like, well, so who that, threw some, some of that man strength? That's right. And ref's like, hey, hey, hey. You know, he's like, you started it. Perfect. <laughs> Referee's making account can't have those closed fists we get a suplex a suplex which is blocked because of course sam houston <laughs> of 
score Sam Houston. What? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it's uh, the, the blocking is for heels. Yeah. I mean, sir, blocking is for faces. Heels try to do things, and the faces can block it. When a face <laughs> tries to do something, and a heel tries to block it, the odds are very low that's going to go his favor in the long run. <laughs> this is storytelling. That's this right. is how evil is vanquished by good. It's science. <laughs> it's fairy tale science, and also Sam Houston. Sam Houston blocks a suplex, lands his own, and and the crowd is just insane. Like he's won the title, they're really going <laughs> crazy. Right. He starts throwing some big right hands. They're screaming and yelling. They've got Ricky Morton excitement for this guy. We have a big Irish whip, which uh, throws Regal another huge uh, turnbuckle to the back that he takes, and Sam Houston's right on him for a huge monkey flip. So he takes another big bump, and he's in the middle of the ring on his back. Mercy, Steve Regal begs. He just doesn't <laughs> want any more of this. We have a back body drop, which uh, Regal takes the worst end of, and he gets a Houston gets a two and a half count. Regal is begging, but no, he gets more punches for all his pleas for mercy. That doesn't work. <laughs> he gets this nice bit where if you're in the corner begging for mercy and you you stick your hands up, you grab the third rope, and then the guy grabs your feet, he can yank you out so that once again you're completely right, yeah. vertical, stretched out like at, at the same height as the third rope. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, you yeah, take yeah. the big splat onto the yeah, ground. On, yeah. Big percussive drum, yeah. That's right. So Houston yanks Regal out of the corner, a la the big boot yank. Wonderful. And Houston starts signaling for his bulldog. But yeah. as we've mentioned, Sam, you don't signal. You just got to yeah, pull yeah, it out yeah. of nowhere. Yeah. That's right. The sneaky Sam Houston bulldog yeah, he goes, is a good well, one. He goes for a traditional bulldog, which is the Barry Windham kind of bulldog. He just yeah. has him in the corner in a headlock and is trying to charge him out versus hitting him out of nowhere, you know, like Jake mm-hmm. would. With his DDT. And here's me thinking, oh, Steve Regal, you know, you, you didn't make a big splash in NWA. Like, yeah. this is not going to... Uh, here we go. Thank you, Mr. Electricity, for all the good times, especially that match with Buddy Lane in Winnipeg. <laughs> I remember you fondly. So Sam Houston charges out of the corner with his side headlock on Regal, who's being dragged along helplessly for the Bulldog. But no, the veteran pushes him off. And That's right. Sam Houston goes into the, kind of crumples up like a squashed mosquito into the turnbuckles. That's right. And then he falls onto his back. Steve Regal thinks, ah, he's wounded. So he takes the opportunity to pin him. And thankfully, Scott Pilgrim's in a bad position for the count. He can't see that Steve Regal puts his feet on the ropes for the extra leverage to pin the young man. And Sam Houston loses to Mr. Electricity. So before we watch this card, I seeing what we've seen the last couple of weeks, I was like, oh, Sam Houston's going to win this match because he's been getting a lot of momentum on TV. Like, despite what happened with Tully Blanchard, it's like that's Tully so high up the card that just, just having a good match against Tully is like a win for Sam Houston. Yeah, they're building so, him. And then when I got to this card, I did see the result before I watched the match, but it doesn't say much, right? I just knew that, I I knew that Regal won. So I was thinking to myself, you know, maybe Sam will hit that bulldog, but too close to the ropes. So we'll get the excitement, the pop from the crowd of the bulldog. But then, you know, Regal will escape because his foot was on the rope or something and then somehow get his cheeky, cheeky win. And we didn't get that. And what we, you know, we got an attempt at a bulldog. So it wasn't quite the same. So, yeah, it was interesting the way it kind of. Well, it's not over. It's not over because, you know, we have the whole pantomime where they've got to explain the whole crowd, right? No, no, no. (laughs) And so crowd, and like Sam, it's all through gesturing. Yes. So Sam's like, look what, you know, over here, like these people. And then these, you know, the the crowd are like, ah. And then Sam gets down, does the push up where he's got his feet on the rope acting out what Regal did. That's right. Yeah. And Regal, for some reason, he's watching this all take place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you think he should be soaping up in the showers, you know. Yeah, it's like the ring announcer already announced you the winner. Get out of there. Yeah. 
And so, you know, Hebner comes over. He's like, hey, did you put your penis? He's like, no, 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 I didn't do that. No way. And we have that whole bit. And then Houston gets on the mic and he gets the crowd to start chanting, Regal, Regal. And Regal takes the bait. He gets taunted back into the yeah, ring. Yeah. Now you're thinking maybe the bulldog. And I'm actually thinking, wait a minute. You can't. No, 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 no. You can't. Like, I'm thinking if a bulldog is going to count to one, two, three. I don't want Regal to lose now. They can't take it away. That's cruel. Yeah, yeah. So, no, but they, him trying to get away, I don't know why it reminds me of the in 1993. There was a playoff hockey series between the Montreal Canadiens and the Quebec Nordiques, and it went to it went to like it went to overtime. Almost every game went to overtime, and the deciding game, the Montreal Canadiens scored, and you see the coach, he's like rushing everybody off the bench back to the the dressing room, and the goal gets called back, so they have to come back. <laughs> but it was so great because you see him just like, come on, let's get out of here. <laughs> we'll, we'll be on the bus before they can figure it out. <laughs> I love it. The game was not able to continue that's right well um regal gets in there and they do mix it up but the happy ending that the crowd wants yeah. is that he loses the ensuing fisticuffs and he you know rolls on after taking you know yeah regal's got to get out of there because it doesn't take about... a bulldog no but he does you know get eat some fists yeah and so you know he's on his way out and he goes sam houston ain't nothing as, he's, <laughs> as he leaves and uh i really enjoyed this match I, I i had a great time watching one of my old awa heels win and yeah. work the crowd and the crowd was really excited for it that's right yeah fun stuff good opener uh stronger opener than the previous regal match because he had the denny brown match in the in the july 5th card so this one was a little bit better because the crowd's more behind Sam Houston than they ever could be. And they were pretty behind Danny Brown, to be honest. But I mean, like, not in this way, not this sort of. And yet, this young Sam Houston, I mean, you got to say it. I mean, kind of looks like Shawn Michaels in a way. Like, you know, there's like a sure. there's similarity, right? Like, oh, yeah. And you can yeah. see, like, you can see some of the reason why the crowd would be, you know, cheering for him so much and so yeah. excited well, I'm for him. now uh, much more impressed. I, I hadn't seen these matches and just seen that he, he had such a great ability to work a crowd. Yeah, for sure. Okay, moving into the next match, we got a tag team matchup. Not high, not the highest thing up on the card, that's for sure, but an interesting match nonetheless. They've kind of just thrown two heels together. Uh, we have the Paul Jones Army, but for some reason we have a member of the Paul Jones Army, the Barbarian, and he's with Black Bart. And as far as I know from what we've seen, Black Bart doesn't really have any affiliation with them. They're just heels that have been put together. Two big, mean, badass guys. Yeah, correct. So the Barbarian in this era, I always get a little thrown off because of he's got this sort of like beard happening, but without a mustache. And it's like, it's a bit of a strange look. I'd have to go look at like, you know, his, his 87, 88, 89 look as the bar, you know, as the Barbarian and kind of like, if I don't think he even had a beard or something, I think he just had the Road Warrior face paint and I, you know, I'd have to go look at exactly what it is, but it really throws me off that just the sort of, you know, just the beard sent you without the mustache makes him look a little different. So the fan favorites come to the ring first. And we have two lesser knowns. So we've got Denny Brown, who we saw on the July 5th card as the light heavyweight champion. He's got that really awkward looking belt. It's got that weird kind of like fake crown thing sticking out of it. It's not a good looking belt. <laughs> I'm, no. not a, I'm not much of a belt guy, but I do not like big this belt. prongs, yeah. Yeah. It looks like you would uh, poke you, except for I think there are big balls on it. Yeah, it's almost, almost, you, yeah, it's almost like tinfoil looks like it's Carved, sticking out or something yeah cartoony looking belt. yeah it's not a good looking belt so yeah he's got a robe and uh, he's got some blue trunks i think blue boots or whatever he's got on and then we have the italian stallion who's coming out sort of flying his country's colors or his tights kind of have the italian flag colors and he's got a pretty nice jacket that says italian stallion he's a very thick stocky guy with a bit of a i guess he's got a, maybe a mullet or something i guess it would be described as haircut danny aiello in his prime yeah that's right if he was a wrestler <laughs> uh, slash football 
<laughs> linebacker. He's a very big guy. So one of my favorite things is, I think that very somebody big. wrote out the cue card that like the, the ring announcer Tom Miller uses to make the ring announcements because he announces the wrestlers and says, and with Paul Jones, and Paul Jones is nowhere to be seen. <laughs> like I rewound it and looked again, and I'm like, nope, Paul Jones isn't there. So I think that somebody wrote out his card, you know, in advance to introduce him. Right. Paul Jones is supposed to be out there, but he's not. So it's kind of funny that he's like announcing somebody that's not even there. Yeah, well, I guess maybe he's like, I'm not putting in four appearances. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he stands out like he stands out like a sore thumb, you know, in the in the Baron match being in his corner because he's yeah. got that wacky outfit on. So it's not like you, you'd have a hard time finding him. If he was there, yeah. you'd see him. <laughs> I will just kind of skip through the match a bit, not going to go heavy blow for blow here at all. Very, quite the opposite. But, uh, you know, the first half of the match is the two good guys, you know, doing a lot of legal tags, quick tags, and they're really working the arm and sort of befuddling the barbarian and the and black Bart who aren't getting much offense in at all. They're just sort of having to continually take arm ringers and arm bars and uh, the odd drop kick here and there. And the crowd sort of, you know, is into these guys. You know, they Denny Brown has his fans. They obviously are familiar with him and Italian Stallions, what he is. They do finally get the heat, let's call it, on Denny Brown. And there's a good long stretch in the match where the Barbarian and Black Bart take turns battering Denny Brown and just kind of beating him up over and over again. And the big sort of momentum shift in this match comes when Black Bart goes up to the second rope, to Brett's rope. <laughs> He's going to land this devastating video game style leg drop off, off the second rope, but he misses. <laughs> and he takes a really great butt bash, butt bump. And Denny Brown's able to stagger to his corner and fall into the corner to tag in the Italian Stallion for what I'm going to call one of the weirdest hot tags I've ever seen. So the Italian Stallion comes in and he tries to kick Black Bart, but he's too far away. So it's like, uh, he can't quite reach. His foot doesn't quite get there. And he starts throwing punches and then he runs over and he punches the Barbarian on the apron and he runs over and punches Black Bart. And then they each get a drop kick and he and he's on fire. <laughs> and then he... Uh, all it takes is Black Bart stands up and gives him an eye rake and then delivers one suplex, tags in the Barbarian who from the apron goes straight to the top rope and delivers his like awesome patented top rope flying headbutt smash and just crushes the Italian Stallion and pins him one, two, three. Like Denny Brown <laughs> put up with so much punishment and kept going. The dude took a press slam, took all this different stuff. And meanwhile, Italian Stallion's like one eye rake, one suplex, you're done. Because <laughs> that's the like, only damage he took the whole match until he got the headbutt. Yeah, well, second card on the match. We weren't expecting great things. And for whatever reason, the Italian Stallion was not given a push. And, he, no, you know, yeah. it's all about that. You know, maybe he didn't want to, you know, do more than be a, you know, opening match kind of guy. You know, you never know what, what's going on behind right, the scenes. Right, yeah, yeah, I yeah, I don't, I don't, the only thing I know, the only thing I know of him outside of you know just what I've seen of him on TV was Arn Anderson describing his uh, extracurricular uh, activities as a sort of a mob boss kind of like uh, you know tough guy or something like that, working for <laughs> working for some organized people, and you didn't really want to mess him in real life. So uh, that's that's interesting because you, you know out of all these wrestlers, you don't look at him and go, oh boy, he's the scariest. But no know. kidding. Uh, Barbarian, I also wish that he had uh, better luck in his career because there's nothing really, there's nothing ostensibly wrong with a Barbarian. He's got this incredible physique. He's yes. agile. He can come off the, the ropes. Yeah. And we, uh, see, we see it in this match. He does a great, his front kick. Yeah. You know, he can do those press slams. His uh, power slam looked awesome, you know? Yeah. I presume he's not a great talker. We no, never, he's not. We yeah. didn't get to hear him ever. <laughs> yeah, he talks very little, very little. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But under different circumstances, he could have been 
put forward as champion. He's got the look and the size and yeah, the skills. Yeah, they just never positioned him as a monster per se. I really liked at one point in their career, they had actually put the Barbarian and Haku together as a tag team. And I was like, that's a great, you know, they're great. That's that's awesome yeah, together, that, you know. They could and have like, really been a believable, yeah. unstoppable. Yeah, and there was like force. they and they, you know, there was a WrestleMania match against the Rockers, and I was just like, the Rockers went down to everybody. <laughs> everybody beat the Rockers. And then like that was their that was the Rockers one, you know, big big pay-per-view win was over these guys. And I was like, What's not these guys? These guys uh, are like, you know, too bad. The monsters of all monsters. They look great together. Yeah. Yeah. And making him an animal ripoff, uh, you know, uh, yeah. you, you know, what a pity. That's right. Okay, so that's going to bring us to another rematch from the July 5th card, but we've got a different stipulation. So we see uh, a ring attendant setting up, uh, what, is, what do you call it, a pole, I guess, Jeff? Yeah, there is. Yeah, I would call that a pole. Yeah. A large piece of metal that is roundish and tubular shaped. <laughs> and they put a black glove on it, and it is a, a coal miner's glove. Loaded glove match or something. Yeah, yeah. loaded glove, uh, maybe also known as coal miners. I've definitely heard that term before, but I think they called this one a loaded glove match. And at the end, of it, it kind of just looks like it's a leather glove. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, the, the brass knuckles are somehow sewn in. That's it's, right. It's the roll of dimes. Can't see it. Just believe us, it's loaded. It's loaded. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it, indeed, they affix uh, its way up there. So you have to be standing on the top rope yeah, and the, reaching the, over the, your the head to get top, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's um, that's correct. And here again, we get to see an AWA familiar face, Baron von Raschke, who I didn't really know had uh, much time at all in the NWA. Yeah. But of course, that may be the fact that Pro Wrestling Illustrated chose not to pay much attention to his brief run in NWA. Um, because that's how I was getting most of my information for sure in 86. You yes, know, I yeah, wasn't, there was yeah. nothing I was watching on TV no. telling me about NWA. It's a different vibe. These guys disrobing, taking off their wrestling gear. It is not Chippendales any longer. <laughs> you know, you could say, you know, to quote some literature, all quiet on the Western front. <laughs> no, <laughs> when yeah, Baron yeah. Von Raschke's taking off his big long robe. Yeah. Von Raschke, in case you don't know, he is um, shaved bald, yeah. tall guy, not very cut, but... Yeah, it doesn't look he, athletic or strong. Like, no, but he, you know, but any guy who's 6'3 and 280, you're thinking yeah, that's right, is yeah. strong enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and this looks more like the Baron too, because with the one we saw on July fifth, he's dressed up in his silly bunkhouse clothing with the the jeans and the yeah. you know the t shirt. That's not and, my yeah, Baron. Yeah, this this at least he's actually got his normal outfit on. Yeah, and we see more of his in ring shtick. Yeah, he's got the uh, the long black pants with a red stripe. Yeah, he doesn't wear anything uh, above the waist. Clean shaven, bald head. Uh, he does have that red and black robe, yep. and as he's getting introduced, he does one goose step and then presents the claw. That's right. The claw master <laughs> is what we knew uh, Baron von Raschke as. Yep. And and you know if we haven't said it already, for some reason, it's the Germans who have the claw, right? Fritz von Erich, That's Baron right, yep. von Raschke, yep. and they both use the claw. The iron claw, would they would say from the von Erich's case, not so much the Baron. He just yep. has the claw. Yep. And he always puts his with his on, on your temples. That's right. Like the face hugger from Aliens. That's right, yeah. His opponent, Manny Fernandez, actually, he has chaps like Sam Houston, but yep. nobody's... <laughs> Nobody wants to see him come off. <laughs> They're not screaming. They, they love him in a more of a Dusty Rhodes way. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. not... Uh, but I've never really had much time for Manny Fernandez because I just wasn't experienced or, or, or subject to uh, him doing his thing. So, actually, he is quite good in this match. And the crowd, they like him. He's another Texan, so I guess yeah. you have to wear the chaps as you're, if you're Texan. He... Uh, has a sparkly kind of top 
with uh, like a vest and and the black leather chaps. Uh, no country for old men because the crowd is just like <laughs> you know they're here for. In this case, it's a wrestling match, not a uh, college calendar stud <laughs> layout with Sam, starring Sam Houston. And one thing I notice is that they don't say Manny Fernandez. The the ring announcer, anyway, just right. says Raging Bull. Okay. And then I uh, didn't really pay enough attention. Oh, wait, there is no commentary. So Manny Fernandez has never said. There's no commentary, and the ring, the ring announcer says Raging Bull before and after. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. The man with no name. <laughs> and you mentioned that Jones is wearing an odd outfit. He's got his riding crop, and he's got white trunks, rather tights, you know, full-length White, you know, he looks like he could get into the ring. And then he's just got a gray polo, short sleeve polo shirt. Right. Odd. It's like, you know, uh, the, the Paul Jones Army brought to you by corporate up top and wrestler yeah, yeah, down re- below. Re- ready for some, uh, what do you call it? Uh, <laughs> polo. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah. You said that shirt, and I didn't hear it, obviously. Crop. Yeah, he's definitely go. got, <laughs> he's just missing the, the, the hat, you know, for the show jumping. So indeed, the announcer mentions that uh, whoever gets the loaded glove can use it. And it will not be illegal. Mm, yeah. It always is fun. The way they say it almost makes it sound like whoever gets it first can use it. And does that mean that the other person can't? Like, you know, like if you take it away from the other guy that you get disqualified if you used it. it almost, good you know, point. It almost sounds like that. It's, that's never the way it is. <laughs> right. But it almost sounds like it'd be you get the nightstick and you can use the nightstick. But that's I right. can't use the nightstick. And then the ref will take it away. It's like, no, only him. <laughs> only him. <laughs> So the match starts, and Baron Von Raschke gets the early lead. He's clubbing Manny with some forearms. But they don't look particularly stiff, but... Yeah, he never looks super powerful, but he his blows look more effective in this match than they did, you know, on the July 5th one. The July 5th one, Baron's really wasn't his, wasn't his day. You know, it did, did, nothing he did in that match looked like it was... Right, well, it's know. a slow start here. These are kind of soft. Yeah. And uh, we're going to see a lot of snap mares in this match. I don't know if the guys, they just don't want you to like, okay, you're going to the mat, but I'm not picking you up. You know, you just (laughs) go get there yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Rashke gives a snap mare to Manny Fernandez. Well, I guess maybe he's only the raging bull in in, uh, NWA, but that puts him to the mat. They call Manny Manny Fernandez for sure, but yeah. Von Rashke puts a knee into Manny's back, which he sells and throws his arms out. Well, speaking of the snap mare, did you know what the uh, Dory Funk Sr., what his ranch was called? Like before we we got the Double Cross Ranch, did you know what the ranch was called? Snap mare man? The, fly, the flying mare ranch, yeah. The flying, flying mare. mare, yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know what the flying mare is as far well, as the move. It's a snap mare, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Ah, I see. Flying mare is a snap mare. Very good. Well, he bookends the, the uh, little... Spot with uh, some more clubs Von Raschke does, slamming his forearms into Manny Fernandez. He picks him up, and Von Raschke throws Manny Fernandez face first into the turnbuckle. But no women are pleading for mercy. (laughs) No women are weeping. Another snapmare. Manny's face can take it. (laughs) Another snapmare, and Von Raschke's in control. He gets up and takes his time and delivers two elbow drops. They both connect, and Manny's definitely hurt. Yeah. Von Raschke decides, hey, I'll go for the glove. So he gets up there and he manages to get to the second turnbuckle and he is stopped by the Raging Bull (laughs) who actually gets, uh, climbs to the second rope himself, even though Von Raschke's above him and he gives him a few chops to the chest. That's right. We have a snapmare from the face to the heel, an Irish whip and a reverse elbow, which drops Von Raschke. The Baron goes down. Manny decides to do a uh, run for the glove. Yes. And actually a really cool spot here. Manny 
climbs up so that he's up on the on the uh, on the third rope. Yeah. But he's uh, you know got one hand on the pole, and of course his back is to the center of the ring. Oh yeah, yeah, I know you're yeah. going here. Yeah. So here's Von Raschke coming up behind him, and he does a backwards jump down. Yeah, he kind and, of leapfrogs backwards off uh, the top yeah, rope. <laughs> which is pretty good for a guy who I'm sure is 260 pounds or something like that. Yeah, he's a heavy guy. Yeah. He doesn't quite stick the landing, but that's okay because what he does is a backwards somersault roll. Yes. And he finishes that with an awesome elbow that the Baron obligingly runs into. <laughs> so this brings me to, you know, it like he... I think he improvised the backward somersault roll. Yeah, maybe you know. he was going to fall, so he just thought, like, go with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's happened to me twice, actually. <laughs> More than once uh, have I inadvertently found myself, you know, in a position where that was the solution, the backwards roll. So yeah, I yeah. was that show Gold Thumb that I was telling you about. I was in a dance number and I had my microphone because this was before we had them taped to our face. I actually had a handheld microphone. At least it was cordless. Yeah. Anyway, I was singing Jumpin' Jack Flash, rocking out. And I used to do these, you know, David Lee Roth kicks or, you know, (laughs) one third of what he could do. (laughs) I was having a good time. It was New Year's Eve, so there was confetti on the stage. So I did my big rock and roll kick as I'm singing my rock and roll song. And my other foot slips up from under me. Bump on my ass in front of like 300 people in my big moment of glory. (laughs) So without wanting to concede the, the flub, the botch, I just... Took I I made it all one movement. I took the bump, <laughs> took the bump on my ass, and did a backward somersault and rolled back up to my knees as I did kind of a John Travolta from Grease, you know, Grease Lightning, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. pointing my finger, the one free hand. I'm just like <laughs> rocking out, yeah, and kept on singing. No acknowledgement that I had just fallen right on my ass. Another time that I did this, did that, it was kind of funny. We were all hanging out, the fellas, me okay. and Corey and the boys. I mean, because I came along to this group of friends, you know, a little bit later, and these fellas guys were in my basement. So, you know, I became friends with the fellas with sort of the chronology of it while we were like 16, 17. I told you how Corey and I met through the wrestling, but yeah. still it was more through this group that I saw. Well, suddenly Corey was in my house at the time <laughs> a lot playing D&D or whatever. Yeah. And sometimes if it wasn't D&D, you know. Watching movies. Yeah, or yeah, whatever. And, and eventually it became me he was visiting instead of visiting this guy, Kenny. But there was one time where we were all hanging out and I was sitting in like Fantasy Island, bamboo chair, you know, Mr. Rourke. (laughs) And uh, it was old and weathered. (laughs) And uh, so one time I sat down in it rather heavily (laughs) and my ass crashed through all the wicker. (laughs) And next thing you know, like I'm like, I'm folded in two, you know, you know, I'm inside this wicker (laughs) thing. And. It like falls, it teeters over backwards, you know, like, and so I know that I'm like, I'm kind of trapped by, you know, the bamboo and the wicker, you know, (laughs) so I end up like teetering over backwards with the chair, but you know, because I can feel the momentum, I do the same thing. I roll out of it into a, into a backwards roll. And then Corey couldn't help saying what, you know, I loved it because, you know, most people aren't going to say something like this, but this is my memories. You were like, oh, you're so cool. (laughs) It was like right out of a Ferris Bueller movie. And I was like, yes, I am. Whereas all the other guys are like, yeah, yeah, whatever, big deal. You you know, you turned a flubbed into a, you know, into a save, into a rescue. 
So those are my backwards. That damn chair, that was the start of the switches. That's when they got ah, <laughs> That's right. Switches. A bunch of whacking each other, you know, like with, with these um, yeah. bamboo shoots. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it hurt. Switches. That's right. <laughs> Jeff had a more recent uh, backwards spill. That was at Graham's birthday party. <laughs> there was there was no rolling backwards out of it though. <laughs> but I just <laughs> you, your, your chair tipped over. <laughs> Jesus, I must have been really drunk. I don't. Did I do the whole somersault? Oh no. <laughs> there was no way to. I think it was like up against a tree, pretty much. You was no. You were kind of like fell backwards and nowhere to go other than <laughs> nowhere to go. Nowhere to go, but back up the way you came. <laughs> right. Yes, indeed. Okay, well, back to the match. The crowd gave him lots of respect for this uh, athletic feat, this very agile jumping backwards, even if he had to roll back and uh, backwards for the for the proper finishing. We get another snapmare from Manny. That's where I start to notice that they're uh, not body slamming each other. They're Every time they want the other guy on the mat, it's a snapmare. Yeah. And I'm thinking the guys are maybe just a little... Baron's a little bit older, or maybe, yeah. and anyway, but Beat up uh, from their tour, the Great American Bash tour, and all these different shows, and too many bumps, too many cards. However, Manny does this great Brett rope, a second rope knee drop, and he like travels like two thirds of the ring to uh, oh, yeah. a, a flying second rope knee drop. Was really good from Manny. I, I was impressed by that. And then he decides that he's going to climb, uh, you know, this time for real because the other one was a fake out. Right. So he starts to climb the glove, the loaded glove, but no, it's. So you get he starts getting some boots by Baron von Raschke. He, he doesn't get very far. He gets pulled back down, and and, and that's when the the boots begin. We get a backbreaker from Baron von Raschke. We get knees yeah. from the Baron. The the heel is in control of the match. Lots of clubs. We have him using the ropes that those audible ropes, those rattly shaky ropes, to choke Manny Fernandez. And then the the crowd is really into this match. They start chanting. Yeah. Uh, you can hear it slowly building. I finally actually I had to read somewhere else what it is. They're chanting "bald headed geek." Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just like the I'm whole boogie woogie storyline. Yeah. Okay, I guess that's what. But but, yeah. but Von Raschke is the only bald one. You are right, but there's been these haircut matches. So like in July 5th card, remember Shasko got his head shaved. Uh-huh. And, and and they kept saying, oh, I'm going to make a bald headed geek. Uh, David Crockett even, or no, Jimmy Jim Crockett Jr., he's even on the one uh, syndicated TV show we watched. He says, we got another bald headed geek. So it's just the whole thing over the course of the bash that uh-huh. whoever gets their head shaved is a bald headed geek. I see. Well, careful what you call for. Yeah. It's really loud. Jones manages to uh, take advantage of a distracted referee to use his riding crop to choke the raging bull That's who's right. got his yeah, head sticking yeah, out yeah. the rope. But, but it's more than that because it's almost like he's holding him down, which would allow the Baron to go get the glove. You know, like he's Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's neat. It's it's a double. It's 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 two things. He's choking him behind the ref, but he's also like holding him down. <laughs> right. Well, he regrets it because Manny gives him an upside down punch. <laughs> That's right. And Paul, uh, Paul Jones like goes reeling because uh, he yeah. gets some pretty good offense considering he's on his back getting choked from behind. That's right. And Manny does manage to catch up with the Baron, who's now at the top rope practically got the glove now they have to be he starts off with a nut shot which i would associate with rick flair in many cases where yeah, you know, yeah. from behind you just basically yeah, put your elbow up. yeah and the guy's crotch so baron gets that to stop his claiming the glove stop him from <laughs> claiming the glove and then they do a very careful turnaround body slam yes yeah it takes a long time to position yeah. baron for it but yeah. he does it yeah and he's got to grab a handful of hair just so he can post you know and get yeah, his that's balance right. yeah but they do. He takes it. Good old Baron actually yep, comes up and takes the, the body slam from the top rope. Yeah. And the crowd is going crazy. They really love it. 
And here we have what I think is uh, the Raging Bull's finisher. It's kind of like Tito's flying forearm, but he does the elbow, reverse elbow, as you would say, yeah, I think, yeah. another time. Right. So, you know, Baron's running out of gas. He's running the ropes, but he's like, plod, plod, plod <laughs> to run the ropes. And then we get this, you know, flying <laughs> flying burrito, did somebody say online, maybe? But anyway, <laughs> flying elbow. Somebody might have said that. Yeah, yeah. Flying botch, actually. It really, Baron Von Raschke kind of turns at the wrong moment. And yeah, so, uh, that's right. It doesn't look good. Yeah, it doesn't have, it doesn't la- look like it lands with the impact because no. Baron doesn't, can't, Baron can't really pull off his part, which is the, you know, the taking the bump. <laughs> it still results in a two count. Then we have an Irish whip into the corner. The Baron takes the turnbuckles into the back. And as Manny Fernandez is running in to squash him, he, Rolls out of the way, and Manny hits the turnbuckles. This allows Baron Von Raschke at last. I think Manny really throws himself in hard. Yeah. He kind of dives in, almost like he's doing a splash or something. Yeah, I almost thought he was going to hit the post. Yeah. I don't think he did. He does not. No. Anyway, this is great. We're five minutes into the match, we hear shortly. And, uh, aha, we get three goose steps and the claw. Yeah. Now, I came along when Baron Von Raschke had turned face. So whenever I saw him apply the claw, somebody gave up right away or there was cheating so that he couldn't win the match with his yes. finisher. Like, the claw was the DDT of its Yeah, it was pretty devastating in AWA in like yeah. the early 80s, late 70s. Yeah, like for sure. Because that was his, you know, his best feature, That's you know, right, yeah. was that Baron Von Raschke had this finisher that could take yeah, out anybody. He had, this, he had this grip strength that you couldn't yeah. get out of, yeah. So it's wonderful to see him as a heel. You know, yeah, put this yeah. on Manny Fernandez and somehow stealthily Manny Fernandez blades. And uh, it isn't long before the yeah. claw has got, you know, oh, it, looks de- it looks starts to look kind of devastating when you yeah. see the claw on top of the blood. And yep. so it's like, it must be hard. It probably gets a little harder to hold on to the move, though, as the sweat and the blood's flowing. Then all of a sudden it's probably like, you know. Yeah, and it lasts quite a while. So it's not so much a submission move the way we saw it. People were like, no, I can't stand it. It's just more like hanging in there. I can it's do it. I can- yeah, I'm going to make yeah. you pass out maybe. <laughs> yeah. Like a figure four, it's not like you give up as soon as it's put on. Yeah. You know, you might even lose to pinfall by, you know, by a figure four. Yeah. Anyway, so as he's rallying, we find out that Manny Fernandez is a Dio fan. <laughs> or that maybe these are bullhorns, not devil horns. It's, he's getting his crowd strength by doing the, you know, Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The hand signal. <laughs> not so much the thumb. I couldn't quite tell. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So he does manage to get some energy from the crowd. What is that? Is that like rock on? What's, this? What's the sort of universal symbol for that? Or like. Well, you put your index and your pointed finger out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you put your thumb out, that's like, isn't that like, uh, you know, heavy metal, man? Yeah, yeah. You know, devil horns. As the crowd's getting excited, the Baron is telling them to shut up. So it's <laughs> it's great to see the uh, Baron Von Raschke in his natural environment as a heel. That's right, yes. So I like that a lot. Uh, at one point, what's great also is that Manny Fernandez manages to maneuver himself into a position where he hip tosses Baron Von Raschke, but he holds on to the claw. <laughs> and so we're back to the whole of the ref asking the Raging Bull if he's going to quit. And he's bleeding profusely, like Corey said. So it really looks like, uh, it looks great. And also, oh my God, he just looks like a waterfall. The sweat is dripping yes. on, off Van Raschke's head. He is yeah. really giving up the fluid. It's crazy. Uh, the Von Raschke, let's go of the claw. He, he decides he's going to go for the glove and he stomps on his opponent three times before he decides to go up the pole and he manages to get the glove. That's right. And he comes down and he puts it on. He gives the Raging Bull a kick and an Irish whip winds up for a big punch. <laughs> I was and like, I was like, why did he go for an Irish whip? Like, why isn't the first thing you do punch him with the bloated glove? <laughs> That's great. Right, indeed. Well, 
tactical mistake right there, McMahon. That's right. He's a veteran. So, <laughs> Manny Fernandez ducks the punch, and he manages to pull a flying body press that gets the one, two, three, and pinfall the victory for Manny Fernandez. Wow. Uh, but the heels aren't done. Oh, yeah. They're furious. So now the loaded glove comes into play because yeah. Paul Jones gets in there and starts kicking him. He in is so fun. fast. Like, I always think of him as being super injured at this point in his career, and he's, that's why he's managing and not wrestling. But the speed at which he slides under those ropes and is already stomping on Manny. Like, yeah, you know, the it's moment instantaneous. It's, the moment the three count happens, he's, he's kicking Manny's ass. Yeah, because it's more like Baron is surprised, not hurt, you yes, know, by the exactly. body press. Yeah, he gets caught. Exactly. So they beat the crap out of Manny. And yeah. then it looks like we're really going to get... Uh, he's going to get his clock cleaned. Once again, he Irish whips him. Yeah. The Bon Rashke, what, the glove, and he's going to wind up and just clobber Manny Fernandez as he comes back. But hero Scott Pilgrim, Earl Hebner, pulls down the second <laughs> rope so that Manny doesn't bounce off them. He kind of yeah. falls through the ropes under the apron uh, okay. yeah, and escapes. Yeah, yeah. So the ref saves our heel, our, yeah. our face, our face. And then Manny Fernandez gets his arm raised as the victor, right. as the heels are theirs. Triumphant, you know, from the cheating beaten up at the end. But Manny Fernandez, who they announce again as the winner is Raging Bull. And the yeah. crowd all cheers. Crowd all cheers. <laughs> Jones and Rashke try to claim victory in the ring. I love it. <laughs> I actually was expecting great um, match. I was expecting a save, so I thought that there was a point where the crowd seemed like they were swelling up while that was happening, and I thought maybe maybe the boogeyman was coming, you know, because that's his feud right there. So, but uh, nope, no such luck for Manny. <laughs> Manny doesn't apparently he doesn't have that kind of a friendship with uh, Boogie. I uh, enjoyed this match a lot more than I thought I might. It was good to see Von Rashke as a heel. Yeah. And uh, even though he lost, he didn't have to lose face, really. He got lots of offense in, and he, That's you right. know, it yeah. was great. Yeah, left Manny bleeding. <laughs> Stained the, that dyed hair of his, so. Okay, we have next, it's a repeat from our July 5th card. It is Wahoo McDaniel versus Jimmy Garvin in a strap match. So we're going to take a look at that. It's it's really enjoyable. Uh, it is hard not to compare the two matches, but uh, that's okay. They they definitely, like I said, they're playing to that audience, to that crowd that they're that night. They're not worried about the idea that, hey, you know, somebody else already saw this match 20 days ago or whatever. So, But it's a lot of fun. So we're to Tom Miller and his introductions in the ring. And it's, you know, the one difference between this match and the July 5th is the the outfit on Jimmy Carfin really stands out. So he's got this, like, purple, shiny, glittery pants and suspenders, and I don't know, what, what else can I say about it? Well, there was once upon a time where you could have a living as a dancer on TV. Yeah. that You know, and, and they would be wearing these kind of crazy outfits. It was in the 70s, <laughs> yeah, and they yeah. had these... Really odd, and they were always, you know, often really sparkly and showy and glitzy. Yeah. And people would have a variety show, and they they would have the, you know, the Lawrence Welk dancers, or, or I don't right. even, you know, just yeah. he looks like he's ready to, you know, yeah, do those a dance music number. shows like where they have like the, the you know, the solid band, gold whatever. had the dancers. Yeah, exactly, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, so he looks like a solid gold dancer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's even got some like purple arm bracers on, I think, and like white gloves or something. And it's yeah, he's just it's all very showy. Precious has got sort of this multicolored jacket, which is almost as glittery as, as Jimmy's pants, but yeah. I don't know if anything can Darker. match it. Yeah. Darker, yeah, yeah. And Wahoo's got his full headdress on. Beautiful and, feather chief headdress, yeah. yeah. you got to think like, wow, to store that and to not damage it must Yeah, that must have been of... difficult to like carry. I guess there's a proper maybe case yeah. to carry it around in or something like that. Be. But yeah, they announce him as the greatest Indian wrestler of all time. You know, you know it's, and the crowd loves him. 
and uh, he's he's ready to go. Like he's he's got the strap around his wrist and he's holding on to it. And Jimmy Garvin's all about the stall. <laughs> and we're talking a long stall right. here. But let's say you know it's precious. She's yeah. running the show That's for the right. first five minutes of this spectacle. And yeah, she's so great to sneer on her face. Yes. you know towards everything and everybody that's not all about her man that's you right know, is so great so she's just got this she was awesome and she's really beautiful too you know so it's really funny so in july the july 5th card there was a similar you know pre-match shenanigans where basically like precious and jimmy just couldn't keep their hands off each other and it was just smooch fest so in that match Wahoo had me laughing really hard because a couple times he comes over and he just he would use the excess reach from the strap he'd fold it over like a whip and then he'd slap Jimmy Garvin across the back while he was kissing with Precious and we were getting some really good laughs out of that this time he's a little bit less into that but he does do it a couple of times and it's really funny because on July 5th after he gave Jimmy one or two of those good slaps to break up the kissing Precious got in his face and Wahoo threatened her with the strap, but she she got away. You know, she like, and she, you know, screeched and yelled at him. This time, it's a very similar thing, except for when she turns her back. <laughs> Wahoo gives her a little slap on the back. Oh, it's so <laughs> funny. Yeah, she's really uh, just asking for it. And he, yeah. he obliges. And, yeah, and when she whips him across... When he whips her across the bum, she's like, ouch! She just, yeah. like, launches into the air. Yeah. Oh, it is really funny. And and there's a moment where she's in the corner with Jimmy, and he, like, he takes her in the corner and, you know, stands in front of her to protect her. But after a couple of seconds with Wahoo coming over, there's, it's almost a, you know, Macho Man Elizabeth moment where, like, Jimmy puts precious back in front of him because he's, like, he's not ready to fight, and he doesn't really want to fight. True. It's, however, Elizabeth... And Precious, they couldn't oh, very be, different, yes. They couldn't be further from no, each no. other in personality. But yeah, in Garvin, presentation, yeah. yeah. So just for that one second, I didn't catch that vibe. Yeah. I, I you know, sh- she's a lot like Queen Sherry, but yeah. Queen Sherry sometimes was difficult to listen to. You know, I guess that yeah, was, and that was like, on purpose. You know, like yeah. she was trying; she's trying to annoy you and trying yeah. to be, you know, trying to get heat. And, and Sherry Martell was much more physically capable of getting in there and roughing it up with the guys. I mean, she yeah. could throw punches and take take body slams and you know, Precious, knock out Hogan. Precious, exactly. Precious isn't going to be you know taking a punch from anybody. But so I may be getting this out of order. But there's a really funny moment. Well, I, funny might not be the right word, but there's a very suggestive moment, let's call it. So there's more delaying, and Jimmy's still got to get his pants off. And so they position it so that Precious, you know, goes down in the corner on her knees in front of him, like, you know, and you can... Very suggestive. Very suggestive. Now, Jeff, do you remember there was a Nintendo boxing game around 1988 called King of the Ring? And these yeah. guys had really big heads and like really small bodies. Do you remember that, that yeah. game at all? Yeah, I know the lore. Okay, so for people who don't know the game, it was a fun little game. I remember getting it on a trip to Grand Forks, so one of those you know vaunted trips to Grand Forks. I was <coughs> sick the next day, if you get my drift. Uh, I got to stay home from school and play my game. My mom didn't uh, somehow fell for that that trick, but uh, anyways. the uh, What a coincidence. There we go. <laughs> but so one of the things in that game was is that during each 
break, you know, there's rounds in boxing, obviously, and what they would do is you could recover your health partially between each round by button bashing those poor little Nintendo controllers as hard as you could, as fast as you could for your 30 second break or whatever it was. But what was going on is that your character had like this corner person and it was this woman, but she was like in overalls, but didn't really seem to have a top on. It was, and she would get down on her knees and her head would sort of bob in a, in the guy's lap, for lack of a better term. And as, even as like, you know, in his grade eight or grade seven or whatever I was in, I was like, kind of like, is, am I seeing what I think I'm seeing? Like It's called King of the Ring. King think? of the Ring. Yeah. 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 So I need to see it. I've heard of it. But I'm looking it up right now <laughs> for those 8-bit jollies. King of the... Ring Nintendo, maybe put Nintendo, because there's lots of King of the Ring stuff, right? Boxing, maybe put that in, too. First thing I think see is Bret Hart. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> the first thing you should see is Don Morocco. <laughs> Aha, right. So I have found it, but I haven't typed in naughty. <laughs> Maybe this is how Jimmy Garvin gets his health back during the match. I'll put break. I definitely, long time ago, remember seeing a, a thread about it, like somebody was writing about it and kind of commenting the same thing that my teenage mind was imagining. Okay, we're going for broke. King of the ring, Nintendo, boxing, BJ break. <laughs> what? Anyone remember the ring King BJ on good old Reddit? That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's not like you saw anything, but just the head bobbing up and down and your health going up was sort of... It looks like the internet's been scrubbed, and I don't <laughs> think I can spend any more time looking and still maintain my dignity on the podcast, so we're moving on. <laughs> okay. So we get into the match, and they finally get Jimmy Garvin hooked into the strap. And as a reminder, this is not a, a pinfall situation. I've got it. There it is. Yeah, exactly as I remember it. Yeah, down in the corner. Uh, you know, and the and the and the, and the boxer's looking straight down, like kind of like checking out what's going on here. But yeah, there's no other way around it. I don't know if you look it up. <laughs> the the one gif here it says sexual moments in video game history. So <laughs> yikes! Google that, and you will see a you know it's safe. Safe. I mean, it's not like there's uh, some pornographic image or anything like that. But just uh, you can imagine <laughs> what's going on here. My goodness. <laughs> What's the uh, Grand Theft Auto or whatever when they, the character gets his health back from going in the car with the uh, ladies of the night? I, I I think there's something like that. So a history of video games and uh, kind of alluding to the fact that there's ways to get health, different ways to get your health back other than you know big medical bags or whatever. Well, I have to point out what I heard from Miles Davis among other people who said, "You either fuck or you fight. If you fuck." <laughs> then you don't fight. And he said, a man can't fight after he fuck. <laughs> I'll fuck. Wait, wait. He said, I'll fight Muhammad Ali as long as he fucked. <laughs> <laughs> he don't fuck, I don't fight. <laughs> so boxers are not allowed to screw their women before okay. the night before a fight. Well, yeah. I mean, I've definitely heard of that. I think it kind of got like maybe dispelled a bit like more recently in the last, you know, 15, 20 years. But I think for sure there was something about that. Even on those very early seasons of like the Ultimate Fighters TV show, like guys talking about that, about like, oh, you can't have you can't have sex right before you fight. And other guys are going, what are you talking about? And stuff like that. But speaking of Muhammad Ali, you got, you got the man on your shirt. That's right. 
So Miles Davis, you know, I think it was a Playboy interview where he yeah, said, yeah. you know, if a man spends his energy that way, he's not ready to fight. I saw a neat interview recently with Muhammad Ali, like at his prime, like during when he was the champ, like at his peak. And the interviewer asked him, was he the greatest of all time? And could, you know, could any of those other boxers beat him? And he was very coy about his answer, but he was very smart about it. Because in a way, he he did both acknowledging and respecting the past, but also like building himself up. So he, his answer was something along the lines of, you know, it's very difficult to say because it's a different time. And he mentioned a bunch of boxers, you know, Rocky Marciano and all these different people from different Jack Dempsey from different eras, let's say. But he also pointed out athletes had kept evolving and that like the basketball players and football players of his of that time of that, that current time that he was in were better than the people that came before them. So he sort of without saying it, he said he was better than those guys. But it was like, you know, it was very it was very intelligent way to not just brag you know like i'm better than them but he, he right. did sort of in a roundabout way say i was you know that he's better than them uh-huh. which he probably was so yeah right well i mean the thing about boxing that i'm learning is that there's an aspect of rock paper scissors uh one style will be very useful against yeah. a yeah. guy and then not so useful against another guy yeah who's like oh good yeah i'll fight this guy he's like what's his style is he like it has to do with like how close you stand you know yeah, inside the, outside yeah. and yeah. technique and i'm still reach really and all that stuff and yeah yeah well your reach will probably affect what style you choose yeah. to fight as so you know tyson had the peekaboo style and uh i i you know i'll stop there before i just put my foot in my mouth exactly yeah you know so yeah goat greatest of all time hard to say but some would say it was rick flair who will be wrapping up the card by the time we finish that's right okay so let's get back into this strap match so they strap jimmy in and uh again we see a lot we're gonna see a lot of similar spots so wahoo's really good at like keeping that extra, you know, leash, leash, let's call it, that he's got on Jimmy Garvin to keep him close. And he just keeps whipping him with it. He's hitting him over and over again. And Jimmy, as a good any good heel would, loves to bail out of the ring to buy himself some time and get some heat from the crowd. But it's really funny, and the camera works really good. Wahoo is such a bigger man that he's able to just, like, yank Jimmy Garvin back in on multiple occasions. Right underneath the rope. Precious's loving arms. Yes, right. Every time he goes out to get a smooch, he gets yanked away. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah, it is. It is really. It is really good. And you know, Wahoo's chopping him with with his hands. He's whipping him with the belt. He's doing all these different things to him. And Jimmy doesn't have much in the way of offense for quite a while. But eventually, he does, of course, you know, get an eye rake in, and he gets in, starts getting his action in, and I love it. He gets Wahoo in a headlock, and he just immediately, because again, you know, we were hearing everything so great, he's like, he ain't going nowhere. <laughs> it's really funny. Same thing Regal said. I guess they yeah, yeah. got together, but in their tag team days. That's right, exactly. There is a spot here where to get out of this hold, I, I don't know what it is that Wahoo does. There's a percussive noise. There's some sort of movement. Wahoo's in a headlock, and next thing we know, Jimmy Garvin's falling to the ground. So, at best I can see is that Wahoo basically gives him like a forearm smash to the back. But I mean, maybe he lifted his arm up into his crotch, or I don't know what the move was supposed to be. But Wahoo gets out of this headlock by damaging Jimmy Garvin some way or the other. So they uh, the the match continues. They're beating each other up here and there. There's a great spot. So in July 5th, there was a really funny thing where they tried the tug of war. So what's going to end up happening is that like they're both going to be outside of the ring. 
but the strap is going through on the inside of the ring. So they're on either side of the post from each other, but they wouldn't be able to walk away from the ring because the, you know, the strap would be caught on the post. They're kind of like locked in. So in the July 5th match, there was a long procession of like this tug of war that started outside and Jimmy eventually got back in the ring and took the high ground. And actually it was the funniest part of the whole match. Jimmy finally realized he couldn't win, so he just let go of the rope and <laughs> killed himself with his own momentum falling backwards over the railing and <laughs> crushing a fan, and it was really great. But this time's different because Jimmy Garvin, at this point, has an advantage, and he actually successfully rams Wahoo's head into the post by like pulling him, winning this tug-of-war battle and slamming Wahoo's head into the post, which I believe is sort of the impetus for Wahoo bleeding. So we, gets, we get the blood happening right away. Jimmy's quick as a cat. He scoots into the ring and then slides out the other side so he can be on the same side as Wahoo. They're no longer entangled with that post. Uh, slams him into the railing on the outside. The fans hate him. They just, you know, they don't want Jimmy Garvin having any advantage. They just, they want him beaten to a pulp and done with. So Jimmy gets him back in the ring. He's trying to do his moves on him. And one thing that's different in this match is that, again, I, di- I didn't actually finish my thought, which is that this they're not going for a pinfall. This is a four corners match, meaning that one person needs to drag the other person to each of the four corners and tag them in succession. There's always been co- uh, comments about like what constitutes breaking that count. Like once I've touched the third post, if you punch me, is that enough to stop this from, you know, to stop this? Or there's there's no clear set of rules out there that really dictates it. But generally, you got to stop this guy's momentum. You got to, you know, break it up somehow. So Jimmy Garvin actually is successfully has manages to pull Wahoo to two of the four corners. And he's on his way to the third one, and Wahoo hooks his two feet on the bottom ropes and kind of stops his momentum. And when Jimmy comes closer to try and get better leverage to keep dragging him, Wahoo's able to bring his feet up and sort of, you know, kick up into the air, mule kick style, and knock Jimmy Garvin off. He's getting in his offense now, Wahoo that is, and he's going to start dragging Jimmy Garvin around. And this is where we get a carbon copy of the July 5th match. So, Wahoo's wrapped the rope, the strap around Jimmy Garvin's hands, kind of like what he called secured him. <laughs> he's he's ready to be taken to the drunk tank or something. Yep, handcuffs. So he drags him to the first corner, tag, you know, touches the first post, touches the second post. So as he's going for the third post, Wahoo actually turns around. So now Wahoo's walking backwards, dragging Jimmy Garvin. And this is where Precious is able to successfully trip from the outside Wahoo and make him fall and take a bump. And that gives Jimmy Garvin the chance to, like, have some offense and try to take back over this match. Somewhere in here, Jimmy Garvin is bladed, too. So, by the, you know, we're once we get to this last quarter of the match, you know, both guys are bleeding. It's a very bloody night. It's a bloody night in the NWA, that's for sure. So, Jimmy Garvin does, you know, have an advantage. He makes a mistake, though. He tries to go to the top rope. So, he goes from the inside, of course, because the, you know, the strap is going to get in the way if he goes to the outside. So, he climbs up to the second rope and then to the top rope. But Wahoo's able to basically just roll out of the way and yank on that strap, which makes Jimmy Garvin do a head over heels, big somersault, tumbled splash, and he crashes to the mat. And now Wahoo's ready. He resecures those wrists and he drags Jimmy Garvin around the ring again. Except for this time, you can see he's actively looking where he's going to sort of keep his eyes on Precious to keep her out of the way, which I thought was smart. But then when he gets to like moving for the third post, he goes back to the going backwards and then Precious is right there. And I'm like, trip him and it's the same thing as the july 5th match it's like why doesn't she trip him so he touches the third post on his way to the fourth post precious jumps up on the apron 
just like the July 5th match. And she starts going, like, you know, basically whacking him on the shoulder with her hands. And even even a little bit of the, uh, her spray can there is getting used as a little bit of a, but he, Wahoo's too tough. He's too big. He just kind of ignores it and continues on his way to successfully touch the fourth corner and win the match in an identical fashion as the July 5th uh, match. It's pretty much that part of it is carbon copy. And, that's you know, and we and it's in a similar follow up too. When it's he wins the match, now it's time for Jimmy Garvin to get his hands on that spray can, and he doesn't spray Wahoo in the face, but he uses it like it's a little you know hammer or something, and he comes in and starts whacking Wahoo, and there's you know some there's some fisticuffs afterwards. Eventually, of course, Wahoo's too tough, so he's gonna he's gonna beat up Jimmy Garvin and make him want to leave, and that's how we kind of this this strap match ends. The crowd was pretty hot for it. I'd say it was it was you know it's an enjoyable match. It's funny. There's there's lots of uh, you know, moments in it that are quite entertaining. The first third of it, let's say, especially, is that sort of, you know, the drama unfolding of, like, before the match even starts. So I like the match, but again, like, having seen this stuff tight together over a couple of weeks, we've seen, you know, several of these matches, and it's probably a bit too similar. You would think if they knew that this was sort of going to be viewed in a more, you know, like a broader audience was going to see both those matches, that they would have, you know, they would have done some things to switch up how this match kind of maybe rolled out. They would have figured out a couple of different spots. Yeah, I think that that definitely they didn't quite realize how it would take away from this match a little bit to make it so similar to the one that preceded it, you know, just by a few weeks. That's right, yeah. Okay, so I think we're moving on to a national heavyweight champion, Tully Blanchard, trying to defend his title against Ronnie Garvin. And I think, or is it a tape match, tape fist match? It is a taped fist match with special rules. Basically, um, you are, it's, it's like a boxing match pretty right. much. Okay. You know? it, but also you can use wrestling moves in a boxing match. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not like Piper trying to use his wrestling moves at WrestleMania 2. Right. Well, we didn't cover WrestleMania 2, so yeah, yeah. we, uh, you know, this, this is unique. This is our first, basically, uh, except for maybe Piper and uh, beating up that, Elite enhancer Jose so and so on his yeah. or Bob Orton did Bob that. Orton did yeah. it yeah right yeah, okay right. Yeah. so and Saturday's main event it was yeah. the T Orton boxing match and they had glove boxing gloves on yeah, so they gloves, yeah. couldn't do any wrestling moves but these guys just have taped fists that's right yeah hands of stone coming at you so any memories of working with Wahoo McDaniel oh yeah did, really enjoyed working with Wahoo sure did in fact him and I and Patty had a good little angle here with the Jim Crockett promotions. When we came here in 86, uh, Wahoo and I got into a Indian strap match angle and, and Patty got in his face a few times. That was, we had good matches. Wahoo and I, he was a, he was a good guy, a tough guy. And I, I have a lot of respect for him. So it's boxing night again <laughs> here at the great American bash. And that legendary wrestling obsession. Now, you may have heard me make a couple references to the exercises I've been doing for a year and a half now. How I, I, I'm not a boxer, <laughs> but I have been really getting a hold of my own health and exercise by playing The Thrill of the Fight, a really fun boxing simulation game, virtual reality. So right. it looks like these guys are punching you and I punch. The thing is, I'm just, I just swing through air. So yeah. I've never had to deal with broken knuckles from punching a guy, you know, <laughs> and from the wall. <laughs> you see, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've almost shattered the light fixture. Oh, I could have done, I could have fucked myself up by breaking the glass and yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway, silliness. So this uh, that now I will before we move on to this essentially a boxing match with the, the gloves. I did have a boxing match once in my life at a party when I was about 21. Did I tell you this, Corey? <laughs> I, I, I don't remember all the details. I definitely remember the, the overarching gist yeah. of it. Yeah. So yeah. it was fight night and, yeah. you know, all the boys are drinking. Now, I also do have it in my blood. My grandfather was a champion boxer. Yeah. And he was in the British All Forces. He was the All Forces British champion in India when he was in his 20s. And that was Johnny Hughes. There was a photograph of him in that old style boxer stance where they cover their, you know, they're guarding yeah. their midsection. That's right. And they had to cover their guts and ribs more in the old days, the boxers. Yeah. For whatever reason, now they're, anyway, point is, so, uh, you know, there was a scrap between these two guys and, you know, uh, everyone, you know, all the boys are cheering, yay. And it was um, a gentlemanly affair, but it was right. clear when the guy lost, it was clear he was out of gas through a couple of wild swings. And the other guy still had his guard up tight and was picking his shots. Yeah. And then the the the, the first guy, whose name was Nat, and he was an intellectual guy, but he was also a, a full grown man. You yeah. know, like you know, and and uh, not an athlete, but uh, but certainly he was he was nobody's pencil neck geek. Anyway, he uh, he knew when he was beat, and he right. gave up out of gas, done. Yeah, yeah. Because as Dunstan was the other guy who was tall and and lean and actually no shrimp himself. But maybe might have, might have outweighed Nat. I mean, what we now know weight class is so huge from UFC and yeah. boxing and anything, right? Like, right. if a guy outweighs you by ten pounds, you could be in serious trouble. Right? Yeah, yeah. De- depending on all a bunch of other factors, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, not if it's bad muscle, but if uh, exactly, you know, yeah. all things being equal to yes. boxers that aren't you know like big flabos. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's a when a middleweight fights a heavyweight. That's, you know, like the super heavyweights are, you know, who knows? There could be 20 pound difference. You wouldn't know. Right. But, yeah. But when, when the middleweight fights a heavyweight or something, that's a different deal. Anyway, yeah. that's what happened to me. I was the middleweight and I got into the ring with the heavyweight. He was also the owner of the boxing gloves, oh, the, the proprietor yeah, 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 of yeah, this yeah. home gym. And like, it's not looking good for Husey when you think this is the guy like, hey, who wants to fight me? Yeah, Says yeah. the guy who's like organizing the fights and everybody looks the other way. Nobody wants to fight him because he did outweigh me by 15 or 20 pounds. And right. We were in our 20s, so, you know, neither one of us were big beer belly, you know, louts. But this guy was a couple inches taller, and, like, he definitely was bigger and stronger than me. Yeah. And he owned the gloves, and he was the one who wanted to fight. Anybody, somebody pushed me from behind and said, Hughes! And everyone's like, So, like, sure enough, I put on the gloves. And I boxed the guy. It was not a 10-second fight. I put up a fight. I'd never had a boxing lesson in my life. My dad abhorred violence, even though my grandfather was the boxer. And my mom was this lefty who didn't want me doing sports and actively (laughs) discouraged it. So everything going against me. So at 20 or 22, I just had the, the only the athleticism of youth. Yeah. And whatever instincts I might have had from my granddad. And plus, I'm nobody's lightweight either. Uh, yeah. You know, Corey, tell him, tell him, Draper. <laughs> Jeff's larger than, I guess, the average person in terms of height and uh, weight, because everyone thinks everyone's six foot five, but that's not the case, right? Like most people are, are, you know, well below six feet that, you know, women in the world are being disappointed with the idea that they all can't have a six foot four <laughs> millionaire. Uh, but, uh, you know, yeah, Jeff's got big, broad shoulders, big chest, big back. And yeah. Thank you. All right. Well done, Draper. You're hired. <laughs> All right. So I do remember trying to dirty box because I couldn't, I couldn't take this guy. You know, yeah. he's bigger. He, he knew how to spar and box. And I now realize he's probably taking it easy on me to a right. degree because yeah. he doesn't want to be hated. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I remember landing something. 
yeah. and getting in close. You know, I, I think maybe I landed and hugged him, you yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. and then, like, you know, like, bap and then hug, right? I mean, because yeah. I was losing, you know, yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't yeah. know how to, 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 what to do. And then I remember, uh, and it was kind of muffled because my ears were in his waist, <laughs> you know, but he was something like, oh, no, 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 can't be doing that. Don't pull that jet. Don't pull that. Like the one thing that worked for me, he's yeah, like, you yeah. can't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I listened. I was like, okay. So I go back and, you know, try, you know, boxing him from a distance because yeah. I don't know. I just, anyway, now two other, I have some very distinct memories of the fight. I remember that I started to conserve my energy because I, I, well, I had no energy. It was gone. Yes. <laughs> it was, it, was, it, was yes. it had fled me. Yeah. And then at one point I did a really nice duck. Like he threw a right that left him vulnerable. Right. I probably told you this in the past because oh, yeah. Corey and I have you know, been friends since we were in high school. Anyway, so he was right there for me. And this guy, Dunstan, who had won the previous fight, he was like, now. And it was my three o'clock <laughs> high moment. And I was like, yeah, now. And I pushed the button. I was like, we go nuclear. And my fist didn't move. <laughs> my arm hung there. hung there. I couldn't believe it. Never have I told my body to do something. And it's like, nope, nope. <laughs> I refuse. And my one moment to like, you know, with a clean hit yeah. instead of like the dirty boxing that I tried earlier. And also, by the way, I have every right in a boxing match to dirty box. There's a ref. There are rules. I got a four count. I yeah, can do right. this stuff. Like I got to do what I can do that's to right. like not get killed. Right. So yeah. if I got to hold his arms while I rest, you see yeah, that yeah. You, you watch a boxing match. Yeah, They're yeah. always grappling each other, hugging each other and like, you know, and controlling the fight by you know <laughs> with, with the grapple you know and the referee yeah. breaks it up so yeah. when he took that away from me you know like they're my chance. like a ufc fight being like no grappling yeah. no <laughs> no takedowns that's right <laughs> it's like what anyway so uh again I, I never was trained i just know what what he sort of what kind of worked and he said don't and anyway so as the fight went on and he got tired he left me an opening but i couldn't do it <laughs> yeah i remember I, that part <laughs> i was i was like what they say punched out i couldn't yeah, i just yeah. couldn't even swing i couldn't yeah, throw a jab dead, dead armed yeah Never mind a fucking, you know, hook. That was, yeah. I was ready to clobber him with a hook, but I could have hit him with anything. A straight, he was defenseless. Yeah. You know, he's, he didn't bring his guard back. Yeah. So his fist is out extended and I, and I just couldn't do it. Anyway, yeah. so the fight goes on until finally he clobbers me with an uppercut yeah. and I saw stars and my, and like other people I remember, but I didn't go down. Yeah. I staggered, stepped back. And I caught a glimpse at this pretty, a pretty girl, a very beautiful girl <laughs> who had this look on her face. She looked like Elizabeth watching Macho Man. Yeah, she, yeah. Cause you know, not that she was with me. She wasn't with me, but you know, she didn't want to see anybody get. Probably felt bad for you. <laughs> yeah. Like in the moment. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. She's just like the underdog. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. certain I was the underdog. Anyway, at that point I was like, okay, enough of this because yeah. you know, I hadn't, they, I hadn't stunned him once or at least that I might've stunned him, but I couldn't see. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't showing any worse for wear. <laughs> Yeah, or I couldn't see because I was holding him. <laughs> it's like I was going for his ear. <laughs> anyway, so that's when I said I've had enough, yeah. and I think that I don't know how long the fight had gone on, but I, I I know that it had to go on a while because I had you know I had the dead arm as you yeah. say, and I had the you know that grapple that he wouldn't you know he wasn't having. Yeah, and then it uh, so probably boxed I, I guess about five or six minutes before. Yeah, and people don't realize that yeah, like a minute of boxing, like a boxing workout. Let's pretend not even actually hitting anybody just um if you go to like a you know pan am boxing here in winnipeg and get sign up for one of their classes and you know do like a minute of their exercises you're yeah. like even when you're in good shape you're like right. just like <laughs> but i can say now that'll never happen to me again when i yeah. tell my left arm to go <laughs> yeah. my right fist scares even me 
But my left, when I say go, it goes. I am in control of this left, and it's going to pop the next sucker that leaves me an opening. Bam! They're going down. I am a very dangerous man. Ric Flair is a very tired and very old man. So I have a little word of advice for you, Rick. A little hint. This one, this one hits really, really hard. But this one, this one scares even me. God forbid I should ever actually have to resort to violence. Anyway, that's... Well, that's wait, I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll step in here with my boxing stories, which is my mom bought us boxing gloves. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing, mom? <laughs> the littlest of the three. Exactly. Like, I'm, like, I'm, four years, I'm four years younger than my middle brother, six years younger than my oldest. Now, my oldest brother, Chris, he would never partake in this. You know, he, he wasn't doing this, but Cam loved it. You know, he's four years older than me, much bigger, much stronger. We would always play around. We'd play wrestle, play fight. It inevitably always end up with me somehow in tears. You know, it'd be fun for a while until I'd get popped in the face or something and right. be like upset. So, and this happened many times, but uh, Cam- I have an older brother who I used to fight with as well. Yeah. Four years older. So I understand completely the whole fighting until you're crying. Yeah. So Cam was like a big jock. He was like in every sport imaginable. So at some point around that time, he had actually broken his nose, you know, earlier that year or the year before or something. And so that's just sort of context, a little background. Uh-huh. So he had, uh, you know, we, he would get down on his knees. And in, that's how we would box, oh. and it would just be play, playful. My for a brother while. never got down on his knees. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but he, you know, eventually he would pop me or something, and I, uh, you know, it wouldn't wouldn't go my way. So I'd get upset. So I remember this one time, he was done fighting with me, and uh, so he went and he was in the living room and he was laying on the living room little throw rug or whatever, watching TV. You know, and he still had the boxing gloves on, so he's got the gloves. He's got his chin resting on his boxing gloves, like on his elbows. You know, watching TV. Yeah, yeah. And I came in all mad, and I like came up with him and I stood above him and I just pow I popped him in the face when he wasn't looking and I kind of rebroke his nose oh my god I love it <laughs> and I had to run in the bathroom and like lock the door you know like oh Jesus mom take me <laughs> oh my god that's hilarious just for context everybody uh, it was the other brother who stayed home to watch wrestling with right. Corey and this is the brother that was telling lies about Hulk Hogan so you know get your nose popped like this is the villain brother Corey has a face brother and a heel brother well, <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm bit. telling him like it is, man. He's got a heel brother, and a heel brother is the one who got popped in the nose for telling lies about the big green Hulk. Well, Cam had a rule. No one was allowed to beat me up but him. <laughs> what kind of tough love is that? It's pretty good. It's pretty cool. It was good because when other people were getting picked on at school, nobody was touching me. That's, yeah, okay. And who am I to knock it? I left stand by what I said. Okay. <laughs> I just have a heel brother. My brother did a face turn eventually. Yeah, there you go. And now he knows I could whip his ass. So, you know, he's... he's I, I'm... But the 80s were a long time ago. That's right. Yeah. I'm the intimidating one now. Okay, anyway, those are fun get, stories. to it. Yeah. <laughs> Our stories may be more funny than this Davis match. So. Yeah, well, because we covered it already and Corey painted the picture for me and I enjoyed it, but this time I had to watch it. I read a little write-up as well, which mentions what Corey feels to be the case is that the crowd is not as hot for this match because I guess a lot of fans, it's only a two-hour drive to go and see the bash from one Possibly, city to another. yeah, exactly. You know, so when you get repeat spots, they, they don't go the way they went the first time. Yeah, but you, you know. can tell like the biggest sort of spot, the, yeah, the biggest moments in the match seem to just fall flat. And, right. the way, and people were crazy for it the time before. Final note, by the way, we were in somebody's backyard 
on the grass is where we had our big uh, boxing oh, right. night. I guess I was always envisioning this in the living room or something. Yeah. Uh, no, there was no room. We were outside. Yeah. So if anybody had hit the ground, it would have been the grass, and uh, there was no furniture to break. <laughs> and fortunately, I didn't get, did not get my nose broken because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, uh, I could have, yeah, yeah could have happened. So, or some teeth. Anyway, so next we have the tag team towel blood match. Is uh, I've, because uh, you know Ronnie, his gear, the towel. Yeah, he's <laughs> just, like, right. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. what he wears to the ring. He's a towel. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, you Axel's got, got a two by four. Ronnie Garvin's got a towel. <laughs> yeah, and so tonight Wahoo's got a towel, but his towel is like blood, yeah, yeah, sweat. Yeah, yeah, him and Jimmy already bloodied each other up. Yeah, might have wiped his ass with it, and you know, like it's it's just like yikes. You look at the nice white clean towel Ronnie Garvin's got, and then Wahoo, Wahoo's blood stained garment. You're like, don't touch me with that. You know, get that hell away from me. And Wahoo's. Look, he's already, he's all beaten up and battered and, oh, yeah. you know, had his match. And JJ's looking crisp and clean in his tie. And Tully's got, you know, of course, his robe and he's got the gold. There are too many belts, but uh, it's a nice looking belt. That's right. Yeah. So for one second there, and also, but, they, but JJ's got a towel. Okay. And so basically, you know, yeah, at one point you're like, it's a, you know, and there's four guys. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, what, what kind of match are we going here? Tape fist or the tag towel? Anyway. So we have, like, like Corey says, all of these bits. Well, I now have had a look at them. So uh, we're going to go quick. So the first little uh, shtick is that uh, JJ wants to look at, at Ronnie's fists. That's make right. sure there's... doesn't think they're illegal. They that's right. There's something wrong. Uh-huh. He wants to have a... But he ends up not just looking at them, but grabbing them, <laughs> you know, and holding them <laughs> holding them still while Tully charges. That's right. You know, and I understand this is pretty similar. We get yeah. a backdrop. That's right. Yeah. And uh, like what the really exciting thing is that within seconds, one big pop, Bow. boom. Yeah. And it's Blanchard splat. He's yeah. like taking up the whole ring in this awesome <laughs> vignette. One knee's bent and the rest of it's starfished with his, you know, you can, the gold, the robe, everything's laid out. It's pretty funny, but we, unfortunately, you can't go to the well too often, so the crowd doesn't go nuts, and uh, we, now we know why. So JJ gives a gentle slaps, help wake Tully up, and he resorts <laughs> to the water, and then Tully, yeah. you know, staggers to his feet, and and uh, finally we hear a bell. I did notice that the, the title belt works as a... Uh, as armor, finally, okay, Ronnie yeah. throws one shot shot to the gut, and I'm like, "Well, that wouldn't hurt because he hits him right in the title belt." <laughs> That's right, you know. Plus one for uh, unarmed strikes or any strikes. Somebody tried That's to right. dagger you with that gold That's belt, right. exactly, and <laughs> protect you real good. I mean, it's it is punching bag, you know. As I as I talk about it, I remember what Corey had said to me, and we get great staggering crawling, rolling. It's like the movie Yellowbeard. Did you ever see Yellowbeard? I think I did, there's but I'm a, not there, really... There's a pirate map, treasure map. Like, yeah, to yeah. get to the X, it's a, it says here, stagger, stagger, crawl, crawl, <laughs> stagger left, roll to the right, stagger, 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 <laughs> crawl, to find the treasure. That's right. So anyway, that's Tully Blanchard. <laughs> you're stag- for treasure. <laughs> yeah, he's looking for treasure. He's staggering, crawling all over the ring. But it's and I, just to remind people that it's broken up into three-minute rounds with a 30-second rest period, like a boxing match, and they say they're going to go to a maximum of 10 rounds. And the way that you actually win this match is by knocking the guy down or out or whatever. I mean, w- among the ways to win the match is boxing style. If the guy can't make the 10 count, yeah. you know, can't get to his feet before 10, like a boxing match, then he loses. Right. Uh, and and so so I think there might be a pinfall or two, but if there is, it's not the it's not the story. Yeah, it's really fun when 
Tully is struggling to get the robe off and he basically handcuffs himself. Yeah, you know, yeah. his arms are still trapped. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like he's got the, it's down his, ba- everything's off except for that he can't, you know, fight, yeah, can't swing. He's, he's trying to swing. behind his back. Yeah, yeah, but it's pretty funny that he handcuffs himself with his own robe. That's <laughs> yeah, a pretty yeah. good, uh, a pretty good gag. He's getting knocked down several times, but he gets back up. I mean, we see a lot of that, like punch, drop, get back up, punch, drop, you know, just yeah. keep the, keep the vision, keep and engage something for people to look at. So That's right. Tully's laying on the apron. And uh, Wahoo, of course, has got to go after JJ. <laughs> Bill After really stands out with his red shirt. Yeah, hanging near red side. Noticeable at every match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's the only. There's a couple of actual cameramen that are filming this. Yeah, and then there's him. And yeah. it's like, and yeah, he really. He just must feel like king of the nerd yeah. world. Like this. It's chronic. not like there's eight photographers. No, nope. one there's photographer. Just Bill After. Yeah. And this big red Pro Wrestling Illustrated yeah, shirt. Yeah. Like he wants all the yeah. attention. People know who he is. Yeah, so yeah exactly. And he's been yeah. on their TV. He's got his little interview segment on their TV. Yeah, he's a huge figure. And I mean, we knew who he was. I mean, he was the number one name associated with these wrestling mags, which gave us so much more depth to what we uh, knew about, about wrestling. Yeah. They kind of goof when they mention like one minute remaining twice in this match. Uh, okay. One of them is a bit of a misinformation. A lot of that going <laughs> these days. Finally, you know, Tully does manage to get his robe off when he's just eating more punches. And uh, at one point, Tully, you know, swings for Earl. <laughs> Tully goes down and he manages to, uh, you know, get up right at the nine count. Then we again hear the one minute warning, which makes you, you know, realize that somebody gooped something. Right. Tully's already bleeding. Gets knocked down again for a, se- a seven count this time. My pen was fading in and out with the ink. So everything is like gouged out of the page. <laughs> I can barely read this shit. It's like like Braille. like just Invisible ink. Yeah, I need better pens. So it's possible there was a pin attempt. <laughs> or pain. Pain or pin. I don't know. But either way... <laughs> Maybe a little of both. Yeah. Garvin, uh, are, you know, he's, he, well, it's Blanchard gets saved by the bell at the end of round one. Of course, yeah. At, of course, yeah. Well, I mean, the first match, I don't think Blanchard landed a blow in the first round. Did no. he get any in this round? No, I don't think there was yeah. any aggression. As a matter of fact, right at the beginning of the 30-second rest round, he, he got knocked out, out again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. So he spends the whole 30 seconds, you know, <laughs> unconscious again. Yeah. It looks like Tully gets revived by JJ sprinkling some smelling salts or something. There's like a little, just rains in, sprinkles something on his face. But it's probably water, I guess. I just, you know. But it it definitely, JJ is able to wake up Tully again so that he's able to fight for round two. There is um, a couple of times in the match where Tully looks like he's going to punch out Earl Hebner. But uh, Earl's too quick and he avoids the, avoids getting clobbered. Tully can barely stand. Ronnie is just battering him. At one point, he, uh. Pulls him to his feet by his trunks. Yeah. And it's actually funny because Tully grabs Earl, cocks his fist, looks at him, and goes for it anyway. He holds himself <laughs> back, and he's like, no, that's him. <laughs> you know, it's like in, almost in three. First thing, he's like, that's a guy. And like, you can he, also, he should be able to feel full pants and a shirt, you know, because, but uh, he, he still takes a swing. Slapshot, the Henson brothers, they don't have their glasses, and they're in the crowd beating the fans. That's, that's not right. the guy, it's this guy. Right, exactly. <laughs> There's another bell. Uh, for the 30-second round, and right at the bell, Tully tries to sort of kick Garvin in the nuts, but he catches Tully's foot and kicks him in the nuts. Right. Which, you know, the ref is like, hey! That's, and a, then, that's a new spot. <laughs> yeah. So Tully's now suffering from the nut shot oh between God, two Tully. and three. He's Tully. out again. <laughs> and Wahoo's like, you know, defending the cheap tactics because Earl Hebner's like, hey! But it was like, Tully tried to, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, attack yeah. between rounds and they got his foot caught, right? Yeah. So. They're both shouting at Earl, who's very brave, standing up to these two big wrestlers. I think I know what that lady is doing in 
King of the Ring because Wahoo is helping Ronnie by cooling the boys. Yes. He grabs his waistband yep. and opens up some ventilation. <laughs> 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 uh, what else can I say? Cooling yeah. the boys. And that's right. what Wahoo does for Garvin. He's not taking a look. He's, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. he's talking to Garvin like, all right, you're going to marry me right now. But that's all he's doing. He's like, he's pulling the waistband like, you ain't. Yoink, yoink, yoink. <laughs> Getting some flow to the, I guess that's, I never really paid that much attention to what's happening, but uh, you're trying to cool off your boxer so you can put some ice pack on his head or that's neck, right. yeah, or yeah. you well, can you open fan, up. You can fan him. <laughs> you can fan him with the towel, yeah. or you can open up his shorts. <laughs> And that's what Wahoo does. I guess that's what they're trying to get at in King of the Ring. Is she's just Maybe. cooling the boys. She's getting herself a little whiff of the goods. <laughs> Finally, in the next round, Tully's going to grab that same waistband. Yeah, to I saw pull. that part, yeah. Okay, is that in the other one too? You probably... Yeah, yeah that's right. how he finally gets his advantage. Right, grab the waistband, yeah. fall pull down, you, yeah. pull him over top to you, and Ronnie eats the turnbuckle. Yes. Okay. And now Tully, you know, takes over. And this, this round is largely his till towards the end. Yeah. So lots of stomps and kicks and, of course, punches, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. We actually get punch from Brett's rope. Okay. I just don't remember who did it. <laughs> One of the guys. Anyway, they both wind up down. Yeah. Like it's a, it, it ends up kind of like maybe Blanchard's doing it to Garvin, but Garvin puts his foot up and like they, you know, they that both. in the are, first match too. There was a jump off the rope and they both clobbered each other at the yeah. same time. So yeah. So that spot's repeated. Yeah. And so they're both struggling to, uh, to make the count and they actually both stagger up, but uh, they wind up outside the ring right away. Now, technically, I got to say, Wahoo does lay his hands on Tully first, yeah. you know, but maybe he's just to complain and say, hey, you, you've been cheating, yeah, right. you know, but Tully takes it, you. yeah, <laughs> but Tully takes it as an act of war right. and he takes a big swing, such a big swing that the momentum turns him around 180 yeah. and he winds up in the perfect position for either a back suplex, but you're not going to do that on this concrete, no that's way. Right. Yeah. So it's an atomic drop right into Ronnie's yeah. hand yeah. of stone. Another, this is carbon copy. One, yeah. Right. Okay. So it looks great. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, and it leaves, uh, once again, Tully Blanchard unconscious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this, and then I think that the, the bell rings. And so, you know, once <laughs> again, the bell. yeah, once again, Tully's unconscious in the 30 seconds between rounds. <laughs> so JJ does manage to revive Tully, of course, and uh, they get back into the ring. Now there is, I know there's a different finish because the guy said so. Oh yeah, uh, definitely a different finish. Yeah. Um, so round four, Garvin, of course, is winning the fist fight, naturally. So at one point, Tully is down on the mat. We have a, th- a three count where and, and Tully uh, is helped by JJ. But the next thing that I remember is like this whole like Tully's limp and Ronnie's holding him up. Like he pushes him on the rope right, and, right. and then he bounces off the rope and comes forward and would fall over if not for Tully, uh, if not for Ronnie, grabbing him by the neck, holding him up, him up for a punch. But it's it, it's it's a rare spot. You don't see a lot of it. And it's, it's yeah, it's kind of cool. the junkyard and Andre on Terry Funk holding him up by his hair so they can keep hitting him even though he's already unconscious. <laughs> Quite so, yes, indeed. And uh, we're we're going home. JJ starts hollering at the ref, some jibba jabba, and uh, we get a full bucket of water on Yahoo. So he's sort of like taken out of the the picture and all the excitement's there. But what's really happened is that JJ's throwing a, a really big, obvious brass knuckle, like it's yeah, big and yeah. black. And it's no roll of dimes, and uh, the weapon is the megaphone. But in this case, you know, it's much more easy to hide. We, right? There's no hiding a megaphone. These black knuckles or whatever. Yeah, the uh, electric tape or something. Yeah. Tully's got them. And because uh, there's excitement outside where now Yahoo's Wahoo. Wahoo is getting his revenge on JJ. Yeah. JJ bleeds. He gets yeah, beat yeah, up. that's right. Yeah. But in the ring, 
Ronnie unfortunately falls victim to the foreign object right, yes. big clobber from Tully Blanchard, and Tully Blanchard's getting beaten up eighty percent of this match. Yeah, eighty-five. Yeah, eighty-five. And uh, but this one big clobber is enough to send Ronnie Garvin down, and I think Tully goes down as well. Yeah. Um, and so the ref comes in, sees two bodies on the mat, doesn't see the foreign object. That's right. Starts counting them, and Tully is able to get to his feet around eight, but Ronnie Garvin is not. That's right. So Tully Blanchard wins the match. You know the alleged victors weeble wobble their way to the dressing room <laughs> bleeding and squinting yeah, and yes, staggered yes. and stupefied and it's yeah. a pretty the so-called winners look pretty sorry which is fun <laughs> and uh you know but ronnie's in worse shape like he really plays knocked out wahoo's trying to help him out and ronnie's yeah. just like it doesn't know where he is and then the final you know other interesting thing is that uh, we get a botch announcement that the winner of the match is ronnie garvin the crowd's ah! <laughs> yeah, and then three seconds later, oh, pardon, correction, correction. No, um, and he explains, blah, 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 Tully Blanchard, woo. <laughs> Wrong call. There you go. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I th- you know, I, th- I think if you were someone in that crowd who hadn't seen that other match, this could have been great. But you also wouldn't have gotten the same live experience as that first crowd did. And I skipped through a lot of this match because I just was, you know, under crunch, under time yeah, to sure. watch the other stuff. And I knew, I knew it was going to be very similar. But obviously, the different finish, at least, you know, that's at least we can say that that they, it's a different finish. Yeah. Since I hadn't watched the other match, I quite enjoyed this. Yeah, I mean, Tully's just masterful at selling, looking beaten up, and taking all that punishment. Very so. generous, like yeah. Macho Man. Yeah, and Ronnie Ronnie's doing, was doing a lot of the the peekaboo. Uh, you know, like Tully'd be like leaning up in the corner, like out, out on his feet, but trying to defend himself, like cover up. And Ron would just stand there and wait and yeah. wait and just finally pick a yeah. spot and pop him. Really great acting job yeah. on Tully yeah. Blanchard's part. Like, uh, you know, the, the very skilled performer. You know, he's not the biggest guy, but he sure has yeah. talent. Yeah, you know, watching these ones, I my my affection grows for all of them. Ronnie right. Garvin, yeah, you know all these these guys that were secondary. I enjoy more now, you know. Well, I don't. I, I it's almost like I wish I could know less about Hogan than I do, you know, in a way, <laughs> or Warrior or whatever, you right. know. Anyway, just the people who you know kind of present now that they made selfish careers and didn't want to lose and that kind of stuff. I, I, I appreciate guys like Savage who you know would always be willing to take the 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 fall. Right. Yeah. For the greater good. Yeah, put over, you know, do it for the crowd, put over the wrestler or whatever. You know, in the long run, it's not, you know, look at his career. You know, it didn't stop him. Yeah. And he lost a lot. Exactly. <laughs> yep. There's lots of lots of chances to lose when you're wrestling 365 days a year plus twice on the weekends. Yeah, but I mean, on you, of course, I know you know what I mean, but I mean on camera. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Stingers, stingers, cruel. Stingers, 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 cruel. Okay, so from one horseman, we go to two more of the horsemen because we've got the tag team match. It's the Anderson Cousins versus the Rock and Roll Express. And we will dive right in this follow-up of this feature match that we saw on syndicated TV very recently. So this is this is different because we're you know we're we're assuming that people aren't seeing the different bash cards, but they as a company have to assume that the majority of their fans saw that televised match. So it's interesting that not that they fought again doesn't that's fine, but that it you know it it, it does have a lot of similarities. But it is really good, and these these are two of the best teams there are. 
and they can just make wine out of water. <laughs> oh, I, I loved that match that we covered just in our last episode. That yeah. was like, I'd, this was uh, probably the favorite Rock and Roll Express match that I'd really studied yeah. so yeah, yeah, far. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So we are robbed of the entrance of the Rock and Roll Express, which takes away so much of the energy that we would experience as viewers of this and we're just missing that the crowd loves them we can hear how loud they are but clearly you know we're at every match kind of has a little edit to take us right up to the part where they're going to announce the wrestlers in the ring and they you know purposely do that after That's whatever right. music is played and you're quite right not for the last time we are shafted now who bought the wwe Give us back our music. <laughs> Did The Rock buy it? Was he going to buy it? No, I mean, I mean, that might have been a rumor. No, it's the company. There's a company that owns the UFC and other things. Give us they... back our music. <laughs> we want the music. You're cheating people. You're changing history. You're breaking hearts. Cough it up. Like, these are memories. These are special uh, things that happened. And you're, you're doing us all a disservice. Yeah. Cough it up. Please. We, we, see how, we see how special it is when we get to watch them come in like uh you know several shows ago when they were coming into one of the syndicated shows and you talked about i was like the the hottest craziest crowd you'd ever seen for that ricky morton versus rick flair televised match uh, yep. and and of course getting that entrance so this is our plea we want you all to sign the legendary wrestling obsession petition which you'll find at <laughs> patreon.com yes one of the many benefits of throwing us a buck or two so we can lobby <laughs> those other guys have done things that's right <laughs> things can be done that's right it, we gotta turn all the, the superpowers of wrestling podcasts that's onto right. this campaign that's right yeah so yeah, that we yeah. can get the music back because they can afford it yeah it's tough. by superpowers i mean he yeah, your fellows you and my lads and yeah, I, the laps fan or osw, OSW. Well, someone someone conrad. Get the, the big bucks conrad thompson get yeah. him in there yeah he's got, Come on, he's guys. got 500 podcasts so yeah exactly. get on board let's get our music back let's bring back it. some real memories that's right so we're getting ready for the match, and the Andersons are almost matching. They have different shade of red on, but they both have red trunks. Rednecks. Rednecks. There you go. <laughs> Oli's got some stars on his trunks, and Arn Anderson's got the uh, double A insignia, kind of like you'd see at a fancy hotel, you know, like the little embroidered yeah. towel or something. More Arn, I didn't mean any offense. I've yeah, heard that right. about Oli, so I, I didn't mean any offense, Mr. And Ol that's right. Yeah, Mr. Yeah. Arn Anderson. What's his real uh, name? Marty Lundy. Marty Lundy. I, that's right. I apologize for calling you a redneck. But Oli, I think you might have earned it. <laughs> he might have. So the Rock and Roll Express, they got these like sort of red and black tights, kind of like one piece jobbers, but they look like, uh, you know, red, let's say trunks over top of black tights. But I think it's actually just one piece, it works. you know. It always, yeah. Their motley matchup always adds to their rock and roll That's look. right. So we do hear... Tom Miller announced that this is a number one contenders match. So I'd gotten confused thinking that that televised match was this number one contenders match. But no, it's this one. And the other thing we're going to note is that there's no signs of any damage on Ricky Morton. There's no face shield. There's no broken nose, no black eyes, no scratches. You know, he looks like it never happened. Although, even though it's still a reference in the storyline of like, hey, you know, you've got that yeah, weak, right. that weak well, spot it, of the nose. It was essential to last yeah. week's match. Yes, right. And the booking and the and the heat and the fun. So yeah, exactly. I sure hope that they're not going to completely forget about that. Well, no, because the Andersons won't forget about it. <laughs> it's, okay. a, it's a focal point of their attack. Right. I didn't watch this match, and I intend to because, well, I was under, you know, I was under pressure to cover other matches. And so that's probably why I didn't. Yeah. 
So I don't know what happened. So it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> so it's a really good match. Again, it's a you know we've just seen it, we just covered it. So I have way too many notes, which I, we don't have time for. So I'm going to try to do this more conversation style. So really talk about what I liked about the match and sort of some of the themes of the match and the storytelling because that's what I think really comes across really well in this match is that they like both teams really stick to like a strategy. It's like you actually see. It's not just one team having a strategy. They, they they each have their own strategy, and they're both trying to get the other team to wrestle their their type of match. And so, and we talked about this a little bit last week's match, how that was. So, we're gonna start with Oli and Robert Gibson. And a lot of times when we see see things like collar and elbows, it's kind of like they're almost going through the motion. They're just using it to set something up. It's just a way to get to somewhere else, you know. But here, it's like these epic struggles like the Andersons are really trying to like you know out muscle the Rock and Roll Express and really get at them and the Rock and Roll Express are sneaky and slippery and greasy and the gang you know the Andersons can't get their their hands on them and if they do get their hands on them they can't keep their hands on them because like you know Rock and Roll Express keeps getting away so we see several it's it's a you know bit of a feeling out process there's a yeah, lot of so circling. the collar the collar and elbow is often thrown away yeah, exactly. But not here. This one, it means something, man. You can see they're like, they're really trying to use it to like, you know, to pressure them in the corner and, and start landing blows. I don't think there's ever been a match without a collar and elbow, except, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe bunkhouses and stuff yeah, like stuff that. Yeah, stuff like that, a battle royale. Otherwise, you just, you, you can, I wonder if the collar and elbow was ever a finisher. A finisher. <laughs> <laughs> He's got him in the collar and elbow. No, 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 God damn it, no. Well, if the Polka Doom can win a match, I'm sure a collar and elbow can do it too. <laughs> so basically, you know, I, without going over every little step, there's several attempts to try and corner Robert and, you know, hammer him in the corner, but he keeps sneaking out. He keeps ducking under, getting out. And uh, eventually it's great because there's lots of tags and stuff, but uh, Arn's in the, in the ring with them and getting mad. And Robert just does a real subtle, just turns his butt and gives a little butt slap to Arn, you know, and that's like, he's enraged. <laughs> right, <laughs> the, you mean like the, kiss my butt. Yeah, kiss my yeah, butt. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Right. Slaps, slaps his, his own, own butt. butt. Slaps his own butt yeah. and says like, kiss my ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the crowd loves it. Ooh. They go nuts for it, you Cheeky. know. Cheeky. And uh, so, yeah, it's really, it's really some fun stuff. He's just frustrating them kind of at every every attempt. Finally, Arn's, you know, able to open up some offense, but this really solid shoulder tackle, like, and it's funny because it, there's a big break. They, like, they go to their corners and have a little conference, <laughs> and, then, like, Robert Gibson's holding the back of his head off the shoulder tackle that he hit the mat on, and I'm like, tag, like, why, why, right, why yeah. are you staying in? Yeah, but, yeah. but he does. You know, and the, the heels, do they change? No, they, they, they well, they, at this point, they already had made a couple of tags, oh, but, okay. uh, you know, there's not, uh, yeah. So after those conferences and some delays. That's interesting, eh? This, like the high flyers would have done eight tags by now. Exactly, and yeah. it's all Robert Gibson so far. Yeah, yeah. Ricky Ricky hasn't been in yet. Wow, that's uh, interesting. They're yep. building that uh, all that preteen heat <laughs> for that's right. and teen, oh, post-teen. And, and, and that is, and it's so weird because Robert Gibson is so popular. Like he's easily one of the most popular people in this company, but Ricky's on another level to him. Even yeah. though they're even though they're together, you know, like so it's it's really neat from that aspect that just how much you know Ricky Morton is sort of the favorite the favorite son of, of, of the golden of NWA, pair. like yeah, yeah, exactly, and like and Robert's well, that- super popular, but he just not quite at Ricky's level. Mm. So Arn's using his size. He gets another uh, another shoulder tackle, and he tries to run the ropes again. But big mistake. Robert Gibson nails him with a huge drop kick, like it's really high in the air, and it's just really awesome. He just goes down really hard off of that. And Oli charges in, and he gets a drop kick. So right away, all four men are in, and they're throwing fists. And the Andersons have to retreat, and the you know the, in the rock and roll they go back to their corner because again they don't want to be wrestling in the Andersons' corner. So they're always they're not willing to like you know wait for the Andersons to come back in. They're like, no, no, you come back to the middle of the ring, or you come over to our side of the ring. So 
it's pretty neat from that aspect how they're how they're kind of doing things. Mm-hmm. So Arn's had enough. And uh, he makes his way back in, and he's taunting Ricky Morton, pointing to his nose, telling him to get in. So, you know, Ricky obliges. They do, you know, the extra hot tag. Like, this, this tag alone is like, you know, this, and like, Robert's not even in trouble. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a rescue. <laughs> yeah. It's a celebration. So Arn does this, like, series of bull rushes on, like, Ricky Morton, trying to muscle him in the corner, and he's trying to, like, hit him, but Ricky Morton's covering up, so he's got, like, his arms up in front of his face, he's got his knee up kind of at an angle to stop the body blows, and then he kind of kicks Arn Anderson away, and then they're both, you know, dukes up, and Arn Anderson's frustrated because he throws, like, ten punches, but none of them land, you know? (laughs) And this happens, like, a few times, about two, three times this happens where he keeps trying to get Ricky Morton and beat him up in the corner, and he just can't do it. Both teams are making each other look good. And also defending, like it's smart. They're, they're yeah. succeeding by smart defense, not by any lack of good aggression. That's right. So Anderson forces Ricky Morton into the middle of the ropes this time, not in the corner. And it looks like it's going to be clean break, but no, it's a slips in a knee to the stomach. And so he whips Ricky off the ropes to you know add some punishment to him. But no, no, baseball slide. And here's where we get a repeat spot. Ricky Morton does the you know the ankle trip from behind. Yeah. Arn Anderson smashes his face on the ground. Right. He gets the nose smash, and then he gets up perfectly and turns around and stumbles, bent over at the right angle to take a DDT. To the nose. <laughs> yeah, to the nose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then outside and really heavily selling again. Like, there's, you know, they keep kind of like taking these moments where like the partners can get together and console each other. It's, you know, it's pretty we funny. We should maybe call that a DNT. That's right. <laughs> the nose in there. Right on the nose. So Arn wants the timeout, and he's just selling beautifully. Uh, on the outside and it's really great because you don't see him coming but the Ricky Morton comes from like off frame and just punches him in the face like he's outside complaining to the fans and to the ref he's looking up and he doesn't realize Ricky Morton's like scooted out the other side and comes around and all of a sudden Ricky Morton comes out of nowhere and just pops him in the face love it <laughs> it's super awesome that's Arn right that's Arn yeah okay. exactly so after more delays Arn does get a few licks in on Ricky, but uh, he's overzealous on his attacks, and that leads to a drop-down toehold, another face-nose-smashing situation. He just, like, smashes off. It's pretty ah, funny. Drop-down toehold. That's was eluding me. Yeah. And this is where the Rock and Roll Express really go to their strategy, which is they're going to work the legs. Yeah. And they're going to make the Andersons limp. Like, the Andersons are going to be like, look, like they need knee surgery after this, yeah. you know, after this after this match. So I won't go to all these different things, but they keep dragging them back into their corner, and this is the stuff I love, whether it's Ole or Arn. They're just frantically on their back, scrambling, trying to get to the ropes, trying to get up, trying to get away, and the Rock and Roll Express are like, no, no, you're coming with me. I'm tagging my partner in, and they're going to come in and stomp on you or drop a knee or, you know, and all this stuff and it's really great because I don't know about you but I find like for the most part the heels always do such a great job of cutting off the ring you know but the good guys are almost always like well go ahead and tag him I'll beat him up too you know they don't really like go out of their way to like really control the other team or and the Rock and Roll Express aren't doing that they're like it's like they're respecting the Andersons like we're the smaller guys this is the veteran team you know this is the horsemen we hate them so we're gonna no we're gonna use their own tactics against them we're gonna isolate a limb and and do some damage. We get, uh, you know, Robert Gibson jumping over the top rope for one of those knees to the ground. It's really mean looking. It's it's pretty good. It repeated a few times, you know, throughout the match, you'll see that. Yeah. And then Robert Gibson starts doing his best Dory Funk. He's doing the spin into a hold. <laughs> right on. And they keep working the leg and Ricky's in and Robert's in. And they end up in a couple of positions. One time he's got, he's doing a leg lock on the ground, but it almost looks like Arn's got like a, like a body lock, but he's the one like, but he doesn't, you know, like. Yeah. Some of these things I hadn't seen in the, 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 the previous week's match. I'm like, yeah. oh, that doesn't look familiar. Yeah. Like the yeah. knee inside of the knee, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. And there's another spot where like Ricky's on top of I think it's Arn and he's got he's got their legs in t- 
entangled standing above him, but he's kind of pressuring him backwards as if he's going to pin him and he's down on top of him. And then I start looking at him going like, he looks like he's an Arn Anderson's guard. He looks, it looks like a UFC fight for a second here, you know, like it goes from like a wrestling spot to like, it all of a sudden looks like MMA or something, you know? Right. So it's pretty neat. So of course the Rock and Roll Express, this is a great spot from last week. The Rock and Roll Express each take a leg from the double team on Arn Anderson and they do the forward roll hamstring stretch. Pop and they, the come other up, guy. they come up for the double punch, but the thing that's better this time, that's better than last week's, is last week they punched Ole Anderson off the apron. He's standing on the outside and takes a great pop and a bump. Yeah. This time, he times it beautifully because he's coming into the ring to get him. As yeah. pu- and, and so he's one leg in, one leg out. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, 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 and he gets popped in the face. And, they get and, then, and then Ricky keeps punching him. And the looks like the the sour face Paul Orndorff style like yeah. one eye closed aren't like Ole Anderson yeah fuck it's good it's yeah. hilarious nice. he looks so funny getting beaten up <laughs> nice yeah that is like pure classic rock and roll express this is why yeah. these guys are number one you know that's right in some people's opinion yeah they they're way better than I could have ever given them credit for back at like at the time because again it was you know we were reading magazines it. we and were stuff. reading it we weren't we hearing could imagine it. we thought yeah. it was pretty good but we weren't we didn't seeing know. it and we and number one you weren't hearing it yeah. So there's a wishbone double leg snap on Arn Anderson, that kind of stuff. And, you know, Ricky's working the leg on the ground. And at times it almost looks like, you know, this is actually, the, I, I mistaken earlier. This is that part where there's like the body scissor, you know, like where it looks like Arn Anderson's got him in a body scissor, but he doesn't. So eye gouges our heel's best friend. And that's basically the only way the Andersons are going to get out of this whole problem. So Arn Anderson uses an eye gouge to finally get up to his feet and tag Ole in without Ricky getting, without them getting away. And, but it's just the way he's selling the limp, you know, the, the limping and stuff. He just looks so hurt and it's in, and they, and they don't drop it two seconds later and all of a sudden run it a hundred percent and diving and jumping. It's like, no, like if you hurt somebody's leg in the, you know, 1986, yeah. their legs hurt for the rest of the match. Yes. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. I'd like to draw your, your attention to the health bar, please. Yes, your, right. your health bar. <laughs> <laughs> so even though the Andersons have a little bit of a comeback, the they, uh, Rock and Roll Express are very um, determined. So they they stick with what's working for them. So as soon as they start taking damage, they go back to like kicking and punching the leg, and they actually you know are able to get the Andersons back down and and continue the punishment. So it's again it's really good. It's not a typical match where you know good guys are running for like five six minutes and then pop one punch, and now they're you know they're dead <laughs> and they're going to get beaten up for several minutes. It's like, they're very like resilient in a way that you don't always see in matches. So that's what, that's another thing I really enjoyed about this match is that they, they weren't like shrinking violets. It wasn't yeah. so easy to beat them up. Well, Hogan was bad for that. eh? He yeah. would be like kicking so much ass. Yeah. And then, you know, flavor of the month would do the thing. And then yeah. Hogan's like begging and, and you know, help yeah. me. Hogan the, missed one elbow drop and that's it. Oh, yeah. uh, on the back. Pleading <laughs> yeah. to the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> So eventually the Andersons are able to get uh, Gibson into the corner and start double teaming him. And it's great. Ricky Morton comes running over and Hebner turns like as a ref would to get him to leave. But Ricky Morton's like, nope, just shoves Hebner out of the way <laughs> and starts throwing punches. And so it's pretty good. He does eventually, of course, get escorted out. And that's when the Andersons finally get a bit of a, you know, a good double team going on and stuff like that. And they're able to, you know, have at least a bit of an advantage, but it doesn't last long. Arm misses an e-drop. And next thing you know, Robert Gibson's got him in the figure four. It's, yeah, it's a that move is is handy. Lots of people use it. Yeah, so Oldie comes charging in, and Ricky Morton comes in and puts him in a figure four. Ah, <laughs> so it's figure course, eight. So Hebner's <laughs> making him leave. Of course, he can't have the figure four on. They're not even supposed to be in the ring. No, figure forty four. That's what figure forty four. Figure forty four. Figure forty four. Better than figure eight because that's, that's right. like ballerinas. <laughs> it's like no, 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 no. no. <laughs> No, skating, skating. That's right. right. That's uh, the it's skating, uh, ice skating. So Morton does leave, and that allows Oli to get up from you know his 
beaten position to uh robert's gotta leave and he jumps on ricky ricky's the one who's still got the figure four on and this is where it looks like for a second like he's doing the claw but what he's doing is he's pressure on the nose it's like he's pushing his nose and covering almost like he's covering his mouth it's like he's like taking away his air but also like uh-huh. hammering on his nose that's Stu hart's tactic that's right yeah that nasty old bully so finally, Arn gets, you know, still selling the knee, starts uh, delivering some offense here. So it's a stomach punch off a whip and a stomach breaker, not the not the greatest one, a snapmare. And then Oli comes in with these, like, just vicious stomps to this extor- uh, exposed arms. This is Robert Gibson they have in here that they're beating up on. But again, Robert Gibson starts using thigh punches to, like, basically stun Oli and roll to Ricky for a tag. It's like, it's so great that they're not, you know, they they really won't allow the Andersons to have more than 30 seconds or 20 seconds of offense before the Rock and Roll Express are able to, you know, sort of tie things back up and get 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 back on top. So Ricky's in, fists on fire. It's, you know, it's really hot, hot tag. Uh, the crowd's really hot for it. They're just like super, even though the Rock and Roll Express have been winning most of the match, they're still acting as if this has been a 10 minutes of the bad guys. So he's punching each of them and he's got a slam for each one, each one of the wrecking crew. But Ole Anderson wisely just cuts off Morton by just basically ramming his head into his stomach. He just dives at him like, you know, like a battering ram into the stomach. And and Ricky does this great, like, smash into the turnbuckle and then fall down. He looks really hurt. That's where he finally get their chance to come and really start this next segment of the match. Is where they're going to be attacking his, basically, mostly his nose with kicks and punches and stepping on it. Stepping on the back of his head. Stepping right on his right. nose. Yeah. That is really torturing him. There's a back elbow that floors Ricky Martin. And, you know, just uh, just basically we hear that it's the five-minute mark is announced. Ole uses Robert as a distraction as Arn dumps Ricky illegally over the top rope. So it's great. He just The whole point of the, you know, no over-the-top rule or maybe no off-the-top rope jumps is, I've always heard this from wrestlers, is the point of those rules is so the bad guys can break those rules. <laughs> right. Know, like, sure. That's where you get the heat. Well, like I always say, Macho Man would have been in big trouble in the AWA where he couldn't right. jump off the top rope. That's right. What would he do? <laughs> <laughs> So there's a really great creative spot here. Robert is distracting the ref with Arn. So Ole Anderson goes outside to find Ricky Morton. And there's this big camera. And we're not talking about a camera phone. And not one of those giant lenses, but a big box camera, like almost the size of your head. And it's on, like, it's got one of those uh, neck straps on it, let's say. So Ole picks up this camera. (laughs) I'm like, well, what's he going to do with it? But what he does is he puts the strap around Ricky's face. And he's like pulling on his nose, oh, and, wow. he just, and just you know, and then Oli's keeping an eye on the ref, and he sees Hebner turning around, so he he takes off. So that leaves Ricky Morton laying on the, on the concrete with this like camera around his neck, and I'm like, what is he a tourist? Is he like a you know, <laughs> an, uh, uh, he's trying to get a job with Bill After? <laughs> right, <laughs> take okay. some pictures. <laughs> That's worth uh, worth a look. Yeah, it's really funny. There's a big area there beside I, the ring. Yeah, I noted that in Massive one of the later matches. Space. I've never I've never seen so much room between a ring, and like we're used with the jcp you can touch the fans from like yeah. the apron like and this one it's gotta be 25 feet on that one yeah, side between the ring and the front row sure is, yeah i don't know why they set it up that way interesting yeah and unusual so the anderson just keep pummeling ricky and he comes uh he comes very close to tagging robert so arn punches robert off the, you know that fresh man off the apron to keep them from getting together and then keep beating on them Arn holds Ricky up, bent over, and Oli takes flight from the top rope. You don't see it too often, but he does this, like, driving knee into the shoulder blade of the, you know, exposed, like, arm. Because the Andersons, besides working on the nose, they're going to work on the arm. So, like, the Rock and Roll Express working the leg, Andersons working the arm. So it looks really mean. looks really, like, kind of vicious. Oli finally goes for, like, his standing arm bar, which doesn't look like much. It looks like a regular just 
rest hold for wrestling. But back then, he used to get a lot of submissions that way on TV, especially again when they would, you know, if they would have him wrestling jobbers, that's how he'd finish them. He'd stand behind them and just, you know, straighten that arm out and yank on it a few times after, of course, having delivered punishment throughout the match and the guy would submit. But once again, here we go. Ricky Morton's using that fist on the thigh. He's punching his way out of this arm bar by punching that injured leg of Ole Anderson's and stuff like that. So that's really great. But Arn Anderson is tagged in before Morton can tag out. So he gives Ricky a body slam and a knee drop. And now we're, we find out we're at the two-minute mark. So this is a 20-minute match. Obviously, I've skipped over a lot of it. There's, you know, there's been a lot of back and forth. But this last you know, good stretch second half of the match is mostly the Andersons beating the crap out of Ricky Morton. <laughs> surprise, surprise. So and at this point, this is where the, the, the timekeeper is going to be a little too active. You're hearing too many you know, signals and triggers of what's going on with the time and stuff like that. So again, Arn Anderson pitches his man, this time legally, through the second rope. So he just dumps him outside. As Ricky's trying to get back in the ring, Arn Anderson tries to slam his face onto the turnbuckle from the outside. You know, basically where that buckling is. But Ricky stops that, and he slams Arn's face. And then he gets to the top rope, and he does the flying body press. This time he doesn't almost miss him like he did the other time. It lands more clean. But that's only a two count. But this move isn't enough to get Ricky the uh, the, the advantage. He's still getting taking, taking punishment, getting beaten up. But he does start to fire back. And Arn Anderson coming out of the corner. Some punches, getting his punches in. We hear this one minute left. And Arn does a corner whip, but nails himself in the corner. So we saw this, I th- was it Steve Regal that did this at the beginning of the card? So Arn charges in and dives in the air. And then like he's landing on a motorcycle or something. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. There's no bike there. There's <laughs> just the corner. <laughs> So that's finally the uh, the opportunity they need for Ricky Morton to make the tag with 30 seconds left. Ricky dives in, dives and tags Robert, and the hopes and dreams of Greensboro faithful explode. <laughs> They're so excited for this, and and Robert's awesome. He comes in, he literally jumps between the ropes and punches like he does like a you know midair punch like as he's coming in. It's wow. like the most coordinated you know. There's a real Superman punch. Exactly. For you. <laughs> yeah. Superman doesn't stand and punch it. He flies. He's midair lands that punch. So punch after punch on Oli and Arn staggers into range. So he they eat a double noggin knocker. Gibson whips Arn and grabs his, and he grabs a sleeper. And Morton's on Oli now. And oddly, this sequence, the crowd noise dies off. I don't know what it is. There's something, either they saw that, this is the finish of the TV show, basically. Like, we're running out of time. And, you know, the Rock and Roll Express put each of the Andersons in a, in a sleeper hold. Right. Okay, that's what happened in the match in the TV, TV well. show. Yeah, okay. exactly. So that's, so, that's, what's, that's what's happening uh-huh, here. So, right. so Robert's bent over on top uh-huh. of uh, Arn with the sleeper. And then somehow, actually, Oli gets away from Ricky, and he comes over, and he hammers Robert Gibson, and but the bell's gone, so the time has run out. And so they, the Andersons are trying to lay a bit of a beating on afterwards, but Robert Gibson's is great. He gets a chair on the on the far side of the ring, and the crowd goes nuts when they see him, when he, like, basically does a thing to fold the chair up. That's like, you know, it's like, finishing maneuver! <laughs> and the crowd goes crazy for it. So he comes in and, you know, stomach bashes Oli, stomach bashes Arn. I think Arn takes a shot to the head. They chase them off. And it's pretty funny because both teams try to claim victory, the Andersons from the floor and the Rock and Roll Express from inside the ring. One last thing to pop the crowd is a little uh, little jumping high five from the Rock and Roll Express. But it's a it's a 20-minute time limit draw for this number one contenders match. So I guess we're, you know, it's not settled yet. They're gonna have to figure out who the number one contender is. Right. Well, I guess we've just had a little look into the psyche of 
Draper versus Hughes. You didn't mention women once, and I think I mentioned women about 50 times yeah, when I yeah, called yeah, this yeah, yeah. match. Were the women not there? Were they Well, not they were squealing. <laughs> and that's, I, I mean, I, I, I just didn't define them. I kept saying how crazy the crowd was going. Yeah, yeah. Definitely no. Was... no, I'm like, so So what does it say about me that I focused so much on you? <laughs> just like, Corey's a family man now. Meanwhile, <laughs> I'm watching the ladies and their reaction. Yeah, this is this is the end of this match is where you see Arn Anderson on the outside complaining, and that's where I really was the stark contrast of how big that area was of like, oh my god, he could like, there's there's room for another ring out there. You yes, know, like, there is. It's crazy. So yeah, that's uh, that's how that match ends, and of course we're gonna get another edit, and we're heading off to the haircut match. This is gonna be super short and sweet because there's not a lot to tell you about, but people will know that Paul Jones. And Boogie Woogie been feuding forever. Like we were just looking the other day at, uh, you know, 85 bash thing. And it was like, hey, there's a Boogie Woogie versus Paul Jones match on that. But Jeff and I didn't really see a lot of Paul Jones. He was a manager in the magazines. We got to see these like very tail end matches at the tail end of his career. But I just, you know, quickly looked it up. Now I don't have time to, I mean, we could spend an hour talking about his career. So just a couple of quick notes just for our sake, let's say. He started wrestling in 1961. Wow. Yeah. And there's different things they noted there. In the late 60s, he wrestled in Canada, in BC, and in Manitoba for the Alex Turk promotions. And I've heard that name, Alex Turk, because he basically was the person who was running wrestling here. And then they left, and that kind of opened the door for Tony Candelo to, you know, kind of step in and and end up doing more promoting in in Manitoba and Winnipeg and stuff like that. So that's kind of an interest. That's how I know that name. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. I never heard it. Yeah. So at one point, (laughs) he tags with Nelson Royal... And they beat the original Minnesota Wrecking Crew, so that'd be Lars and Gene, I guess. They win the NWA Atlantic Coast Tag Titles. And then in 1972, when he's in Florida, this is where he becomes a heel and takes on this persona of number one. And oh. basically changes his look. And I read, I mean, I don't know how true this is, but it almost like with the mustache and the hair, people sort of say he was kind of maybe going for like a likeness, a little bit of Adolf Hitler to sort of, you know, incite anger, you know. Right, like and, yeah. And... Well, I always wondered about that because, you yeah. know, the Paul Jones army and he didn't have the Hitler stash, but otherwise, he, yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. Interesting choice. So in 75, he's in Mid-Atlantic and he's uh, tags with Wahoo versus the Andersons again. And then he becomes a three-time tag team champion with Ricky Steamboat. Oh, wow. And the end of their thing comes together. Paul Jones apparently turns heel at the end of a battle royal and turns on Ricky Steamboat. I guess they're maybe the last two guys in the in, uh, tag team partners of this battle royal, but Ooh, wow. Paul Jones turns on him. <laughs> that sounds like good booking. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. they get uh, get a run. I'm sure he. I'm sure he's punishing Ricky Steamboat because we know how much Ricky Steamboat likes to take beatings. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And in '79, he's uh, got World Tag Team Championships with the Baron, huh. him and Baron Von Raschke. So that's pretty neat. '79. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get into the 80s and the Paul Jones Army is sort of an 82 to 89 kind of uh, kind of thing. So oh. that's a bit more information for Jeff and I as far as uh, what we knew about him. I only that's know, cool. I only know, know this Jim Crockett stuff. So Never got to see any of that. Yeah, I've never <laughs> seen footage of him as, uh, when he's younger. So I just want to, I wonder what he looks like and how he moves. And because we're, we're watching, you know, I started wrestling in 61. So yeah. when, when we're watching him in 86 and 88 or whatever, it's like we're not seeing... A guy in his prime, that's for sure. So we're in the ring. We've got Jones wearing these white tights, and he's accompanied by the Baron. And we've got Boogie, who's got this uh, light blue and dark blue vertical striped tights and the head- matching headband. And he's accompanied by Manny Fernandez. So sort of similar to last time. So before the match can even start, though, the Baron tackles Boogie. <laughs> like, you know, and Manny, not very helpful. He's there, but he doesn't really, like, really do much. So Boogie ends up on top of the Baron, but that allows 
Paul Jones to come in with his driving knee. And basically for the rest of the match, it's just Paul Jones stomping and punching and kicking Boogie and Boogie trying to get back up, which he can, of course, because that's his whole shtick is he's going to clap his way back to his feet and, you know, <laughs> and get you. But, you know, Paul Jones is Abdullah the Butcher. <laughs> he's like this entire match. He's got one of those Abdullah weapons in his hand yeah. and, he, and he hides it behind his butt, you know, and the ref can't see it. And he just, every single time Boogie gets something going, it's a little stab to the throat or the stomach and Boogie sells it like he's been stabbed with a knife. <laughs> it looks like a little knife. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this just goes on and on. Like, I mean, this over and over and over again. And Boogie gets a little bit of offense, but it's always cut off with this weapon. So finally, and Boogie's bleeding and, you know, he's all beaten up and, you know, Remember the hairs on the line, right? Yeah. Someone's going to be a bald-headed geek, <laughs> right? With the chanting, right? He got That's the crowd right, right yeah. before the match started. He yes. grabbed the mic, boogie That's woogie, right. and yeah. he had the crowd just right. screaming, "Bald-headed geek!" Yeah, bald-headed geek. So finally, Paul Jones goes for one of these punches with this weapon, and Boogie blocks it, which somehow causes Paul Jones to drop it. And then Boogie picks it up, and he doesn't even pretend to hide it from there. Hebner has to spend the next two to three minutes looking away. <laughs> Because Boogie's just like <laughs> using it right in front of him the whole time. He's jabbing Paul Jones in the forehead with it. He's stabbing him in the neck. He's aye, just like, aye, you know. Aye, aye. So yeah, so Paul Jones is bleeding now. <laughs> and so basically, Boogie gets in like, you know, a few shots. And he's got his man beat. He's one of his big punches coming off the ropes. Knocks Paul Jones down. He's going for the three count. Looks like he's got the match one. So the Baron gets up on the apron. And so Boogie goes over and starts choking him. But in this exchange... The Baron throws in the loaded glove. Right, from the coal miners right. match earlier. So that. We see Paul Jones putting on that glove. And then Manny finally comes around the other side of the ring and pulls the Baron down off the apron to get him, you know, out of there. And so the ref is, but you watch Hebner. Hebner's on the other side of the ring. I don't know who Hebner's, like Hebner's talking to the timekeeper or I don't know who, but he's distracted. But now we see that Boogie has a loaded glove in his. Yes. <laughs> he's got yes. a yellow glove. Right. So he's sneaking his glove on. So it's kind of good. Like, the two men are sort of like not that far apart, back to back, and they both slowly turn around. And Paul Jones thinks he's going to shock Boogie with this loaded gl- glove punch. But Boogie cracks him and knocks him out. He's just out, right out. And so it's time for the three count. Except this, the Baron has gotten free from Manny and he charges into the ring. And Manny, we can't see it on camera, has come back to his side of the ring. So Manny. Cuts him off. Manny's in the ring and stops the Baron. So now Earl Hepner is with them, and they're on the far side of the ring. And then we see on the near side of the ring, all of a sudden, appearing out of nowhere, is Shashka Watley with a chair. And he whacks Boogie on the back and rolls Paul Jones on top. And after a bit more of a delay, the ref comes over and... <gasps> Boogie Woogie Man counted down for the three count. Oh, God. Who and it's time for bald-headed geek. Oh, <laughs> poor Boogie has to sit there and get his... Big luscious mane shave. That's right. Oh, so all the all, and, and the good guys show up. So like uh, you know, all of a sudden Sam Houston's there and Italian Stallion and Denny Brown. They're all there to support him. And they get this chair out and it's some kind of former wrestler. They said his name. I forget who he is. The crowd boos him. Actually, they announce him. They say former wrestler such and such as Barber. And they're like, crowd's like boo. But it's a really weird situation. They. They sit him down on the chair, and the heels, all their guys are now barbarians there, and all these guys, yeah, they're having a little party, and they're they're hilarious, they're having, like, so much fun, Shaska's (laughs) dancing with his top hat on, (laughs) (laughs) and these clippers are, like, the greatest clippers ever, because, like, soaking wet, bloody hair, and it's just shaves it off no problem you know like anytime i can remember somebody getting their head shaved in wwf it was like this exercise in futility where they just couldn't get the hair to come off you know like right okay just take a little bit off we'll do it in the back that's yeah there's one double a battery in there or triple a yeah. one trying to 
So they, so they got that camera zoomed in on Boogie. Now, Boogie Woogie Man, in a way, reminds me of Jughead from Archie Comics because he's always got like his bandana or his headband like halfway down over his eyes. His eyes always kind of look like they're closed, like he's just he's been with Willie Nelson and he's super stoned or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. So he never looks like his eyes are open. But in this one, his eyes are intense and they're like wide open and he's just staring at the camera. He's, it's like theater for the camera. He's yeah. playing it up to the camera. I don't know how close the cameraman is. Grating his teeth and, and trembling. He's, and he's just kind of psycho. He's just kind of like, like looking at the camera as they cut off all this hair. And then he just like Shasky goes down and he collects up the hair. And actually, it's a bit funny like because George Steele. That with was the... I wrote that down because it's all, it's his sweaty body. The hair is sticking to his body on his yeah. back, so he's got all this hair on his back, and it looks, yeah. looks like George the Animal Steel. Right. And yeah, the, and, the, and the heels is just a great moment of the, the four or five of them all hugging and yeah. pointing and like, and they get the and they get the microphone and they start the bald headed geek oh, chant and no. yeah, yeah, it's so good. Oh, it's good, but it seems poor boogie woogie. Yeah, yeah. We just, you know, when does he get his day well, in the sun? Well, I mean, he got we missed Shasta it first, right? And, right, uh, I know. But and this there's is... another match coming after this. Like, it's just... All right, there better be. On this night, he's the, you know... Well, and, and like, so we've only... Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, I... Again, I didn't watch the Shaska yeah. uh, match with Boogie. Yeah. So I watched, you know, the Crockett Cup where Boogie goes down. Yeah. You know, I <laughs> only... Right, Boogie, you get yeah. him next time. That's right. <laughs> I'll have to wait myself for the next time for Boogie Woogie to get a little glory. That's right. So yeah, that's the that's the hair haircut match, and yeah, we'll find a way to touch on some of the other stuff that happens with that. But uh, it was colorful, funny. all those characters, lots, you know, all the talent, like yeah. 10, 12 wrestlers. So that's right. It was a very, it was a good spectacle. Yeah. Okay, Jeff, where are we going to next? Oh, Boogie at least gets to keep that beard. He's got a yeah, huge yeah. I thought they, they, beard. Thought, they, thought they would, yeah, shave his beard. That's right. <laughs> Ball headed geek. We go now to 3CP1, which is the Russian national broadcasting station, much like CBC in Communist Canada Company. (laughs) The funny thing is that it's on his outfit. That's right, yeah. Nikita's wearing black. Imagine the Mountie wearing a CBC logo. Yeah. You know, that would be, that'd be the equivalent, That's you right. know, in America, you know, I guess it would be PBS is yeah, what they would yeah. an American going over to Russia yeah, and wearing, wearing PBS. Yeah, exactly. And it's actually Magnum who's got the red trunks, you know, so yeah. instead of it's, you know, they have their, their colors are uh, interesting. They're, the Russians not wearing red. But at least, <laughs> and Ivan's dressed to wrestle. <laughs> yes. He looks like a tag match. He's like, he's like yeah. right in there. Yeah. I, I don't really recall him seeing much, seeing him wear much, uh, a different, like a, I don't think he ever had a track suit or yeah, a regular funny, suit. So often we saw that like uh, Nikita would come to ringside with him when he was refusing to wrestle on TV for a little while there. He was like, he was coming up wearing sweaters and jeans and, you know. Was he wearing jeans? Uh, Nikita, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. How American. I would have thought that would be, you yeah, know, exactly. he can't be wearing those blue <laughs> jeans. Before the actual match starts, you know, we get the stare down and uh, the hands do the talking. Yeah. You know, Nikita basically gives him, it, it's, this is the, not what he's doing, you know, but what looks like the four horsemen signal, but he's right. referring to, of yeah. course, the best of seven series. It's yes. the Stanley Cup. It's the miracle in the ring. It's Russia versus America. Yeah. Miracle and, on ice. <laughs> that's right. 1981. So Magnum's got to win one here or he's going to get swept. That's right. And that's he's going to lose. Gonna be gone. That's right. After his shenanigans, beating up commissioners and defending <laughs> his mom, some yeah. very confused kind of. Why'd you bring your mom to a contract signing? <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. 
and start punching up the boss. Uh, Magnum responds to the one, two, three, four with a thumbs down. You're going down, Nikita. They tell a story with their collar and elbow, probably not quite as well as the Rock and Roll Anderson match, but uh, the first three struggles uh, result in no winner, no clear winner. They That's can't, right. No yeah. either guy can get uh, control of, of his opponent with these these lockups. The Titanic struggle of East versus West, the Cold War. <laughs> but we get started with a side headlock from Magnum TA, and then we get a pretty early running of the ropes where uh, Magnum ducks a pretty nasty-looking reverse elbow, and he comes flying in with what appears to be a, a forearm. It, it's enough to knock the big Russian off his feet ah. and down to the floor. When Nikita gets back into the match, uh, I, I now can see Nikita is a bigger man than Magnum. Oh, yeah. Hands down. Yeah. <laughs> bigger yeah. muscles, more sculpted sure. muscles. Yeah. Like, the angle here is, you know... Uh, the best we got, you know, up against the, the you know, I, I, I thought they were kind of like 50-50 from the magazines. I didn't yeah. realize, you know, I always thought bigger, Magnum was bigger than he is. But no, Magnum does look like the underdog. Maybe that's part of, you know, why they have him down. He's just not as big and strong as, yeah. as Nikita, yeah, yeah. who's got the crazy traps like Hawk. That's right. But also the delts, you know, like, yeah. you know, uh, he's, he's like a the triangle man as far as his body shape. and. That's right. uh He's just an awesome sight to behold, Nikita. They grow them big down there in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. What are you talking about? He's from Russia. Shitoa. Shitoa. Another collar and elbow. And now Nikita does manage to exert his physical edge in strength. And he shoves Magnum into the corner. But before he can do anything, Magnum kind of looks like, is that a belly to belly? No, it's just a quick switch and, and Magnum's out of the corner and fists uh-huh, up. Yes. And Nikita looks stunned that uh, a little amateur wrestling is, uh, you know, used against him because right, he yeah. may be stronger, but Magnum is still very strong and knows he's got an amateur wrestling background. Yeah. So Magnum's all business, fist clench. He's not backing down, but he's not going to, st- he's not going to wait for a clean break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. From Nikita. The next exchange begins with a collar and elbow, but winds up with a side headlock from Magnum TA, and the Russian does resort to some dirty tricks. He grabs Magnum's hair, Magnum's hair from behind and pulls him down to the mat so that Nikita can control the pace of the mat for a while, and he gets away with it. So, now Nikita's in charge. What we have is a little bit of a test of strength battle. Magnum manages to work his way up into a wrist lock. Actually, again, they're going with Nikita's more powerful. Nikita yeah. just muscles Magnum right back down to the mat with the wrist lock even though they're like USA USA <laughs> doesn't work Nikita right. is the stronger and this time he doesn't have to pull the hair fully expecting it yeah. but he just like you know so rare I'm like what you mean the bigger stronger heels actually bigger stronger <laughs> yeah, how can this be <laughs> especially if he's Russian I just I was yeah, like exactly. kind of interested to see that uh, we have another nice amateur move where Magnum pulls a quickie and suddenly he's got Nikita in a hammer lock looks good but it's hard to hold that big Russian down so Nikita does manage to take the action into the corner and this time Magnum's not able to get away Nikita's able to start de- delivering those huge shoulders into Magnum's gut yeah. Uh, so he doesn't get the clean break, and boom, now Nikita's got an advantage because uh, it worked the first time, <laughs> but not this time. Multiple shoulders into Magnum TA's guts, and Magnum actually goes down. Then we have Nikita pick up Magnum, and it could be a body slam. Instead, he drops his throat on that top rope. Right, yes. We've seen that before. Nikita is going to be in charge for a little while. He has a big elbow. Magnum goes down. He starts ramming Magnum's head into the turnbuckles. 
He does one, two, three, and then he makes a mistake and he taunts the crowd and mockingly goes, <laughs> USA. And then the next one, Magnum puts the boot. He prevents yes, the force yes. and then he manages to slam Nikita's head into the turnbuckle. But Magnum's taking too much damage and Nikita quickly gets control of the match right, again. Yeah. And he's battering Magnum with arms and boots and kicks. He gets a two count after one of these devastating strikes. And then they take a little break. Nikita puts a chin lock on Magnum. The match hasn't been going on very long, but suddenly Magnum is running into the ropes and Nikita setting up for the sickle. Could this be it? Could the sweep be complete? Oh my God. Ah, no, it is not. Magnum ducks that Russian sickle, hits the ropes again and comes in for a flying body press and gets a two count. Nikita doesn't like that, that his finisher is thwarted. So he runs Magnum into the post, but actually at this point, they're both standing on the apron outside of the ring. So it takes oh, yeah, quite a bit this. of agility. It's kind of like a, excuse me, please. Cause yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> You know, he he escorts Magnum across his own body yes. on the outside of the ring. Yeah, without him falling off. Yeah, to the post. So it's a, it's a I've never seen anything like it. Like you know, I, I think Magnum even hits his head on the stair, those wooden stairs, when he hits the ground. It looks awkward. I see him grab the back of his head after he. Like, I think he catches oh. the corner of it on the way down. Right. Well, yeah. it's around here that he blades. Yep, and, uh, yeah, and there's going to be. It's a really bloody night. Yeah, oh yeah, man. I think. Welcome I'll, to JCP. <laughs> yeah. Now the shtick is Nikita won't let Magnum back into the ring. This is a big part of the story of this match is that, uh, you know, he just won't allow a fair fight in the center of the ring. He yeah. keeps beating them up and using illegal tactics. And uh, Magnum is, you know, outside trying yes. to get his strength back for a lot of it. And we're seeing that right now. And the blood begins to flow. When Magnum does get back into the ring, Nikita applies a back suplex and gets a two count. Nikita's really vicious. He's got his boot on Magnum's neck, just choking him when Magnum's yeah. down and out. He's delivering vicious knees to Magnum's back, gets another two count. They take a little uh, rest with another chin lock and Magnum's entire face is completely coated, like matches his trunks. It's like from forehead to beard. Yeah, yeah. His blood, his face is soaked in blood. Too yes. much. Crimson mask. Mm-hmm. Thick. But Magnum is going to rally. Uh, a chin lock on on the part of Nikita is thwarted. Uh, Magnum pushes him off and not into the ropes, but into a big turnbuckle bump. So very right, generous yes. of Nikita to yeah. be like, I got you. And suddenly, wah, the turnbuckles like just devastate him. He's like, <laughs> oh my God, he's just so... And Magnum takes over for a bit. Three quick shots, a big elbow by Magnum, another two shots, and he goes for a back body drop, but no... Nikita's got too much wherewithal and a back body drop is also an invitation to a boot to the chest or the yeah. face. So Magnum takes that and he goes down. Nikita seizes his advantage, a backbreaker and a pin, a one and a two and a bloody Magnum manages to kick out. Nikita picks him up and gives him a big body slam for a one and a two and Magnum kicks out. So he gets pissed off and he throws Magnum through the ropes to the floor because of course, remember Uncle Ivan, the Russian yes, bear, yes. former That's world great. champion is waiting in the wings the battering continues on the apron eventually nikita does his thing where he goes around and yells at the ref so that uh, ivan he also ivan's crouching and waiting he's kind of hiding yeah exactly he's like i haven't moved i've That's been here right. the whole night but he gets his licks in and manages yeah. to do more damage to magnum while nikita's got the referee otherwise occupied i love it because he runs back and goes back into the same like kneeling position like yeah I have moved very quick for an old guy he's doing really good That's right 
Magnum manages to make his way back into the ring because, of course, Tommy's always trying to do this count out. But uh, he gets thrown out again. The floor looks very hard. No aprons. It's not a wood floor. It's that concrete floor. And there's a lot of it. Yeah. Tommy starts, you know, getting really pissed at yeah. Tommy Young. And Nikita's like, let him back in the ring. Come on. <laughs> That's right. He starts to lose impatience. And this will play into the finish. So Magnum's on the apron. And, you know, he's been thwarted like four or five times at just trying to get back in to continue the match. That's right. And so Tommy's had enough. Magnum is going to take a beating from Nikita, but instead he ducks something and he goes for a sunset flip. Magnum launches himself over Nikita and goes for the sunset yeah, flip. Yeah, over the ropes, right? Yeah, over yeah. the ropes. Yeah. So, yeah, he's on the apron, Magnum. He comes yeah, back the into the ring. Yeah. That's right. But Nikita, he was, you know, hanging onto the ropes, so right. he's not going over. Uh, he's just, like, desperately clinging to the top rope so that he doesn't, you know, have to bother Backwards, kicking out yeah, of exactly. the sunset flip. But Tommy Young's had enough of Nikita's chin ways. That's right. And so he kicks Nikita's hands yeah, free hard. from the top. <laughs> yeah, real hard from the top rope. And Nikita, sure enough, gets rolled into that cradle. And Tommy Young's right there in the spot. Zip! For the one, two, three, and yeah. Magnum scores his first victory in the best of seven contest, and he does not lose the U.S. title this evening anyway, and the crowd does go bananas yeah. for their hero. Yeah, I I had a couple problems with this match, <laughs> and I think that like the inexperience, let's call it, of Nikita, and to some degree Magnum, shine through because they weren't reading the crowd. So Jeff described something which you don't, you can't really 100% get it unless you sit there and watch the match. Like the sheer length and time that Magnum is abused and beaten and just the crowd's just waiting for him to finally get some kind of offense in. And when he does finally get a couple of shots in, the crowd is going so crazy, yet two seconds later he's bending over to, you know, do a back body drop and takes a kick and gets cut off and the crowd just goes, the crowd noise just plummets. And I think that more experienced wrestlers would have been paying attention and listened and would have called a couple of like, okay, you know what? Actually, hit me a couple more times. A couple more. Let's do a couple of bumps here. Like, you know, let, let's let this crowd. Hmm. Like, they're point. so excited. Yeah. Like, let them be excited. Like, don't take it away from them that quickly. Because mm. to me, the air was just, the balloon was popped. The air was just let out of this thing. And I don't know that they ever got back to, like, you know, even the wind didn't sound as crazy as it was when they were like, oh my God, he's finally going to kick some ass, you know. And then the other part of it is that Magnum gets out of Dodge. He wins and he kind of runs away. Yeah. That's right. And, and, and I'm kind of like, uh, the Russians are to, angry and in yeah. the ring and they're not particularly beat up. Like, exactly. Not at all beat up. <laughs> Nikita is outwitted, but yeah. Magnum looks like he has. looks like he's been at his ass kicked. <laughs> yeah. Like he just barely got out of there with his life, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, a, they're not I making, don't think, yeah, I don't think that it was the greatest thing for Magnum. Like, I'm not saying he had to chase them off, but I mean, he didn't, he, it looked like he, like a thief in the night. <laughs> like, you know, right. he, he got the win and he ran. Yeah, well, interesting booking because you know they they start the match like Magnum's overmatched. He's lost three. Yes, and then this whole match, Magnum's overmatched. Overmatched, and yeah. you know, and this is the guy you're going to put your world title on. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think some of their other matches might look different. So we'll uh, we'll see if we can't in the future find a way to you know wrap this up somewhere else through something else. But in, for this night on this time, yeah, he he doesn't it doesn't do him the greatest service to be like. Okay, you you barely escaped with your life. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. Well, when I watched it, I wasn't all that keen. You I know recall? What, I know I, what they wanted. You know, they want to keep Nikita looking like a monster, and so that's fine. That's great. But I, I just think there could have been a bit more balance. And again, that some of that comes down to them actually just like having the sense and the experience to call it in the ring. Like, mm, like yeah. if Flair was in that match, and he heard, he heard that crowd. 
he wouldn't have been like, okay, give me back the momentum five seconds later. But no, no, back body drop. Okay, uh, yeah, like, you know, give me a close line, whatever. You know, like, you know, give me some moves. Yeah, Magnum did not look great. I guess that's why I've been a little bit, little bit Luke about, you know, uh, if you've not caught that, yeah. I, I haven't yeah. exactly been singing Magnum's praises. Right. You, you well pointed out that this match, when I first watched it, it didn't excite me. And then I did my report and then, you know, you never call your own baby ugly. So I was trying to like focus on, yeah, you right. know, yeah, what was, on the positives. Yeah, yeah. And the excitement of the match. But uh, I don't, I don't contest a single word that you said uh, regarding noise, crowd flow or reading the crowd. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, there's another big edit and then we come back and uh, they've erected a steel cage. Yes, they have. The rest of the night That's right. is going to be spent in this cage. They're, uh, you know, I think that they're, that steel cage was a good idea, definitely. But this next match shows that there are, you know, there are risks to a steel cage or, you know, I mean, a match doesn't all, it's, it's no guarantee that a cage match is going to fly or work out. Yeah. And while Corey said he had some issues with uh, the, the TA Nikita match, I, I definitely have some issues with this cage match between the Road Warriors with Baby Doll. Yeah. So it, it, it's a three or a five man match <laughs> and one woman. Yeah. And uh, then the Midnight Express, original Midnight Express with Jim Cornette. Paul Ellering is at ringside, I should say. That's right. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So, but he's not inside the cage. No, he's not. Anyway, what happens in the match is, I'll tell you what happens. Road Warriors got screwed. Shut up, geek. I'm taking over. (laughs) Never have we got benched in a main event like this. Dusty, Virgil, listen up. That's right. The Road Warriors came from the streets of Chicago, and you're going to put us on the back burner, back up the baby doll, a valet? No way. We should be kicking the horseman's ass. We should be cleaning the clocks with the Rock and Roll Express. We got buried alive. Yeah, I'm telling you now, Ric Flair was in my grasp, and that's what the crowd wants to see. You made us bodyguards, background players. We're the Road Warriors. We don't play background to nobody. Most stinking valets. Now listen up, Virgil. We don't need your stinking belts, but you better put them on us or we're going to take them. You understand? <laughs> You're going to make us heal or we're going heal on our own. You were the road warrior, Pop. Well, it was a wet fart with your booking tonight, Virgil. <laughs> you blew it. You got the biggest, highest paid team in the history of professional wrestling and you took two gold matches and you made lead. You got something to say about it, geek? Well, what about that knee drop from the top of the cage? Bob Eaton was... What about it? I've seen people jump bigger when I walk into the bar. (laughs) I don't want to hear nothing about the Midnights. We could have had a match with anybody in your stinking company, and you blew it, Virgil. Tell them, animal. That's right. You should have put Baby Doll Cornet in the ring on their own. We would have taken care of the Midnight Express. Take the belts. We're in business for the Road Warriors. First, don't you ever put us on the back burner like that again. We're going heel, whether you like it or not. And then you better put the belts on us or we'll take them. And then we're going to New York. (laughs) That's my take on the Road Warriors. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) They burst onto the scene, back from the the grave. What a waste of the Road Warriors. Uh, In a way, yeah. I mean, this is like a repeat of Dusty and Magnum were in this spot before. But the point of that match was to actually have a Dusty... Bubba showdown at the end, you know, like it actually sort of the match led to this after the match shenanigans. So <sighs> why didn't we get to see the Rock and Roll Express versus the Road Warriors as heels? This that's my fantasy match for this era. And yeah. we were cheated. 
the Midnight Express's face and against the Road Warriors was great, but you yeah. know, the the Road Warriors are natural heels. Yeah. And they finally did it. But here, I think they're completely squandered. It's all about Baby Doll and Cornette. And like, okay, Bobby does look great. He's got yeah. his spots, but yeah. I stand by what I said. Yeah. I, I watched this match and I was not having a great time. But now, you know, <laughs> yeah. I had fun doing that promo, though. There you go. <laughs> and we did just enjoy, like, you know, there was that televised title shot recently on the syndicated show that we discovered, Midnight Express, where Captain Dennis Condry and all that stuff was really entertaining. So we kind of, yeah, we get like this muddled version where other people get in the way. And again, we're seeing, we know what spots we're looking for. We know the Jim Cornette stall tactics and we wait, we're really, really just wait, we're just waiting for baby doll to get it. Cornette is like, and, and the crowd's that way too. Like they're, the crowd's way more into like baby doll hitting somebody than anything else. They were quiet. Yeah. Nothing like the excitement of even Sam Houston, Houston, except for baby doll and Jim Cornette. Yeah. But I mean, the Sam Houston versus Regal match was getting more heat. Than the Road Wars versus the Midnight Express, like this is ridiculous. This should yeah. be gold. Yeah, so I, I really like burn out from the crowd, like they're tired after all these matches or something. You know, like yeah, well. I may have gone too technical, but I think they should have split these matches. You know, yeah. Baby Doll and Cornette on their own. Yeah, and then Road Warriors for the gold. Yeah, I mean a typical thing. This happens all the time in wrestling. X is going to fight Y, and if X wins, then. Zed gets five minutes with A, you know, like they could have, you know, they could have like, they could have like earned baby doll the five minutes with Cornette or something. Score. I, hundred percent. That's even better. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Anyway, so (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to go blow for blow. No. I thought I would blow my top. Well, so it's really interesting. The, The one thing to me that stood out when I watched the match was there is a fever pitch at the moment, the beginning the match starts, but then there's a botch. And the crowd never seems to recover from that botch. So we know there's supposed to be everyone get out of the way. It's going to be Cornette and Baby Doll. And then, you know, he tries to turn around and he sends Bobby in because now Baby Doll's in the ring. So he's like, Bobby, go get her. And then Bobby runs in and takes the arm drag. Yeah. And the crowd fucking is hot for that. They pop. And then she slaps somebody. Oh my God, they're crazy insane. And then something is supposed to happen between the Midnight Express and the World Warriors and it doesn't happen. And the four of them stand there and look at each other like they'd never been in a wrestling ring before. I it was really that. awkward. Yes. And the crowd's just like, oh. Yeah. Like, Killed the flow. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't a game. It's, it's basically not until they bring somebody over to their corner for Baby Doll to slap yeah. Dennis Condry or something. That's when you finally get like, yeah. the crowd excited again. Yeah. What a shame. Yeah, so, but let's talk about Bobby, because okay. this is, I, I I don't know, sometimes if you get like, I'm, in my age, I'm like so afraid of heights now. When I was a kid, I didn't care. I was on roller coasters and did all that. I don't think I can go on one now. It's like I've, something's changed throughout my life. And just sitting there watching Bobby jump off the top of that cage was giving me a little bit of a stomach queasiness. I was like, oh my God, poor guy. Yeah, that's uh, outstanding. So he does a top of the cage knee drop to Hawker Animal. I can't remember which one it is. It's not really important. And knowing what I know about Bobby Eaton, he takes all the damage, like, because he, he lands so and rolls, and I bet you, like, Hawker Animal didn't even feel it. And, yep. you know, Bobby took all the impact. Yeah. And not that much longer later, he goes back up to the top of the cage, yep. and he jumps off to take a punch in the stomach, and again, he just has to land feet on his feet, you know, like, basically yeah. just take a tumble, and just all the damage is on Bobby, and he's just so fucking amazing for, like, his ability to do that, and he's just... I couldn't believe he jumped off that. I was like, oh my God. Agreed. 
Absolutely. And so those were the highlights. And it was fun, a little bit of the cornet and baby doll. But yeah, but, uh, yeah I, 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 what I did actually like was that there was more animosity between Bobby and Jim Cornette than the last match. Because because <laughs> Jim Cornette kept like trying to get Bobby to go in and Bobby was like, tag. And he yeah. wouldn't tag him. And at one point, Bobby started, because Cornette's thing is he always goes in the corner and starts climbing the cage. Yeah. And Bobby starts like pulling him down. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you get in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that because Baby Doll was waiting for him, right? Yeah, so right. Bobby's yeah. like, she's right there. Go get her. Yeah, yeah. And Jimmy's like, no, no. No, no. <laughs> and there was one fun moment where he tried to like stomp Animal or something. Yeah, Jim yeah, Cornette. yeah. He came in. He, look, what was the Jimmy Hart? Look at Jimmy go to work. It's yeah. look at Jimmy, look at Jimmy Cornette, not Jimmy Hart. Jimmy, yeah. Cor- look at Jimmy go to work. And, but he, yeah. Yeah, big misses the big elbow drop. Right. But, you know, like the, the Warriors never got, they could have wrestled the Rock and Roll Express. You would need to, obviously, I don't know that you really did need to build it because those two would probably tear the house down. And I mean, not feasible because they're both face right now. Fine. Okay. So they had a lot of heat with the Wrecking Crew because, you know, the Road Warriors got left laying yeah. by them. So, and they also just either one of those, I mean, and it's not that them against the Midnights is bad, but just like give them a title shot then. Yeah, no, no yeah. stakes in it, here. It is you know? interesting. They they bring the Road Warriors in. They protect them massively. They put them over at the Crockett Cup. They basically they win Tag Team of the Year. Probably so they get they're sort of like accepted and known to be the top tag team in the world. Yet they through eighty five their time in Jim Crockett in eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven, they never get the belts. Well, they sure they do. That's eighty eight. Oh, thank you, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. That's so my they, bad. Like they, Two and a half years, let's say, right. of them like kicking ass, but never actually, you know, finishing the job. Okay, so then thank you because I believe that supports my distaste for this. You know, this could have been a title win for the Road Warriors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd have to go back and look now what the lineup is of how we, where we go and who takes. I can't remember if it's the Rock and Roll Express that takes the belts back from. Uh, it must be yeah, the Rock and Roll must get it back from Midnight Express because we eventually have to get to Manny and Rick Rude winning the winning the belts, and those have to come off a good guy. <laughs> and the Road Warriors, uh, also supporting my point, are heels when they get the belts. Yes, which I mean, they're they're natural heels. I sure would have loved to have seen heel Road Warriors against face Rock and Roll Express. Yeah, or even like you said, I mean, you could have done a face versus face where the Road Warriors are just rough and mean because that's they never really changed their style. Good guy yeah. or bad guy, they did the same clubbing blows and press slams and close that's lines, right. and yeah. they didn't really have to change much. And you could have got a great match out of it. I just think that. Yeah, it was like sort of the the recipe in Jim Crockett promotion was like, hey, we have these wrestlers over here. We have these wrestlers over here. Let's just keep rotating and cycling who wrestles who. And we'll just, you know, mix it up a tiny bit. So that's kind of what they got stuck with. But that knee drop that he used to do where he had the margin of error of like a half an inch and he never hurt anybody. But his left knee took a fucking beating because he landed on it from, you know, 10 feet in the fucking air. Over a period of time, that's, you know, while all the guys have problems, but Bobby is, has not done that. He, he, by the time he was training in OVW in 2000, he was taking the top rope knee drop out of his repertoire. They wouldn't bend that far anymore. And that's, you know, so over a period of time, he could do it night in, night out for, you know, weeks and even months, but over the years, yeah, it, it, it caught up with you or caught up with him like he catches up with everybody but there's one more match on this great american bash the virgil the man that's right center stage with the man that's right Woo! so what we're missing on this card in my estimation is the horsemen don't really get their due 
Like they don't like, and what I mean by that is, I'm not talking about the result of this last match. What I'm talking about is we don't see them together. Tully has a match. JJ's with them. The Andersons have their match. They're on their own. Ric Flair comes out. He's on his own. No Horseman, no JJ. Nobody comes with them. We don't get a promo like because it's not being filmed that way. Like just something simple like earlier in the night if they would have had like, you know, at ringside have somebody interview the Horseman at ringside or something. I think it would have just added a lot to like this because you don't feel like they're this collective on this evening. They are individual groups. They're like two individual wrestlers and a tag team. And they're not the Horsemen. They're just these individual stars. Quite so. But it is a really iconic night. Uh, it's a repeat match from, you know, geez, how many times have Dusty and Flair wrestled? Let's even just off the top of my head, my limited knowledge, Starcade 84, Starcade 85, Crockett Cup, countless house shows, several televised shows, all these six-man tags and different variations of tag teams, like Flair and Dusty, and, and then you got to go back even earlier than that because they were going at it, you know, in the 70s and early 80s before this current run. So they are no strangers to each other. And but Dusty has been chasing Flair. That's kind of where that's what works in this era is, you know, Dusty chasing Flair, kind of being the the ass kicker good guy against all all comers. <laughs> and uh, even though he doesn't have the belt, he's kind of like the Hogan, but like without the belt. It's like Jim Crockett always, not always, but they more often than not went with a heel champion with the good guy chasing. WWF was always, you know, San Martino. Pedro Morales, Bob Backlund, Hulk Hogan, you know, there's a couple of bad guys that get sprinkled in there to trans, you know, just to transition the belt from one good guy to the next good guy. But uh, Jim Crockett Promotions, NWA, was much more likely to stick with a heel. Not that all of their champions were heels, but they weren't, they didn't shy away from them. They just needed to find somebody that could like fit a certain role, like somebody who could travel the world, work with anybody, any style, and leave that territory stronger than when they got there. Meaning that, you know, and that's what Flair was such a master at, is they could send him into, like, Portland, and he could go have this, like, 60-minute knockdown drag-out affair with, you know, Billy Jack Haynes or whoever, make him look like a million bucks. Flair leaves with the belt, but the local champion, the local hero, the local top guy, the Von Eric, the whoever, gets to come out of there looking like, oh, he was that close. Flair was just so lucky to escape with that belt. So that Absolutely. was the magic of their booking. Okay, the cage is staying up, and... We finally have some music. <laughs> At last. I guess these are affordable. Or That's it's right. Like, it's written so long ago. Exactly. The copyright's up on it, so they don't yeah. have to worry about it. Event of the evening, a one-fall match 
with a 60-minute time limit for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. It's time for the main event. The steel cage is staying up, and it's time for a time-honored tradition, a match that's maybe happened far too many times, but one that the crowd still loves. It's our world champion, Ric Flair, defending against Dusty Rhodes. We're going to get it up one more time for the men. (laughs) We're going to take that belt and walk all the way back to Mississippi. Wearing the gold with baby doll. Space Mountain. (laughs) Close for repairs. That's right. So, yeah, we've uh, talked about it a bit already, but these guys have met in a lot of big matches. I would say that it's, you know, Dusty is Flair's most common opponent in the 80s, probably his most important opponent in the 80s. But I think that when we talk about Flair's greatest moments, they're not necessarily against Dusty, they're against other people. So it's like Flair and Dusty's like the bedrock that everything's built on and they kept going back to it. But, you know, the the highest of the highs are these other these other little places that Flair goes, these, you know, these things against Ricky Morton or Ricky Steamboat or Terry Funk or all these different people eventually sting. Uh, yeah. Dusty Rhodes never looks lost. He never looks awkward. He's always got command and, and the poise appropriate for the moment. Yeah. Uh, uh, but when you get in the ring, that's not as strong as his charisma on the mic That's right. and his yeah. general, I mean, like he's, he's sure he's good in the ring. He, he knows the crowd. He can feel it. He's, he's at one with the energy, yes. but, uh, you know, I'll just say that there were moves in this match that didn't look like they hurt, you know, like your feather duster. I was That's like, right. Oh, come on. That's where you want the, you want the wide shot for that one. That's right. Back up. <laughs> exactly. We're too, we're too close. <laughs> yeah. So Dusty's best. And of course he's booking. So he's got some, uh, he's got a lot of responsibilities right now. He's running the yep. whole thing that's right i i, I kind of I, i'm gonna have to put put aside my initial distaste for this match because it's probably better than i gave it credit gave it credit for it first watch i found it a little bit sub you know but let's focus on the good parts and the fun yeah absolutely it's it's an it's a sort of an iconic sort of moment and these a lot of these memories for a lot of people i'm not just talking about myself they kind of blend together so people will refer to this match as being like the 85 starcade or like everyone kind of gets confused on when things different things happen but moments are certainly there i don't dispute that i just didn't realize how many other moments there were (laughs) (laughs) it's the other moments that i was that's right you know it's good the five minute version of this match Fantastic. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So we finally, on this video, get an entrance because copyright doesn't apply to Ric Flair's music. So we finally get a proper, true, you know, entrance, you know, worthy of a champion. Boom, 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 boom. That's right. Boom, boom. So Flair's coming to the ring in his robe. It's, you know, it's a big time look. You know, the dark arena, the music, the lights. It's pretty great. He's got like this white robe on with like purple rhinestones purple trunks to match, blue knee pads, and he's got that big gold belt around his waist, and it just looks great. He sure looks every inch the champion. I say this is a better look than a towel around your neck. (laughs) Ronnie Garvin. I I vote for Flair. (laughs) That's right. So Dusty's waiting for him in the ring. He's got this black jacket on. I couldn't quite make out what the uh, symbol on the back was. Red stripes. He's got black trunks. Once they disrobe the, the exterior gear, we see that both men have the nice initials on their trunks. So we got like... The RF and the the DR. <laughs> In case you can't distinguish the body shapes, we yeah. have these handy initials on That's their trunk. Right, yeah. Can't tell who's who. I'm going to go with the blotch on the stomach as the way I tell them apart. <laughs> yeah. And of course, I'm kidding. Uh, Dusty Rhodes has a much different physique the, than Ric Flair. 
Yeah, other than like Buddy Rose, it's like I'm not too sure. There's a lot of other wrestlers at the top of the card that look quite like Dusty Rose does. But at the same time, what was cool is like this, you know, this big fat guy could be the hero. It was yeah, you oh know, yeah, he was like the, that. Yeah, the everyman, countryman, you know, yeah, you know, all that stuff. Like fun of a plumber. Yeah. <laughs> you know, again, I've already mentioned it, but we could get you know once Flair comes out there. There's no horseman. There's no JJ. This is a one-on-one contest. I, you know, I, Baby Doll doesn't even really have much of an appearance. I mean, as far as in terms of like once the match is going, you're really just focused on these wrestlers and the ref. There's there's three people. There's two wrestlers and one ref, and that's all the uh, that's all the ingredients we're gonna need for the drama of this match. So of course these men are gonna step up and go nose to nose, and we get that moment, that feeling, that big big fight feel that happens before these uh these matches start soon enough. After Tommy Young instructs, the the match does begin. So Flair, of course, is going to stall and pull away some of these initial in- attempts to, in- you know, engage each other. Flair's going to, of course, delay, and he's got to check his hair and give it a little woo, <laughs> and the crowd loves it. Standard. That's right. But, of course, Dusty knows how to, you know, get the crowd going, so he does the same back eventually, you know, stepping away from one of these lockups, and he gives some of his little hip shake and strut, and, uh, you know, there's, there's definitely fans in the crowd of, of his antics as well. Oh, yeah. He's got uh, the sassy kind of cocks his hips and, you know, just a, does a weird little... Uh, it's hard to describe because it's kind of like... Almost like if, if he was wrestling Adonis or something like this, this is what Junkyard Dog does to make to mock Adonis. Yes, that's right. Yes, yes. So yeah. there's a, a hint of the effeminate to it, but nobody's booing and yeah, nobody's right. like, that's right, yeah. we hate it. But like, you know, I've seen Dusty Rhodes skip along. Because Dusty right, Rhodes, yeah. he makes skipping in the ring acceptable. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody cares because he's a big tough guy, but you know, yeah. so it was kind of cool that Dusty could be a big fat guy who yeah. could like, I mean, people say that when Muhammad Ali said, I'm so pretty. I mean, it was like yeah. a watershed moment for a male to say, right, I'm yeah, pretty. So use that. Yeah, Dusty Rose is down that road. Like, I'm the prettiest face ever walked that face <laughs> of the earth. You know, or, yeah. it's all part of his charm. That's right, yeah. So once they do engage in physicality, Flair's going to have to keep finding different avenues because basically any attempt to engage in physicality is going to end up with Ric Flair on the wrong end of the stick. So every time he throws a punch or a chop, He's going to get it double back, and it's not going to go well. This is the mathematics of heel versus face. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they are not equal. <laughs> so Dusty, yeah, Dusty's over- able to overwhelm him at almost every attempt. At one of these points, Flair's scrambling around on the ground, and he, this is a classic thing for him. He looks to get out of the ring. You know, that's a, what the heels want to do, but but there's a cage up, so there's nowhere to go. He scrambles to the side, but there's nowhere to go, so he's trapped. So he's going to be in the clutches of his foe and he can't get away so there's several sequences they go through of holds and reversals but dusty always is coming out on top eventually usually it's early in the match do we get a do we get a wake up damn it what's that <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, that usually happens early is it <laughs> happening yet <laughs> no i don't think so okay. there's a couple of screams into the crowd i don't know if i noted that one in particular after you know some early attempts to run dusty's face into the cage or you know blocked and like dusty will get his foot up and block it and then he gives flair the big no no wag the finger like no no right. you're not gonna do that he doesn't ram flair's face into the cage he just doesn't let his own face get rammed into the cage so so there's several sort of starts and stops if you if you want to call it that at some point right around this point there's someone in the crowd yells you got him flair baby and i, th- it's, I think it's actually a woman's voice i'm sorry i'm using the wrong type of voice but some yeah. someone in the, a woman in the crowd is like you got him flair baby 
And then Flair comes across the ring towards the, where the camera is, where I guess where that voice is coming from. And he said something along the lines of, uh, you take some of this tonight. And he does like a little hip thrust. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's inviting someone to the hotel after the, after the match. I heard it. Yeah, it was like, it was a command. Yes, that's <laughs> was right. like, I wasn't sure. The, the tone of the message didn't quite, you know, it was like, it was like a heel yelling at the crowd, like, that's shut right. up. But it, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. also at the same time, he's like, I'll see you later. That's my room number. <laughs> <laughs> So they, the next little part of the match is going to be Dusty getting control of Flair's arm, and it's like some some pretty long rest spots here. They're they're feeling each other out still, and you know Dusty's using all these different pressure and leverage points. Like they're not a traditional arm bar. It's like things where he's like, Dusty's like hugging his shoulder with Flair's arm, you know, straight to the sky, and somehow that's putting a whole lot of pressure on it. And yeah, some Flair's of them like, look ah! weak. And it's just yeah, like Flair's <laughs> standard is you know selling whatever, but yeah. they, they don't look very effective. Anytime they get to any kind of rope running, it's Flair's not going to like it because it's either if Dusty isn't tackling him over and knocking him over with the shoulder tackle as the bigger man, then he's reversing hip toss that Flair's trying. So Flair's just, each step is resulting in Flair sort of licking his wounds and trying to, you know, regroup for something else that's going to work. So Flair is begging off at every opportunity. There is a point where there's a corner whip by Flair and it's reversed and he bounces out into what we would call a Dusty Rose press slam but it doesn't get a lot of elevation on it you know he can Flair's in the air and Flair's above him but there's, Dusty can't extend those arms <laughs> he's just yeah. just enough to dump the man Dusty of course has the edge in punches and he's beating up Flair pretty good in the corner until Tommy Young steps in and he doesn't like these closed fists in the corner when the man's in the ropes so he does the full arm hook which is like he basically tackles Dusty Rhodes' right arm and blocks it and that is the moment that Flair needs to get in his shots. It's pretty good. Well, that's what Flair means by wake up. Wake up, damn it! You gotta catch that big right so I can get in some slips. Where's my backup? Tommy Young, I need you. He's got half a horseman. He's got <laughs> half a... Half a Tommy Young is one half a horseman. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's right. You grab him and I'll get him. So after t- Tommy Young messes up Dusty there, Flair slips in a low kick to the gut. But that advantage is short-lived as Dusty reverses a th- and gets a sleeper on Flair for a really long spot. He has him in it for a long time. We're, we're checking arms and stuff like that. Eventually, Dusty lets go of this sleeper, though, and transfers back to one of these weird arm lock things where he's hugging his shoulder and, and has got him in a weird spot. I think at this point, my eyebrow was just very slowly raising, you know, yeah, yeah. as I'm like, you know, sleeper hole, break sleeper hole. Like, and before I know it, I'm just like, what's going on here? <laughs> so, yeah, hold the arm control for a while. Eventually there's some rope running, and this is where Flair ducks down, gets down on one knee and gets a punch in the gut. And that brings, you know, the type of scream that comes out of Dusty Rhodes to let you know that he's actually hurt. <laughs> he goes down to his knees like he's been shot. Yeah, he does, you know, make you laugh occasionally with his reactions. <laughs> That's right. So Flair had takes this opportunity and laundarts Dusty into the cage a couple of times. So it's, it's interesting because usually Flair's the first one to taste steel, but this time it's Dusty's getting his head rammed in pretty good, and it's early in the match. The blood is flowing. It doesn't take much to open up all that no, scar no. tissue. A little tapping. And it's yeah. like, there you go. Flair does his, his prototypical big rolling knee drop. and gets a two count. Dusty at this point is between the ropes and the cage for a while, taking shots and cheese grater action and just kind of being tortured by Flair. This is where Flair does one of the worst neck snaps I've ever seen. And I have to blame Dusty for part of it because of the way he takes it. But it's like, it's like Flair, like, you know, does the, the baby touch, like, neck drop. He grabs Dusty's, you know, head and drops. Flair does a, a back bump to bring Dusty down so that he can snap himself off the ropes. And there's just no, like, the, oh, it's the, terrible. the rope doesn't move. No, like, du- they du- both fall down, but the rope doesn't move. Yeah. <laughs> Dusty bellows yeah, like yeah. he's, you know, been harpooned. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he won't take it physically. 
exactly. Yeah, right. he, he'll do the moaning and the groaning, but he won't take the bump. He won't take the rope to the throat. He won't take, you know. Uh, that's, but that was what was frustrating me about this match. That's you know, right, like, yeah. Because that was like, ah, oh, I don't believe. You know, yeah, you, you really a bad don't, angle. Get back. You don't want to be taken out of it. And that no. was that for me was the low point. Yeah. Like this, like you say, this drop down, like top rope, Snap, neck snap. Yeah, the yeah, rope they, doesn't move. I was like, oh, <laughs> gentlemen, you guys are the headliners. Come, Come on. on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So Flair's got Dusty back in, and he's going to be working on that leg, doing a lot of the typical Flair leg-damaging moves that he likes to do. They announced that 10 minutes has been is gone by, and at this point, we get a figure four for a very long stretch. And it, there's times during it where Dusty's gotten to fight to keep his shoulders off the mat, because there's almost like pinfall attempts here out of this figure four, and Dusty's falling asleep, he needs to be woken up. Come on! Hey, hey, hey. That's definitely something that uh, you didn't. See, I didn't see very much in the other leagues, uh, submissions that turn into pinfalls. At least I don't remember. People either- well, with the Bockwinkel-Martell match we watched, there was a, there was a Martell defense in Winnipeg against... Nick Bonkwinkle that we watched and there was some of that spots where they you know where Martel was in the figure four for so long that he started like the ref started giving him some some three counts you know like fair enough but like you know when you've got all the sleeper holes that we saw in right. the AWA those aren't going to be pinfalls you know like for the most part no <laughs> no you're not like he's checking his arm and counting his mats because you're, <laughs> you're in the way of those shoulders right that's right but the claw like you know the bound rashki was uh, usually like people would submit to his, his claw. Yeah. Whereas the Von Erics are like claws to lead to pinfalls. That's right. And here, you know, the figure four is, is like you say, so I, it's just something that I was not so much accustomed to. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So Big Dust eventually rolls to reverse, but Flair, Sneaky Flair, he uses the rope to undo, undo the reversal, to prevent the reversal basically from happening. Just he's actually turning over, he grabs the rope to pull himself back to where he needs to be. And it's great because, like, the crowd's, like, so upset. You hear the crowd really react to this whole, you know, illegal rope grab that Tommy Young didn't see. And it's pretty funny. The crowd, you can hear them. They're telling Tommy about the ropes. So he asks Flair, and he finally he makes Flair break it. It's pretty good. And you hear Tommy Young say to him, come on, what's the matter with you? <laughs> Cheating on the ropes. So Flair charges to the other side of the cage again, yelling at whoever. Really, Give me your mouth, God! <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. Love it. So after a lot more punishment, Flair pins Dusty on the ropes and charges with a sharp elbow. He's looking to line him up. But this is where Dusty Rhodes just explodes. The corpse of Dusty Rhodes comes to life with this big clothesline and just destroys Flair. So now it's Dusty's turn and Flair's on the run. His attempts to leave the cage are thwarted. So of course he's uh, eating steel up there. He's getting his tights pulled down. We need a little bum exposure. You know, it's not, nothing's going to work for him. He's trying to win via escape, which... That's right. He thinks it's the WWF. He's going right. to... He's in New York. <laughs> they didn't tell him the rules. It's different. So yeah, he's eating steel. He's eating elbows and punches. And now with Flair, the crimson mask is flowing for Rick. So his face is just bloody as well. His face is raked against the fence, and Dusty's just abusing him while he's outside the ropes this time. So now Dusty's got him in that spot. And we get, you know, the trademark, no, no, and more face smashes to the cage. And another trip to the top for Flair, trying to get out again. And this ends with Flair flopping off the top. And what I mean by that is he goes for a little walk across the top rope, which, of course, is going to see him take a, a, a short fall <laughs> to land on his crotch. <laughs> ouch. The top rope. Yeah, ouch. So he's back between the ropes and the cage, and this is where he gets catches a break because Dusty Rhodes lines him up for a big, vicious punch, but he misses, and he punches the cage. And he, him punching that cage is just devastating. He goes down on his knees. He's crawling away in pain. So Flair's got a chance here to get back to things. So Flair does get the advantage, takes this opportunity to go back to the top rope, one of his favorite places. <laughs> Not really. Lord knows why. <laughs> but of course, only to be slammed off the top. And then Dusty Rhodes puts Flair in the figure four. 
And this is a long hold too. It's a long stretch. Ending with a rope break for Flair. He finally gets his hands on the rope, which causes the break. So Dusty's battering Flair with chops, and he goes to hit him with one of his big bionic elbows, but before he can, Flair just face flops out of the way. He just goes down. like so he, he avoids the damage from the elbow by just like taking a face plant. Was he faking? That's right. Flair reverses an attempt by Dusty Rhodes to pick him up, and he goes for a neck breaker. But Dusty Rhodes gets the advantage and goes very slowly for the slowest ever developing backslide in the history of wrestling. <laughs> it's like a, you can hear like the... You know, like the back, the truck's backing up here. Like right. It's just taking its time. Yeah. So Flair escapes that. So Dusty gets a massive clothesline and an elbow drop for two. So once Flair gets out of that, he's scaling the cage again. But this time he kicks Dusty back once Dusty gets up there. And this is where it's surprising. This is a cool move in the, in the, in the match. He comes off with a flying body press and it works. <laughs> Flair! Surprise. <laughs> so Dusty kicks out at two there. They tell us there's 20 minutes gone in the match. Flair goes to ram Dusty into the cage, but it's reversed, and he eats the steal for a two-count. It's back and forth with Dusty missing an elbow drop. They're really, both men are hurt and beaten down. It's really coming down to it. Flair looks worn out, and he picks Dusty up by his hair, and he digs in to body slam the big man. And as soon as he does that, the American Dream hooks the head, shifts his weight, and rolls the Nature Boy up for the one, two, three count! What? And the place goes Bananas! <laughs> now this bunkers. Yeah. Now I like the match. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, it's this crazy moment, and we know because there's no disqualification. We know because there was no outside interference. There's no previous over the top rope. There was no foreign object. We're not getting a dusty finish here. We're getting an actual moment, an actual, an actual title change that I don't think people saw coming because Flair and Dusty had wrestled so many times, a couple of starcades. You know, like he he had not been successful in beating Flair. Here we go, and I've talked about this before, but it's, it bears repeating over and over again. The ring announcer, Tom Miller, this is where he comes to do his work. This is where he picks up his bootstraps. This is the greatest ring announce call in the history of wrestling, in my opinion. Now, we're WWF guys. I grew up with the Fink, and I would say that Howard Finkel is the greatest ring announcer. And if you did a poll of all the wrestling people and you see it online, his name comes up more than anybody else's because that's who people grew up with. But because I didn't have ex- exposure to Tom Miller, I have that affinity for, for Howard Finkel. But like looking back at this and listening to this, Finkel might be the greatest ever, but this is, the, this is like the individual greatest call, you know, and we'll, we'll listen to it here. I won't even try to emulate it because you just got to hear it. It's, it just like tingles up your spine. Like it just, you know, the hair is raising up on your arms. It's so good. And the people are going nuts. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner, a new world heavyweight champion, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. So 
So we got Baby Doll and Magnum charge in right away. They're in there first, and the ring will fill up with baby faces. So we got the Rock and Roll Express. We got you know, Ronnie Garvin, Sam Houston, many other people in there. You got and actually at this point, I see Denny Brown, and for some reason in this particular moment, he he looks a little bit like Marty Jannetty with like short hair to me a little bit. Ah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you just see he, Dusty's like overcome with emotion, and it's like the whole moment of it all. He's up on the top rope holding up that belt. And the men, you know, they lift him up in the cage and it's just, it's a pretty cool visual and what, a, you know, interesting moment it would have been to, you know, have been in that crowd to get that, you know, to get that experience. Yeah. I'm sure it was well worth the ticket price to be there live for a change of the belt. That's right. So like, I think all of Dusty's uh, world title reigns, it's very short, but he is, he is the champion in 1986 and there's lots of people that can say, you know, who else should have gotten the belt instead of him. They had plans to get the belt onto Magnum, obviously. That never did get to happen. You know, maybe that should have happened here, like 2020 hindsight. <laughs> That's what we get. We get D- Dusty with that belt. You know, we, we also saw how Ricky Morton could have been the guy that could have, you know, he could have easily had this run if things were set up differently, if they were sort of maybe more. When he talks about the idea he doesn't want to break up his tag team, like we keep saying, it's like, well, you don't have to break up the tag team. <laughs> Ricky Morton could be the champ for two weeks or a month or whatever and still have a tag team. I mean, it's it's not unheard of. Well, it's a very distinct memory. I definitely found this out by reading Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the picture of Dusty looking down adoringly at the gold belt. Yeah. And it was the kind of thing that I only learned about wrestling through those magazines. That's right, So, yeah. like, what's that, three, four, five weeks after it happened, you know, we're, like, seeing the pictures and being like, oh, wow, look what happened yeah. down there in, you know, the southern states. That's right, because he wouldn't have gotten any newspaper coverage. We, as of the summer of 86, don't really have that. I just was getting UWF sometime in the summer of 86. I forget what month that it popped up on our TV. But even then, those early days of UWF, they weren't acknowledging NWA stuff. So it did come to the point where, because of the affiliation between the two, that you know UWF and NWA started to blur together. But it, but those those early days of UWF in Winnipeg, there was no NWA. So as Jeff said, we were magazine only. You had to wait. And you wouldn't have, and it wasn't like you were waiting to see the result. You were, it was more like, it was just, you see it and you're like, oh, that happened, you know? Absolutely. And it was different when I uh, saw the magazine for Sting beating Flair finally. Yeah. I already knew that, he, that Sting had the belt. That's right, yeah. But not here. Like, I, that, that's this, right. I only learned, thanks to the wrestling match, that uh, Dusty had finally captured the gold yeah. again. And by the time we see the magazine cover, he doesn't have the belt anymore. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right, right. That's the funniest thing. That's right. He's already lost it again. He's already lost the belt again. <laughs> but the magazine's not cut up. That's right. <laughs> you got to wait for the next month. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't as big a story. You know, Dusty loses the belt, you know, like, and I don't really know. I heard, uh, I, I listened to something about, you know, the circumstances of him losing it, but I, I forgot it just as quickly. Right. So he's busy booking. Yeah. That's, I think, the thrust of it. Well, yeah, I think that, I think why they he still, didn't want the belt for more than I, a month. I think they they still wanted Flair as the champion. They still had obligations to the other existing territories to send that champion around. Dusty Rhodes wasn't positioned as well to go, you know, show up in some other territory and kind of make the other guy look good. You know, that's Flair's job. Dusty doesn't want to go out and have a match where he yeah, gets they had a thing going, a very successful thing. Flair was in this period the master of touring around and pumping up your local guy, yeah, and then you know walking away with his dignity in shreds, but the book, the gold <laughs> intact, you know, and the local guy's dignity is yeah. intact. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, and like, he'll almost get him, he'll got him. Get him next time. That's right. <laughs> got to figure out how do you how do you figure out a way to get him to come back again. Every 
every territory three months, thinks, six months later. <laughs> every territory thinks our hero's going to get him. That's right. And then once in a while, it does happen. Yeah, yeah. You're, once, once you have like Tommy... Uh, Rich? Thank you. Tommy Rich. Yeah, you get your Tommy Rich, your whoever. You know. Well, speaking of that, not just a whoever... Tune in next week where we will feature one of those special whoever's, a certain Texan German who was a belt holder and somebody who got uh, a short run from Flair. And uh, we'll be covering not that specifically, but we are going to go to Texas next week. So make sure you check us out because uh, this is a a prime example of Flair building up the local heroes, but, and and then maybe a little, a little taste of gold. That's right. (laughs) And it, it really, the territories thrived off it. Their business relied on the fact that they could get dates from that world champion, bring them into, you know, light the territory on fire, set things up, and really bring this prestige. And everyone had the regional champion, but that regional champion was trying to become a world champion. Yeah. And then you had Hogan. Like, quite frankly, I didn't uh, know it at the time, but I, I love this formula way better and I prefer it to Hogan's like let me discard the villain of the month where they don't really you don't you Hogan wasn't I didn't fear for his title until it was yeah. Andre or something you know one out of five times somebody got a licking on him like as far as like beat him up somewhere where they got some sort of a count out win or, or did something to him and most of those we didn't even know about but for the most part yeah it was sort of like it was all like isolated damage within a match meaning that yeah hogan's gonna sell for a while during his match of course he's gonna get beaten up a little bit during his match because he has to have a comeback but he'll block their finisher but yeah exactly he'll get to that point you know by 87 even in even part of 86 he's already at that formula of okay i'm gonna sell for 60 70 percent of the i'm gonna beat you up for a while then i'm gonna sell for like a long stretch and then i'm gonna like take your finisher and then i'm gonna kick out and we're going to go home. Right. <laughs> and then his opponent is happy because he's getting the big bucks wrestling Hogan. But yeah. once he's done with that, he probably is not main eventing. You know, yeah, they, I mean? they often, most wrestlers slid back down much further down the card. Uh, some people were able to sort of be a bit more, I don't know. <laughs> they were able to keep themselves up at a higher point, but there were certainly people that would like reach the height, the height of the heights and then <laughs> straight down. <laughs> right. So it's way cooler to uh, go back to give player the gold back and he can do what he does well and then dusty will you know just he'll he'll chase again people love him chasing that's right so the nwa formula i think is better i think of the, the you know we're talking about the pro wrestling illustrated magazine and, and all the wrestling magazines in general i had a very specific way of kind of reading the magazine i don't know if you remember this for yourself but i kind of like i would check out the, fr- the front cover of course yeah i would check out that Ratings. inside well, I go to the inside the, the list, you know, what do you call it? The content page or whatever, you know, like the, oh, right. yeah, the table, table of contents. contents. Yeah. So yeah, I checked that out. Then as Jeff suggested, I would flip to the, but the middle of the magazines would usually, I think it might've been literally the middle of the magazine was the two page ratings, your top 10 lists yeah. and your that, that deserved a lot of time. You know, that was like, cause it would also be point form. You would double check who all the champions were. Yes. It was right. You know, it was, we listed That's right. You would them. look to look to see who the champions were. In case who you was didn't ranked. know. And then also things like the, t- like, it was one thing to look at each of the individual territories because those were all themselves, but it was those like combined lists, yeah. you know, like I loved looking at like the overall top 10 or the overall top 10 tag teams. And they always, you know, would they always favored, they always favored Flair, the NWA Flair, yeah, and I, and I was like more of a <laughs> WWF fan. So yeah. I would get kind of mad that yeah. Flair was ahead of Hogan or, know. you know, whoever, whatever tag team <laughs> was ahead of whatever Flair. tag team. Yeah. He'll Flair. And you're like, how can this be? Exactly. But they, little did I know. It was a game. <laughs> but I love 
flubbed it because that the Road Warriors, gold or yeah. no gold, yeah, yeah, always yeah. on top. You yeah, know? they'd they be must... ranked at the top or whatever, right near it. Like, yeah, With, even even if they didn't have a title beside their name. That's right. When we were chasing, they were ranked number one. When they had the gold, they were ranked number, <laughs> number one. one. <laughs> you know, wherever they went, they were ranked number one. I, and then I wasn't paying attention to PWI any longer when yeah. they were Legion of Doom with right. the red shoulder pads, and it didn't mean as much to me. But right now, it meant everything. Yeah. And then the other thing I would do with the magazine is I would like, I would read, I wouldn't read like in the order the magazine went, I would read by, based on what I was interested in. So I would sort of, let's say, read all the WWF stuff first. And then I would read like AWA or NWA stories. And eventually UWF kind of got to that like, you know, similar peak as them. But if I would come across like a continental wrestling story or something like that, I would like put that off, you know, and it, I, I might have that magazine for weeks before I would actually finish some of those other articles because I would just see pictures of guys I don't know and or, don't, you know, and like other than through the magazines and I just, I would not care about it. I would read the other articles like three or four times and some of them, the other ones I would kind of skim through or something. I also like the one that was kind of like a you know, maybe like the idea of like, I'm not sure what they were called those segments, but it would be almost like little bullet points, like a writer would put together like, not not results, but sort of like stories, like what's what's going on, like around the, t- you know, around the around the circuit. And they would just have like, let's say, 10 different notes about all of wrestling in North America. And it could be sort of about anything. I would read those because those were a little bite size. But when I got into like a two page spread of like the rock and roll RPMs or something or some team I'd never heard of, I'd just be like, ah, I don't that. I don't want to read this. Yep. I did build up quite a collection of magazines at one point, but um, I have them no longer. That's right. They're all gone. Okay. So as Jeff alluded to, we are going to come back for a Christmas special. And just to spell it right out what we're doing, it's the 1982 World Class Championship Wrestling Star Wars event. It's pretty neat. Uh, so it's available on the WB network through a couple of their syndicated episodes. It's also available through like YouTube on a larger file. So I kind of was looking at both and we will cover it in a bit of a unique way in terms of there's a bit of a lore around when did these, what order did these matches happen in? Because they got confusing by how they were aired on TV. So we're going to just, we're going to do them in the order we want to do them. in. <laughs> so that's what we're doing. Okay. I think we're going to wrap up this week. We're going to send you over to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash legendary wrestling obsession. Help out the boys. Put a couple of coins in our pocket. <laughs> Help us out with our Christmas presents. <laughs> yes, indeed. Patreon is the place to be. We'll spend a nice toasty Texas Christmas warming our toes by the uh, Star Wars. N- no laser guns, no stormtroopers. <laughs> they just, uh, you know, went for it. <laughs> And then sometime before New Year's or maybe slightly after New Year's, we'll release a little special, you know, special limited episode of uh, our review of the movie The Iron Claw once we go see that. You know, we haven't, haven't hammered down exactly what day we're going, but sometime after the 22nd when it when it debuts and we'll bring some, some reactions to that and hopefully it's an enjoyable movie. So stick around and also we hope you'll still be with us in 2024. That's right. Thanks for everything so far. 